I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and in essence, catch up on our cinema. So it is the month of September 2021, and it is once again Masterclass Month. Essentially what this is, is an entire month of our catalog wherein we devote our time to reviewing the films from a specific film franchise, uh, usually in exhaustive detail. And uh, this time around, this year, uh, as this is an annual tradition here at Catching Up on Cinema, uh, we have been reviewing the Indiana Jones series. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we will be covering all four films. That fourth one is going to be a doozy. Uh, But this time around, uh, this week, we are covering Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade which is the third chapter in the series, uh, came out in 1989 and was, of course, directed by one Steven Spielbergo. Uh, so uh, one thing that we like to do uh, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the movie itself is just go over a little bit of our, our personal uh, history with the film, uh, this specific film in question. Uh, so Kyle, uh, does, uh, does The Last Crusade, like, do you have any history with it? Does it mean anything to you personally? Yes, this was really the only one that my brother and I watched uh, several times, as I'd mentioned in the last two episodes. Like, we didn't really watch, uh, like, I didn't watch Temple of Doom until I, like, all the way through till I was an adult. And if I did watch uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark all the way through, I didn't, I don't remember it at all, really. So it wasn't until I was an adult until I rewatched that one, really. Uh, but this one, uh, my brother and I have watched several times. Uh, I still really enjoy it. Uh, this is definitely one that. Um, my girlfriend and I will put on in the background if we're like having wine and playing a game or if we're doing like wine and painting it's kind of fun um, but yeah this is one I revisit every couple of years or so oh wow that, that's kind of cool to hear because like I've, I've been waiting for that one of the Indiana Jones movies because like folks at home if you're not aware like part of the reason we pick each of these franchises for Masterclass Month is generally these are franchises that we have an affinity for mm-hmm. uh, the very first recording uh, in all of catching up on cinema history, officially as of this date, as of the date of the this episode's publishing, oh. our third year of podcasting. Three years. Three years. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> in the words of the immortal Ric Flair, oh. woo! I want to thank all six of you, Mom, uh, for listening each week. Uh, thank you. It's been great. <laughs> yeah, actually, so that is something I would like to to get around to someday. It's like you know, put put some some names, maybe even potentially some faces. Uh, to all six of our listeners out <laughs> out there in podcast land. But yeah, three years. That, that ain't nothing, man. Uh, three years of consistent effort. But uh, yeah, the very first recording that Kyle and I ever did uh, for Catching Up on Cinema is an unnumbered episode uh, that's titled simply The Predator Masterclass, mm-hmm. uh, wherein we covered the entirety of the Predator film franchise, including the AVP titles. Uh, and since then, every September has become an annual tradition wherein we celebrate our, our anniversary by reviewing an entire franchise as as exhaustively as we can. There there have been holes over the years, but we've also covered uh, the Aliens franchise, which warts and all, I think Kyle and I both have a tremendous amount of love for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Batman franchise, which continues to expand so rapidly that... I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we have to do another one of those like every year. <laughs> that is actually interesting because it evolved. Like for me, it's evolved. Like my my tastes and opinion have changed over the years, and might continue to change. Actually. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm actually eagerly anticipating that Robert Pattinson, mm-hmm. uh, the Batman, which yeah, uh, was dark, was delayed due to COVID, and yes, uh, 
the advanced screening reports indicate that it's going to be grimdark. Yes. Um, legitimately grimdark, unlike some other Batmans that have, have like the sheen, like have the appearance of being that. Yeah. But in actuality, it's it's not quite that. This one apparently, it's like, no, nah, this this is some heavy shit. <laughs> yeah, it's not Camp Schumacher. <laughs> I mean, put it this way: the the Joker made literally a billion dollars. Warner Brothers is is well aware of that. That mm-hmm. this heavy shit can sell. So, you know, I'm sure they were given free reign to push it into whatever weird ass shit they felt like. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very much eagerly anticipating that. Um, but yeah, uh, the Last Crusade. Uh, for me personally, um, I saw it early in life. Um, likely after Raiders. I'm pretty sure I saw Raiders first. Temple of Doom was the last I saw, obviously, until Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, but we don't talk about that until next until week next when week. we have to, when we're contractually obligated yeah. to. <laughs> but The Last Crusade I probably saw around the same time, so probably like, I don't know, nine years old maybe, some eight or nine, something like that. Um, I grew up with an elementary school friend who both he and his dad were really into sean connery like hmm. the the sean connery james bond movies and highlander got a lot of play in that household and the hunt for red october as well um his dad was ex-marine and stuff so wow. like like r-rated movies didn't mean shit to that kid <laughs> it's like this was the same dad that took both he and i to see starship troopers in the theater when we were like 12 or something so i think we were a mel gibson household we were pretty pretty firm on that <laughs> yeah you've, you've mentioned that before that, yeah. like mel was a big hit in your household yes, everybody i think that's a thing with most households like if you trace it back if you really put the magnifying glass over your your family's media diet there, there's certain like recurrences. There's certain tendencies that flare up. I had a buddy. His his household was the Kevin. They were Kevin Costner. Oh man, there were so many of those in the late '80s and early '90s. Oh, and I, I put it this way: I'm no longer friends with any of those people. <laughs> like any of those people. <laughs> like I, I just found that you know what? I don't think I have anything in common with you. Nope. <laughs> it's like I think I'm just gonna move on. Baseball, golf, and then whatever was happening in the United States. From 1860 to 1960, basically. Yeah, yeah. They probably thought Waterworld was the best movie ever made. <laughs> it's okay. It's actually not as bad as its reputation. It's not as bad as its reputation. Exactly. I'll give you that. But um, Last Crusade, because of that friend and because of his dad's affinity for Sean Connery, like when I'd hang out with him, that's where I'd get exposed to Last Crusade a lot of times and Hunt for Red October and other Sean Connery movies. Uh, and for me... I've always floated back and forth between which which indie film I like best. Like I've mentioned this, I think on every episode this month that I I can't really decide. Uh, I I know I'm always wishy washy like that, but I think I can definitively say now though that I think I give Raiders the edge. I understand where you're coming from uh, as far as a movie goes. This one's just so much fun. It's fun. It's so much fun. It's so fun. The rapport between Sean Connery and Indy, and then Marcus Brody. It's it's a lot of fun. No, I I told my uh, my girlfriend who I've been rewatching all these movies with because she's never seen any of them. So mm. for for like homework, it's actually been kind of fun having someone in the room who's reacting to everything for the first time. Yeah, it's hard to find with this movie. Exactly. So it actually has been kind of a fun exercise. But um, I told her right out the gate, like I'm pretty sure this one's going to be your the favorite because yeah. she she likes her characters. She likes multi-dimension characters and she likes good dialogue and the dialogue in this is hilarious at times it is pretty it, funny it's snappy 
Um, also the the national treasureness of it, like yeah, there's there's more of a hunt going on, and it, it makes it a bit more fun, it makes the pace a bit more fun. Yeah, and you mentioned that on Temple of Doom that that was something that was definitely missing yeah. from the equation, where it's like okay, we're not really hunting for treasure in this one, we're just kind of like going into a, a scary place and then spending an hour hitting people to get out. <laughs> I'm not saying the premise is good, and I'm not saying the movie is good, but National Treasure is totally fucking watchable it because is. of that pace. It absolutely. Yeah. You're, you're both of those movies actually yeah. neither of them is terrible like they're both immensely watchable there's a reason they're just they've been on repeat on like tbs for a decade plus now and i mean if you can if you can like harness nick cage in a role <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty incredible what he can do <laughs> yeah no he i mean he can put asses in seats he can do dumb blockbuster movies he just i don't think cares to as much as as he used to yeah um, but yeah, Last Crusade, I think from a character standpoint and from a, just a strictly like narrative standpoint, I do think it's the superior film, mm. but in terms of my personal enjoyment, I'm the action guy. I appreciate my stunts. I love when a movie just like hits the right momentum and flow, like from the well of souls onward, Raiders is just a fucking masterpiece. Mm-hmm. Like, like it just, it keeps moving. The dialogue is is fun and engaging but in terms of like character development we're all done with that Mm -hmm. like we you're you got all we need and now it's just time for indy to do cool shit whereas this one is much more character driven yeah very much and they have so much more fun with the script and it it's a little bit more complex of a movie because of that it's just that i feel the the action component of it is a little not flimsy but just not as not as handcrafted i guess it feels a little bit more haphazard than raiders did um, I read some of the trivia. There's no way to read all the trivia. There's like 120 comments. Oh yeah, on good fucking, fucking luck with Jesus. That. <laughs> um, no, one of the things was uh, Sean Connery was the one that they wanted to play his father. Uh, but there was another actor. I think it was it Gregory Peck. Is he the Cape Fear guy? Uh, the original Cape Fear guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's in the remake, but as a lawyer. Yeah. Um, or is he the PI? Uh, he's the lawyer. What? No, I'm thinking of the other guy then. Not Gregory Peck. Not not. Um, uh, Bu- Buford Pusser, no. <laughs> Joe Don Baker. No, 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 no. no. They're both, uh, oh, both Max. Uh, Robert Kate. Mitchum. Robert Mitchum. I think Robert Mitchum was possibly supposed to be his dad. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised about that. Um, I have to check it now because it's driving me nuts. I'm like, I gotta remember. I gotta remember which one it is. I know Sean Connery was Steven Spielberg's first choice. Yes. So that worked out for everyone. Um, funny enough, uh, Sean Connery was also being courted for Star Trek Five. Oh. Around the same time, he was supposed to be Spock's brother, <laughs> Cybok, uh, I, in in what is generally regarded as the worst of the uh, OG uh, Star Trek films. So he dodged a bullet there. He dodged. I mean, but, I mean, it probably would have made it watchable uh, if he would have done that. Sean Connery has a very fascinating history with uh, his casting decisions. Um, I mean, he he passed on Gandalf. Uh, he passed on uh, the Architect or Morpheus. I think Morpheus. Uh, yeah, he, he passed on some big fucking things. <laughs> I'm glad he passed on uh, Lord of the Rings. Really glad, because I fucking love Sir Ian McKellen. No, that that worked out for everyone. Uh, Sir Ian was the right choice. Absolutely. Like, indisputably. Indisputably, yes. Um, but it's just kind of curious that Sean Connery had all these things that he passed on that um, he passed so many times that that's kind of what led to him doing the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He just he ran out of options. Like he every he passed up every awesome opportunity that ended up blowing past him. So he's just like, okay, fuck it, we're gonna do this one. But 
Um, yeah, in terms of production history on The Last Crusade, we may, it seems like a good jumping off point. Um, this it was, was Gregory Peck. He was one who's also considered. Also would have been a very good choice. I think so. Uh, I think the right choice was made. Sean Connery absolutely kills this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the fun of it is the fact that it's Sean Connery, um, and he's playing against type. Because he's not the smooth James Bond guy. He's yeah. he's a dork. Yeah, and he does it really well. And he does it so well. Like he brings an incredible enthusiasm to it that like he he lights up the screen and and it's so against his normal casting routine that it it really feels like a performance, which is kind of rare for Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Like he's somewhat notorious for phoning in some shit from time to time, especially some of those later James Bond movies. He just got kind of disengaged because he was being asked to repeat himself so mm-hmm. often and i mean for fuck's sake look at him <laughs> like yeah. you don't have to try hard when you look like that <laughs> well i mean past a certain age yeah but yeah uh, from a certain point of view <laughs> yeah um but yeah the production history on this one is i don't have as much detail as i did on the other two um largely i think because it, it just kind of came together really smoothly for the most part it doesn't have as many weird onset fiascos or snafus like like the previous two films did like i don't remember hearing of any injuries incurred by harrison no. ford which is rare because he was doing <laughs> a lot of stunts apparently in this one yeah he was doing quite a few stunts in basically all the indie movies yeah. um but he suffered severe injuries on the set of the first two films um he he threw dirt on the leg injury incurred uh during the uh, the the plane fight uh, the mm. plane ran over his leg yeah and he threw dirt on it he said fuck it, i'm okay i'm young i can get through it and then of course temple of doom he destroyed his fucking back and delayed the production by six weeks this one seemed like he did fine if i throw my back out or tweak a knee i'm done with whatever did that like that because <laughs> that that can have long a long lasting impact on your mobility oh yeah um two of the things that i know or read from the about the production on imdb was one they had uh let's see here from 7 a.m to 1 p.m to film in the venice canal So that whole sequence that we saw was just a matter of what five six hours of uh, shooting, pretty pretty impressive. What they what they got, Uh, and then the other thing was the Nazi uniforms. Uh, Apparently, these were just in Europe, like they were just somewhere, and they're the costume designers like, yeah, uh, I found these. We're just going to use them for production. I'm wondering if the flags were also there as well. Uh, I'm not sure about that, but yeah, I did. I did read the same same detail you did about the uniforms. That I forget if it was like former Czechoslovakia that they recovered them from or something. But Possibly. point point is, they were just found in storage somewhere in Europe, and they just used them for the film. What if they burned them afterwards? Because generally, like, I remember, I don't remember for what film, but uh, there was a huge Nazi flag, and they had it for the production, and then they burned it afterwards so that no one would go into the dumpsters and try to get it again. I mean, this movie is not shy about showing the filmmakers' feelings on the Nazi regime, so I wouldn't be surprised at all. Actually, I wonder if they didn't destroy them, and I haven't read any uh, trivia about Schindler's List, but Schindler's List is right around the corner. Oh, maybe put them in storage and reuse them? Yeah, maybe use it before we burn them. I mean, that's a very economical way of going about your your film career. I'm going to Google it. Yeah, (laughs) get on the Googles. Google it. Um, yeah, this was, of course, the third film in the series, uh, originally planned as a trilogy, at least in terms of like contract signings and yeah. whatnot. So George Lucas wanted Spielberg and Harrison Ford for three films. He got them to put pen to paper, uh, so that was legitimized at the beginning of the franchise. Um, and some of the original pitches for the script for this film are fucking wacky just utterly bananas um and this is this is where you, the endless debate comes up about who is actually like more 
Indy's father, like George or Stephen, mm. and this is where you can definitively just say like Stephen. <laughs> it's like George created the silhouette of what would become Indiana Jones. Stephen breathed life and gave dimension to what to what we got, uh, because George Lucas's initial pitch for this thing was. I uh, I think one of the working titles was Indiana Jones and the Monkey King. Oh God! Uh, meaning uh, Sun Wukong from a Chinese mythology, um, and there was also a lot of talk of the Fountain of Youth being the MacGuffin. Um, but the the ugliest one, and apparently in one of the latest drafts, was a uh, Indy doing battle with a ghost in a Scottish castle. Okay. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a Dan Aykroyd idea more than <laughs> more than a George Lucas idea. <laughs> Um, but yeah, this was one of those things where it's like Stephen had to show up and just write the ship. He had to he had to read the script, throw it in George's face, and be like, "George, I, I, I can't work with this." Or more appropriately, he was probably just like reading over it, and he was like, "You know what's missing, George? A dad." <laughs> <laughs> and George is like, "Oh, a big surprise there, Stephen." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's really important to note that this movie came out in 1989. Which yep. is it was a massive year for cinema, in particular for sequels in cinema. Hmm. Uh, which traditionally, at this point in in Hollywood history, sequels had diminishing returns. Hmm. So sequels were not as sure a bet as they are today. The Two Jakes, I haven't seen that. <laughs> I I really want to though, just because it's one of the few movies directed by Nicholson, and it's it's an official sequel to Chinatown, an official sequel. I just feel like the tone is going to shift dramatically from a Roman Polanski to Jack Nicholson directing. It's not well loved. Like I, <laughs> nobody said I wanted to see it because it's good. <laughs> like I just, you know, I I say this like yeah. literally every episode. Like if it's bad, that makes me want to see it more because I want to know why it's bad. So I wanted to see The Fly too. I'm like apparently it's not very good, but I want to see it for what they do with the practical effects in there. Oh, you'll have fun with that. Oh, okay. Like don't don't go in there expecting the high drama of the Goldblum and Cronenberg one because that's like top to bottom an excellent production. Mm-hmm. To the Fly too, it's like I mean for fuck's sake, Eric Stoltz. Let's say Eric Stoltz. As soon as he shows up, you know you're in for s- <laughs> like a step a half measure down in terms of quality. <laughs> But in terms of makeup effects, it was directed by one of the makeup people from the first production, uh, which is often a thing in, in like the, the horror movie sequel environment. Oh, it looks like it's readily available for your consumption. 1989. And it came out in 1989. Just oh. to further prove your point. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we had The Fly 2. We had Back to the Future 2. Uh. We had Lethal Weapon 2. Ooh. Superior sequel. Superior sequel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the big one, though, that was not a sequel, The Batman. Oh, yes. Uh, so, across the cinematic landscape, Batman 89, which there's a reason we call that movie Batman 89. It's because the year 1989 belongs to Batman. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, it, it just destroyed all the, all the box offices. Like, Batman cleaned the fuck up. Although, apparently, um, if you adjust for... Like, if you take all the merchandising out of the sales figures and stuff, apparently Last Crusade actually, like, tops it slightly in terms of international box office take. Well, I mean, it makes sense. It's the third installment, and you've got Harrison Ford and, and Sean Connery. And James Bond, a.k.a. <laughs> Sean Connery. But I, I can't help but think, like, like during production, uh, very similar to those infamous uh, behind-the-scenes clips of... Uh, 
uh, George Lucas uh, talking about Titanic during the making of Star Wars Episode One. He's like, "Oh, we're we're never going to beat Titanic. It's just it's just not possible. It's making all the money. We uh, like we need we need to add more Jar Jar. It's the only hope to beat Titanic." <laughs> you know what's incredible about Episode One? I think it did uh, gross a billion dollars. I uh, wouldn't be surprised. However, I don't think it did top Titanic. I am. I don't. I might not have, but the thing is, is George, you didn't need to put that stuff in there. Star Wars Episode One, regardless of the trailer, was going to gross oh. an insane amount of oh, money. Oh, it did just fine. Yeah. It did fine, to say the least, but the point is there exists footage of him lamenting, like him being nervous about, would... about being in direct competition with Titanic. Well... <laughs> But I'm just picturing him doing the same thing in 1989 or 88. <laughs> like, oh, Steven, I don't know, man. I, I don't know about this Batman. Yeah. There's no way we're going to beat Batman. It's like, and I don't, I don't know about this Tim guy. He, yeah. he's, like, I was talking to Billy D. Williams, and he, he said he's all into ghosts and goblins. <laughs> was that Tim Burton's directorial debut? or No. Was it no. Edward Scissorhands become, come before the... Or no, uh, Beetlejuice. Beetle guys. Yeah, okay. Betelgeuse. <laughs> yes, Beetlejuice, Beetle Guy uh, came out before, um, and I think uh, Frank and Weenie existed as a, a short film prior to that. I forget that that is probably one of my most favorite character introductions of all time, is Michael Keaton floating out of it. Ha! <laughs> <laughs> the he makes out there is just fair. And then just slowly chases them. <laughs> yeah, very slowly. <laughs> so great. Yeah, Christopher Reeve, he is not. <laughs> uh. No, Beetlejuice is wonderful. If it, like folks at home, you're not aware of this, but Kyle, literally every time he's come into my apartment this past month, has like zeroed in on my Beetlejuice 4K, yeah. and he's just like, man, it's one, gonna go missing. <laughs> it's gonna disappear. It's gonna disappear. And I'm not gonna be surprised. I'm just gonna give you a call. Or I'm gonna text you and be like, you fucker, you fucker. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. There's a ghost. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, Sean Connery was the first choice uh, for Doctor Henry Jones Jr. Uh, so Spielberg got exactly what he wanted out of that. I mean, the novelty factor of having James Bond as Indiana Jones's father, I mean, on paper, that's how that character came to be. It was like, we need an American equivalent to James Bond. So that was just poetic in how that came together. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the, the absent father, <laughs> um, the, the father-son relationship element of the story, which serves as basically the story for the movie, very much came directly from Steven Spielberg. Many, many writers were attached uh, following George Lucas's initial outline. Uh, so a lot of people touched the script to get it to where it eventually got. Was Spielberg abandoned by his father? Or did you see have like an emotionally distant father? I think there was a divorce early in his life. Okay. Um, and I think his dad was a vet too, which is probably where the World War II stuff comes from. I can see maybe like disassociated, just kind of like... But also remember, you know, divorce wasn't what it is today where it's like true. it's like 60 40 <laughs> <laughs> most marriages end in divorce yeah no like i i remember that actually like from the late 80s and early 90s of my youth like the divorced kid was an, was unusual mm. but in the years since then like it's become increasingly common and in his day i'm sure it was radically like out of out of this world like, yeah. like whoa you, your parents split there, there was more restrictions i think back then probably when his parents were alive it's like the uh the wife could not leave the husband unless he gave permission kind of thing or unless they had like good reason like proof of infidelity i mean we're i'm giggling but yes i'm sure yeah. it, it was exactly that yeah 
Um, but yeah, this is a, a recurring element in Steven Spielberg's filmography, if you're not aware. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that being said, um, obviously John Williams uh, scored the film as he has all of the Indiana Jones films with the exception. Um, I'm not sure if he's on board for the fifth one. Um, I haven't checked. What um, else is he doing? I mean, I'm just spending a billion dollars? I don't know. I mean, he's not doing nothing. Like he, he doesn't really do movies anymore unless Spielberg's attached and he is not at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we have uh, James Mangold uh, directing, and as far as I understand, George Lucas is also absent from the production as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to expect from this, but um, could be good. <laughs> it could be. Who knows? Uh, I'm I'm going to see it for sure because I'm I'm heavily invested in this franchise. But um, that's about it for production details. Like I said, not as in depth as uh, some of the other ones we've talked about this month. But uh, Kyle, you want to get uh, into our plot summary? You want to give us the rundown on The Last Crusade? Yes. Uh, so this movie follows Indiana Jones and his father uh, on their search for the Holy Grail, uh, as it were. Um, and they're Nazis, so we have to uh, we have to get around those guys. Yeah, I hate these guys, as, yeah. as Indy puts it himself. Uh, very well said, very succinct. Uh, so our movie begins, of course, with the Paramount logo. Young Indiana Jones, real quick. Yo. Now, was that Young Indiana Jones after this movie? Is that when it when they had it? It came about as a result of this movie. Okay, I was gonna say this seems like a George Lucas thing. Like it's like you can, oh, you can just add that in. You can keep making money off of this franchise. Hey, it's like, hey, Stephen, you you know about this uh, merchandising stuff? You know, yeah. action figures like they do really, they do baffle with the box office. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like just yeah, we can just keep this action going. figure variants. Ring the sponge. <laughs> yes, yes, um, that does seem like a George Lucas idea. However. Um, as far as I know, this may have actually been a Steven Spielberg thing. I almost said Steven Seagal thing. <laughs> this fucking close. Um, because uh, apparently both he and Harrison Ford were Boy Scouts. Uh, so they, they drew on, on that as something that could be a fun component of the character. Although maybe, maybe the initial inspiration for just shooting this sequence came from George Lucas. Um, this sequence is somewhat divisive, I want to say. Because it is well-constructed, it's a lot of fun to watch. But it's a little, perhaps too cute, in some of the in some of the character development yeah. they shoehorn no. into this five minutes or yeah, whatever. It's stupid. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. I don't like. It. I, I it, it's fun, yes, but I don't like what it's accomplishing. I I'm not. I don't have an opinion on it either way, to be honest. Um, I think it's just fine. I like the music that plays over the sequence. Like I said, the sequence itself is very well thought out and constructed. I think what bothers me about it is that we have another movie afterwards. <laughs> it's like at the end of a story, I'm fine with this serving as like the prologue to the final adventure of this character. But now that we have a fourth movie, it feels out of place. It also doesn't, it's not consistent with his character development from the first two films. So the first film, he's all about getting that, getting that thing and I guess getting it to a museum. Second film is just like, I'm just trying, I'm taking care of me and there's no real me trying to get it to a museum. He is a young lad. Is like it belongs in a museum. So I'm like, there's a little bit of a disconnect there. Yeah, it kind of throws a monkey wrench into that theory I was spinning yeah. from the Temple of Doom, where it's like this is an earlier chapter in his adventures. Therefore, he's a bit more of a treasure hunter. I think your theory stands up with those two movies. This this movie messes it up, but not because you were wrong, but because I think they were wrong. Yeah, I think it just comes as a consequence of trying to do too much with like in one sequence because we never revisit this again in the rest of 
the core indie franchise. So it feels like they're trying to get everything done in one swing. Uh, was River Phoenix? I mean, this is after Stand by Me, obviously. Yeah. Um, was he kind of a big deal? I don't know about his like his um, like his appeal. Like he was he like a big deal, like a Brad Renfro at the time. Also, same to my sorry, sorry. <laughs> similar. Indie, very sorry. very similar fate. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, River Phoenix, if you're not aware, is no longer with us. Yeah. Uh, he died at a very young age, but um, I want to say he was probably on the same level as Brad Renfro. Very similar, actually. Um, and, he was probably in the same casting rooms, if if you want to put easily. it that way. Yeah, yeah, easily, easily. Um, he was. I want to say his profile was higher than Brad Renfro, though. Yeah, because it feels like he's on the up here. Like he, no, he. A lot of I think a lot of directors and producers had their eye on him. Like he was going places. In fact, the reason he's in this movie is because Harrison Ford asked Steven Spielberg. He said, "Hey, I did a movie with this kid River Phoenix called The Mosquito Coast." He oh. literally played my son in that. So we spent a lot of time on the set together. That's cool. Um, and you can, I hate to say it, but it's like, you, you can see that he had a future, man. Like, he, he was a very talented actor. His brother, obviously, oh, uh, incredibly talented yeah. actor. If you haven't seen it, uh, not, not call me by your name. <laughs> <laughs> That's a different... Um, uh, the Joaquin Phoenix movie where he's the fucking hitman with the hammer. I can't even remember it now. Oh, shit. Uh, it's got one of those titles exactly. that, that I get mixed up. It's like, it's only four. God forgives, the night comes for us. It, it, it only, only comes, comes at night. night. <laughs> it's one uh, of those. You were never really... He- no, that's That's the, the fake documentary. That's the fake documentary. <laughs> God damn it. It has one of those yeah. fucking titles. Yeah, go- Kyle's going to Google it. If you haven't seen it, when I find the name, you should watch it. Um, I still haven't seen My Own Private Idaho, which is Keanu and River Phoenix, which I really would like to see. Yeah, I've heard good things about that, and uh, Brad from the Cinema Speak podcast has continually reminded me that i need to watch the master um oh, the paul thomas anderson film which has apparently both joaquin phoenix and uh, your boy mm-hmm. philip seymour hoffman you uh, get off your ass with that uh, the two of them apparently both just knock it out of the fucking park Not- brad has been pretty consistent in saying uh, joaquin's oscar should have come from that as opposed to the joker i it, it's not my favorite joaquin uh, it's not my wa- favorite Joaquin performance, but it is one of my favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performances. Okay, well, it, Paul Thomas Anderson, I'll, yeah. I'll show up for that. But, <laughs> but yeah, apparently uh, River Phoenix was in a film called The Mosquito Coast, which I haven't personally seen. But what's you, were never, of, you were never really here. Sorry, that is the Joaquin Phoenix. You were never really here. See what? I, do you see, folks? Yeah. What we were talking about about the fucking title? We were we were like right there <laughs> and we named like at least three other three four other movies that literally exist with yep. titles that close to it yeah um but uh river phoenix um you can tell that he he gave a performance like he's not in this movie very much but his body language and the way he uses his face it's like he spent a lot of time just hanging around harrison ford and imitating him i can see that and it's so awesome to pick up on the little details because like kyle and i have been watching indiana jones movies all this month so we've had a lot of face time with indy yeah so like we're we're perfect for picking up on some of these details but just like the way he holds his arms out at his side when he like runs down a hallway or like jumps off of a dirty hill and like some of his like his grimaces where he looks thoroughly embarrassed like when he fails to jump on the horse and stuff like you can tell that he really spent a lot of time trying to get this very tiny performance just right and it's kind of a shame that we didn't get more out of him but um yes uh the first sequence in this film is young indiana jones um in utah 1912 
Uh, so this is roughly like 25 years before any any adventure we've seen Indy in at this point. And we see uh, River Phoenix as young Indy um, and his Boy Scout troop uh, hanging around some really incredible rock formations. Uh, I forgot to check where these were actually filmed, but um, basically he and his uh, his buddy, uh, a fat kid, a fat kid. Yeah. It was 1989, so we're we're making fat kid jokes. Yeah. Like, like we just had him in the holster ready yeah, to go we did it was that uh the oh God, i can't remember i'm turning into an old man when i'm trying to remember uh, names of movies goonies had a fat kid uh the kids with the vampire uh fucking fucking oh, i can't even remember now keep going I'm, i apologize <laughs> it, like the lost group, boys lo- not the lost boys <laughs> but like stand by me had the fat kid uh it, it was like a, uh like dracula frankenstein all the or not frankenstein, frankenstein oh the monster squad monster squad there we go yeah. they had a fat kid literally yeah. named the fat kid yeah like that's his name in the credits fat I kid didn't even realize that his name is actually i think like horace or maurice one of those names a fat kid name yeah, fat if kid you will yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah it wasn't until like the 2000s where no, we're still making fat jokes. Yeah, no, we're still doing it. Yeah, like fat fat kid jokes are still fat kid jokes, not as much. No, fat, fat people like fat guy fall down jokes are still very much a thing in Hollywood. Fat Thor, yeah, yeah, for sure. But but in in the late eighties, early nineties, oh, <laughs> like you couldn't make a movie without a fat kid. <laughs> I'm gonna go pick a fight. <laughs> <laughs> no, like my brother and I have always loved uh, heavyweights. Oh uh, yeah, that's great. That, that movie is so amazing because it tries to have it both ways. Yeah. Because it's supposed to be about, like, the fat acceptance movement, but the entire runtime of the movie is devoted to making fun of them yeah. for being fat. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's an amazing comedy. Yeah. I, I find it hilarious. Not for cruel reasons. I think it's actually a good script and a fun movie. Can we talk about this? Like, so, yeah, the, the boys are, I guess, going on a hike, but it seems like Indy and his fat friend just go off to do their own thing, or maybe they, they're on the trail of somebody doing some stuff. Uh, they they're going on like a, I think it's like a, a hike basically. Yeah. So they dismount from their horses, maybe to take a break, maybe to go hang out in the long grass, which we don't have in Utah. But, yeah. Um, but he and a, he and the fat kid, they just uh, I think they break off from the group, so they go adventuring. There there are a few instances of this in this movie where people just kind of teleport and get to where they need to be, mm-hmm. kind of unexpectedly. Yeah. Which, which is kind of what I was alluding to when I said about the somewhat haphazard construction in comparison to Raiders, which to me, like, every piece of it feels, like, so tightly put together. Yeah. I mean, there are some instances, for sure, where it's just like, hang on, how did they get there? Riding a submarine? Yeah. Yes, for sure. But in terms of, like, action construction, I want to say that they, they don't cheat as much mm-hmm. in, in Raiders as they do in this one. But yeah, they, they go into some caves. And uh, we come across some, like, I want to call them, like, grave robbers, I guess. Well, you've got three rednecks and uh, <laughs> some dude that's overseeing the operation. I'm guessing he works the dude who looks like the guy that Robert De Niro assassinates in Godfather 2. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, yeah, they're they're just, like, they find this chest and there's a just a cross, like a, a nice big, huge medallion thing. And uh, the guy that's work, the the guy with the hat, the hat guy, he's literally credited as Fedora, I believe. Yes. Apparently, it's supposed to be Ravenwood. Uh, it's supposed to end up being. Oh, it w- was supposed to be Ravenwood. Abner. The yeah, it was supposed to be his um his mentor, become wow. his mentor. That's from the trivia. I don't know how true that is. I mean, Indiana Jones. See, one thing that is a little difficult about certain franchises when Kyle and I talk about them for quote masterclass month is that certain franchises span further 
further limits than just film. Mm -hmm. And Indiana Jones is very much that. There have been multiple video games and computer games with full, fully fleshed out adventures of their own. There have been novels. There, there's a lot of like almost like Star Wars expanded universe type shit involved in Indiana Jones. Star Wars is huge. Star Wars was huge, and then it imploded, and now it's huge again. Yeah, oh, no, it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't even, I can't even comprehend how much shit there is now. Yeah, I was trying to explain that to my girlfriend the other day about what happened when Disney acquired Star Wars because they they hit the the history eraser button mm -hmm. on all the expanded universe <clears throat> stuff. So if it didn't happen in the movies, it didn't happen. But now, in terms of like the the breadth of of the expanded universe, it's back basically to where it was. Yeah. Like even though they reset it like not that long ago, <laughs> but it's so much better now. I will say. I don't know, man. Like Mandalorian, you, you better watch out. One of our six fans on the <laughs> internet, they might be flipping their shit right now. <laughs> that Clone War shit that that was under Lucas. That wasn't under Disney. And I, I it's got a big following. The Clone well, Wars thing is is all, yeah. all I'll say is that there were a shit ton of novels and like rpgs and mm -hmm. video games created for the initial expanded universe for star wars that when that history eraser button was pushed a lot of people felt it like they're like but that's where all my favorite stuff resides and now it doesn't matter anymore right until disney decides they can profit from it again i did have a jaw drop i'm like why the fuck would you do that in the mandalorian <laughs> but on the whole, it's a great, the great two seasons. I gotta watch it. You do. You really, I, really do. Am, am I wrong in, in mis? Am I misquoting you in saying one of your favorite Star Wars things? Yeah, it's one of my favorite Star. That and Rogue One are two of, two of my most favorite Star Wars okay, things. You, Aside from you know Empire Strikes Back, obviously. Well, you heard it here, folks. Yeah. But <laughs> I, I hadn't read that about this guy potentially being Abner Ravenwood. So that that's very fascinating because officially in the cast he is listed as Fedora. Fedora. Uh, so he doesn't even have a name. But yes, uh, Indy and his fat friend, his husky buddy, <laughs> uh, they stumble across these grave robbers, one of whom is named Garth, by the way. Nice. <laughs> Garth Algar, <laughs> senior. Um, and uh, this is where we get our uh, It Belongs in a Museum. Yeah. Uh, so the grave robbers have a, uh, a cross, it's like a Coronado cross, I think they call it, and it was handed off to like some Spanish conquistador or something named Fran uh, Cortez. Um, and so Indy spies it, he instantly recognizes it, and he's like, oh, they're going to steal that shit. Mm -hmm. It belongs in a museum, as Indy is wont to say. Um, and it's interesting here, because he he's like instructing uh, his husky friend uh, to go get help from town. Like, yeah. like He's telling him, go do the Lassie thing. Yeah, I was going to say, it's Lassie. Yeah, it's the Lassie thing, but uh, a snake rolls up on them while he's talking and without even considering it he just kind of picks it up and he actually dismisses it he's just like it's just a snake fat kid yeah and yeah that's this, yeah it's no. just a snake yeah. yeah that was a fun bit like like the girlfriend keyed in on that she was like hang on what now <laughs> but it develops yeah i was like give it a minute yeah. <laughs> if you get yeah um, but he crawls down there and he, he snags the cross like he swipes it from them when everybody's not looking and then as he's climbing out of out of this hole in the ground uh, he breaks part of the ladder and all the thugs uh, they see him and uh, they give chase yeah. and uh, we have our opening chase sequence for the film uh, almost, almost like a James Bond pre-credits uh, yeah. chase sequence but we already had the credits but um, we also get like a, a funny gag here where this is where we get to see River Phoenix do his, his physical acting, where he's, like, bounding down this dirt hill, and all the scouts have moved on without him, so he's all alone now. 
Um, and just the way he has his arms splayed out and the way he kind of like looks from left to right, it, it's very Harrison Ford-like. Like you can see Indy in him, even when he's wearing his Boy Scout uniform. Uh, but he tries to call his horse, like he whistles for it. And like the way the set is shot, like the, the way the shots are set up, it looks straight out of like Zorro or something. Yeah. And um, then the horse like deftly runs up as soon as he whistles for it and he jumps and he, it like moves. Yeah. I mean, he just falls flat on his fucking face. And just the look he gives, it's like... Yeah, nobody saw that, but but you still feel like yeah. everybody did. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, they give chase in a 1912 truck, which explains why the horse is outrunning them. <laughs> yeah, I think that went like 40 miles an hour tops. <laughs> it's it's, it's kind of neat to see, because it's like, hang on, is that horse outpacing that truck? Easily. <laughs> yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, but yeah, then we get to the train, Kyle. Yeah, the train. Uh, this is where we get... Uh, did you notice the giraffes? With their heads sticking out of the, the train. Um, yeah, he jumps onto the train, and he's, like, moving back on, on top to get into one of the cars. I think the first car, is it the reptile? He goes into the reptiles. Yeah, I, I absolutely love the tracking shot when they first get onto the yeah. train. Yeah, it, it looks straight out of, like, a Buster Keaton Correct. Uh, film. Yeah. Uh, the general, in, like, specifically. Uh, which is, of course, about a train. But just the way it, it's set up, it's so perfectly panning in like the whole length of the train and it's a long shot too it feels very old-fashioned they knew exactly what they were doing with that they're paying tribute to the stunt work of old and yeah the first car that they enter is the the reptile house (laughs) so yeah there's alligators snakes we see the alligators that's where i'm like fuck that was just (laughs) joe i'm not messing around with alligators um but yeah then there's uh snakes i think he gets dropped in does he see the big snake first or does he get dropped into the the snakes first so, so they're crawling along this like Pla- it's like feeding platform kind yeah of thing. yeah it's, it's like it's not like snowflake kind of thing yeah it, it's like a, a series it's like a catwalk almost, yeah. suspended above the the bins containing all the reptiles and then of course it, it's not intended to support the weight of multiple grown men and you know young indiana jones yeah. Uh, so it breaks off at the end, and he he tumbles ass over tea kettle down into a water bin, which happens to like house a uh, amphibious uh, snake. Apparently, yeah, uh, a water snake, which are usually known to be the most venomous. Yeah, don't, fuck, <laughs> don't fucks with that. And it's a big old puppet. <laughs> I'm usually not too afraid of snakes, even if I know that they're poisonous. Unless I'm afraid of any snake in water. Like even if I even if I know that the snake's not poisonous, if I see a snake, uh uh-uh, uh, that absolutely not. That's the most. I'm scared of water, large <laughs> bodies of water as it is, but you add a snake into the mix, fuck off. Oh, yeah. No, you, you are meant to be afraid of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and they are known to be the, some of the most venomous snakes on the planet, so yeah. it's good that you're afraid of that. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, a, a big old Muppet just, yeah. just comes out and, yeah. <laughs> and says, hi! <laughs> it's got goofy, derpy fangs. I'm a snake! I'm a snake! Yeah. And yeah, its jaw doesn't quite line up perfectly, so it looks a little It looks a little. It's gnarly. silly, yeah. The, all of the puppets in the sequence are terrible. <laughs> like I'll just say that straight up: those giraffes, yeah. the, the snakes, the rhino's the worst. Um, uh, real lion, though. Real uh, lion's just fine. Yeah, lion. Th- that lion was on a union gig. Yeah. He, he got paid. <laughs> yes, but where we get Indiana's fear of snakes, yes. which would, I promise you, would make anybody afraid of snakes, is that he gets dropped into a big thing of gar- uh, gardener snakes, basically. Yeah. Not not poisonous, but he is fucking River Phoenix in a box of snakes, and you can hear him, ah, ah, ah. like, his reaction to it, it's like, there is the phobia, right there. Yeah, the particular scream he gives is kind of pitch perfect, because it's not, it's not like a, like a, ah! 
it, it's like <laughs> he switches from there like yeah. he's like it's getting the fuck out of here yeah now. yeah apparently my dad actually had something very similar to this. Yeah, yeah apparently it happened to him he was he was uh, injured and in a in a bed and they like put him down on top of a family of snakes. Oh my god! Oh, and I, and he was injured, so he couldn't do anything. He was just stuck. One snake? I'll fuck with one snake. That's fine. More than one? Uh-uh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh uh. Yeah. So, uh. Uh-uh. Like my dad has walked out of a few movies for very specific reasons. Like fire stuff, he doesn't like. Um, and I would not be surprised if this was one of those moments where he's just like, nope. <laughs> just like, <laughs> I'm not a hundred percent, you know, I'm not a huge fan of open carry, but if I get, if I get dropped into a bed of snakes, I'm open carry from, from here on out. <laughs> I'm just picturing Kyle just like dumping his entire mag and then, <laughs> and then looking like Jeff Daniels at the end of Dumb and Seriously. <laughs> with the gun held sideways and upside down. Funny story. I don't know. Uh, this has to do with rats, but when my mother was a child, they had a little playground next to their apartment complex or like just in the neighborhood by her house and uh, the, somebody had not taken the trash they hadn't picked up the trash in a long time so there was like this huge swarm of rats that had taken over the dumpster and for some reason they put the dumpster right by the fucking uh, playground so all the kids like ran away screaming once they realized there was rats so my grandfather uh, grabbed his revolver and went to the dumpster and just started shooting rats <laughs> by a playground well, it's a different time uh, yeah I was about to say it's uh, the 70s apparently my girlfriend's brother has been uh, assassinating mice and rats with a plank of wood yeah, he's doing God's work. Yes, yes. Some of the, some of the family members disagree. They're like, "Please stop texting us these these updates." But girlfriend seems like she's like kind of interested. Actually, pet mice and rats. I'm fine with. They're cute. I'm I'm all for that. In the wild, shoot it. Tell them to shoot it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. But um, yeah, uh, he he rolls out of this uh, bin of snakes, and then he makes an exit from this particular train car. Uh, and then he moves on to the next one. He has to take a second to pull a snake out of his, his, his pants. pants. Uh, and then, right. That snake is dead, by the way. <laughs> like He throws it off yeah. that train into the woods. Yeah. But this dude that's pursuing him, uh, Garth, the guy with the dumb hat... Uh, not that dumb hat. Not, yeah. the, not the tall dumb hat. Like the small, like pa- like newspaper boy. Yeah, hat. that guy. Um, that guy. He pulls a knife on India. Yeah, right, right. This is a child. That's what I was saying. Like I didn't notice that until this viewing, but I was like, dude, that guy is trying to stab this child. Yeah. <laughs> like, and he's a very young man. <laughs> well, he's a sprightly like seventeen or eighteen here, uh, but still. But he's trying to stab him. Yeah. <laughs> he's trying to kill him for a cross, but. Yeah, I, I guess they needed a way to inject drama into this sequence. So they, they had this guy pull a knife on young Indy, but uh, they start wrestling uh, on top of the uh, the train car housing a rhino, which uh, apparently uh, John Carl Buechler, uh, famous, famous, absolutely famous um, makeup effects guy. Mm. Uh, he passed away fairly recently as far as memory serves. He worked on the Nightmare on Elm Street films and oh, wow. the Friday the 13th films. Um, and he's directed a handful of movies. He seemed, all makeup effects guys seem like very interesting, cool people to me. Yeah. Like they always make for wonderful interviews and a lot of them tend to have like very warm personalities. And he was very much that. Apparently he was recruited to uh, touch up this rhino prop. He didn't design yeah. it, but he was hired to like make it look better. Sorry, Carl, you, <laughs> John Carl, however you want to say it, didn't, didn't give your finest effort because this this rhino touched up or otherwise still looks like ass. I mean, it's a, it's a minor part of a huge movie. It's in so. two shots yeah. of the movie, but it doesn't move well. It has the wrong texture to it. 
the fact that they they added like tears to its eyes like it mm. just draws attention to the incorrect skin texture of the rhino it just doesn't look good um anyway uh they're tussling on top of the train car causes like a, uh, a lantern to fall on its head and it pisses off the rhino so it starts like gouging upward with its its horn uh to try to stab whoever is up on top of the train car and we get a comedic beat where indy and this fella are struggling and then the rhino horn comes up between his legs and i think his response is holy smokes yeah. <laughs> it's a very 1912 expression yeah. I guess. holy but, smokes yeah. but it, it's cute it, like the music even just kind of like dips out for a second just to draw attention to the fact that like oh dude indy almost lost his balls to that one um and then we head to the lion uh, train car, Kyle. That's where I would be. That's where superhuman strength comes from. That's where adrenaline kicks in. Because if you're face-to-face with a lion and there's a, a hatch for you to jump out the top, you are like you are superhuman jumping out of that fucking <laughs> hole. Yeah. <laughs> that would kick in on me quick. But yeah, this is where he grabs the whip. And I read that they use this because I never noticed this, but I guess Harrison Ford had a scar on his chin that he had for several years at that point. And... I never would have noticed it, and but apparently this is supposed to be him using the whip for the first time and whipping himself in the chin, and it's supposed to explain the scar, which I don't really need. You could have just used this as this is where he got the whip from, as it being a useful tool. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I never noticed the chin scar on Harrison Ford until they drew attention to it. It's kind of like Tina Fey. Like, I didn't notice that Her she, scar, yeah. Yeah, I didn't know she has a facial scar until she brought attention to it in an interview one day. Yeah, I never would have picked up on it. But also, I think, because I'm a huge fan of 30 Rock, they often, uh, they put quite a bit of makeup, I believe, oh. on it. But they also, like, angle it so it's not in the shot as much. Uh, but yeah, but with, with Harrison Ford, it's just like, you're, like, you're attract. You're like you. You go immediately to his smile. You're not looking at his chin, or you're looking at his hairline. Well, and he he's one of those people that even in his early thirties had lines on his face, mm-hmm. like like lines of distinction, not yeah. not like old man wrinkles. But like he has he has a certain kind of construction to his face that you just kind of lump that in with the wrinkles or yeah. whatever. Never would um, But yeah, I mean, it's one of those details that it's kind of neat mm-hmm. because it. It helps that the first shot we have of adult indie in this movie kind of zeroes mm-hmm. in on that. So it, it's welcome. Yeah. I don't I don't think it diminishes from it. It's just one of those funny details I I really wouldn't have noted the significance of it unless yeah. unless I had read or heard about it. Um but yeah, he grabs a whip off the wall and he uses it to like hold the lion at bay not very well but this lion <laughs> just about gets a hold of him oh yeah yeah no it, it touches him yeah it touches him <laughs> it, <laughs> it puts hands on him <laughs> i like like dropping into the snakes and then having a lion uh, touch me uh when it's trying to attack me i'm staying inside for a while like <laughs> i'm not i'm not going outside i'm never going to africa <laughs> and i'm never going to a place with uh, that has a lot of snakes <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely but um, the the people who are chasing him actually bail him out of yeah. this because they have him throw throw him the whip. There is no idol to exchange, but they have him throw him the whip and uh, they haul him up out of there uh, just in time for the lion to almost eat him. Um, by the way, there's a really cool stunt uh, earlier in the sequence where it's like one of those uh, mail bags that uh, trains run into. Like in yeah, the old days, yeah. they used to do that. I was wondering how he gets out of this. Yeah, but uh, it doesn't factor into his escape. But it's just a fun beat where he he does the traditional action adventure beat of a drop kicking someone while swinging from something. It's it's white white guy action one hundred and one. Like like if there is something to swing on and drop kick someone from, it will be done. Yeah, like, like in the long tradition of Errol Flynn and and Buster Keaton and stuff. Yes. 
Well, <laughs> so I love that shot in uh, Prince of Thieves where Kevin Costner, like the the barbarians are coming, and he's just they're up on the on the tree, all up in the trees and stuff, and he just sees the rope across the way. And he's like, "Oh, I'm jumping for that rope, a hundred percent." It's one of my favorite shots in that movie. Is yeah, I'm looking at folks the rope. at home, if you're you're likely not aware of this, but this was some this was a concept that I brought up during our, our review of the Three Musketeers, the, mm-hmm. the Disney version. Excellent movie. Yeah, Kyle's a big fan of that one. Love he it. had a, he had us review it. Very very early in the show's history, and I pointed out that it's like, like, what is it? What is it with white guys and swinging on things and kicking people? <laughs> but yes, you're absolutely right. Oh yeah, it's happening. <laughs> but he uses this mailbag thing to get out of this situation to get in front of Fedora guy. Yeah, and I noticed a, a little bit of continuity issue here. It, it's so minor; it doesn't detract. It, it's just a thing that I noticed because I've seen this movie a million times, and I'm at that point where I'm looking for weird esoteric details. Um. When they pull young Indy up out of the, the lion train car, one of these guys has a revolver that he's, like, in the process of pulling up to his fucking head. And then in the very next shot, you can see Fedora, like, holding the barrel, like, at the guy's side. Hmm. So they cut out the bit where he put the gun down and said, like, don't put the gun in the kid's face or something. I actually kind of would have appreciated that. Yeah. Um, but it's just a weird thing where it's like, whoa, the gun teleported. Um, but you can tell, like, the guy is obviously about to put the gun in his fucking face. Yeah. Um, but we have the reiteration of that that belongs in a museum. Um, and then Indy, they're, they're, like, going for the cross. They're taking it from him. But he manages to get away because uh, Garth, uh, the guy that had the knife earlier, um, while he's, like, wrestling with his wrists or something, a snake comes out of Indy's shirt and, ah. like, coils its way onto the guy and he flips out and then, uh, they break away and... Uh, Indy hits the next train car, which just happens to be a magic caboose. This doesn't make any sense. This, I, I, every time I've watched this, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make a lick of sense. It does not. Um, but the producer of all three of these films, Frank Marshall, apparently had a background in magic. Yeah. Make of that what you will. <laughs> I don't trust anyone that has a background in magic. <laughs> I think Neil Patrick Harris does, and they play it. Either he learned it for being Barney on How I Met Your Mother, or he just does have a background in magic, and it totally works in that series. I I wouldn't be surprised if he did just have a background in magic, but that works really well for that character because of the, the magic community and the pickup artist community, their parallels to one ah, another. I didn't even think about that. Exactly. Oh, I mean, that's brilliant. Yeah. I mean, that, that's where the mystery method or whatever came from. I mean, for fuck's sake, that guy got like an E or a VH1 show out of that. And, and of course, there's that book, um, which I have read, by the way. The Bro Code? Not the Bro Code. Um, I, I forget what the title of the book is, but it's written by someone who used to write for Rolling Stone who found himself immersed in the pickup artist community. Oh, the, so he was, oh, the pickup artist. So he was hanging okay. out. Well, a lot of them were magicians. <laughs> and they had to find new No, the, pe- the people who in- invented that, who created that community, that niche community, Weird. were largely comprised of magicians. Are you peacocking right now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's like, Trevor, are you wearing a fedora during this whole podcast? <laughs> oh, God. Um, interesting book, though. Uh, it's You don't read it to learn the methodology. You read no. it because it's an interesting narrative. Makes with, sense. With strange people in it. But anyway, uh, yes, that doesn't make a lick of sense. I want to say this was shoehorned in there because Steven Spielberg can only fight off external elements so much on his productions. Like... Imagine spending, like, the past decade just 
wrestling with George Lucas and like going through a divorce with George Lucas and and then this producer guy Frank Marshall comes up he's like hey Steven we should put a magic trick in an Indiana Jones movie he's like you're just so tired it's just like you just you can't you can't win every battle fuck's wrong with you yeah <laughs> Steven's just fine, fine. <laughs> just fine yeah he he, go, he jumps into this box and you're wondering how he's gonna get out of it because Fedora walks in and sees the box moving he's like alright kid you're uh, done and then he's like oh shit the, the back the, the box just fucking uh, falls apart and Indy uh, falls out the bottom of the train somehow this this train's going fast by the way this is not a slow moving train uh, but yeah he he manages to escape yeah. and I mean this train's been going for a while I mean he's got a long run back to town um, but somehow he does make it back to town uh, on, on foot in yeah. the desert yeah. <laughs> but he gets uh, he gets back to his little house the Jones residence yeah. um, and we get kind of introduced to uh, uh, his dad who I was tr- I was listening is it Sean Connery doing the voice it is I think he changed his voice to sound younger okay I don't think it was done in post I don't, I, I don't think they modulated his voice I think he just cleaned it up to sound like a more youthful version of himself and this is where we get the the setup of uh like the character development between he and his father throughout the film because uh, he's like dad i gotta tell you something like, no not not right now no <laughs> and then he stops and he's like in in latin is that what he greek like, in greek tell me in greek yes this is count to 20 <laughs> in greek, in greek. <laughs> <laughs> and then he actually he complies so yeah. this is like it's kind of amazing the shorthand of of this couple of lines of dialogue is like we learned that they kind of have a rocky relationship with each other there is a distance his dad doesn't even turn around and look at him during this whole conversation uh indy has this energy and enthusiasm suggesting whatever it is he's trying to get his father's attention about it's very important to him yeah obviously it doesn't he doesn't effectively communicate that so dad doesn't give a shit um and then yeah he asks him to count count to 20 count to 20 in greek (laughs) <laughs> um, and yet then we see that Indy despite you know being a, a Boy Scout adventurer at this point also like he recognized the cross mm-hmm. he knows Greek numbers yeah. like he's educated like yeah. he's been hitting the books uh, so we learn quite a bit about these characters and we get to see the dog yeah we get uh, to see the dog Indiana yeah Indiana <laughs> yeah we get to see the dog he's adorable uh, I don't know if this was anyone like George Lucas's actual dog. Probably. I think I think that Alaskan Malamute had probably passed away by the time they got to this one. I wouldn't be surprised if it was his uh, his his dog. Oh, by the way, uh, I forgot to mention during the production details, um, the movies that came out between Temple of Doom and uh, this film uh, on Spielberg's resume. Um, if I remember correctly, it was uh, the color purple. He did the color purple. He did. Oh wow. Um, and that movie has a complicated legacy because it was generally well received, but obviously there were criticisms about it. Um, a lot of the material, um, the general complaint about the movie was they found the most diplomatic way of phrasing this was um, it would have been better if the director had a more personal connection to the source material. It's yeah. like, i.e., if he was black. Yeah. <laughs> That's a that's a legitimate criticism. Yeah, and you know if he was able to actually tackle some of the lesbian romance stuff, it's like it's, he he even he fessed up. He said I, I was a little sheepish about the lesbian stuff. Like I it was oh, it's uh-huh. not really personal to me, so I wasn't sure how to frame it. I'd be curious to watch it now. I, I've seen pieces of it before, but uh, I'd be curious to watch it now and see how it holds up or like how it actually played out. Yeah. So we had the color purple. Um, if memory serves, uh, Empire of the Sun was after that 
um, which is isn't that Christian Bale? Yeah, Christian debut. Bale. Uh, very complicated film. Uh, deals with some very heavy material involving World War II and the oh. Japanese. Oh wow! Just um, making his way through the <laughs> World War II. Uh, very heavy shit. And then uh, we also had a film called Always, which is apparently a remake of a, a film that I haven't seen. I haven't seen either of them, but it's one of those. Point is, we have three. <laughs> we have three three dramas that are are kind of low key on Spielberg's resume. Gotcha. So the reason why I wanted to go into detail about this is because I think it's very fascinating to look at where where a director is in their career when they come into a project mm-hmm. and how they come out of it. So uh, Raiders, 1941. Spielberg's kind of feeling shitty about himself. He wants a leg up, so he's like, we're going to do something quick and dirty. We're going to have fun. We're going to make it fast. And it's going to be great. And it was. And then Temple of Doom, it's like, He's riding high. He just did E.T. Mm-hmm. not too long ago. He is at the peak, man. Like, you can't get higher than that. I think E.T. was 78, wasn't it? 82, I think. 82? Okay. Uh, early 80s. Okay. Um, but now we have a situation where he's coming into The Last Crusade after having done essentially three dramas. It was 82. 80, yeah, I know shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, it, the, the brother's hair always throws me off because it look, it's a 70s haircut. It is. Yeah. It very much is. Yeah. But, but yeah, we have Spielberg coming into The Last Crusade. Uh, after having done three dramas and if you look at his resume from the last crusade for the next decade oh my god just he, he just he was destroying the box office. <laughs> like he was having his way with the box office. just whipping it in the nuts just yeah. just just slapping it <laughs> just side to side paint to fence um, oh he did the twilight zone movie as well uh yeah he did a segment of, of the oh. twilight zone movie gotcha. um but yeah, uh, also John Williams kind of, I mean, he was riding high throughout the entire, you know, since his career began. But uh, this movie actually represents, I want to say, like a, a style shift where uh, if you think of this movie in Home Alone, there's there's kind of a flavor that he adopts that carries on through his like the next decade of his career. Uh, Hook has a similar sound to it. Uh, you could argue Jurassic Park also does as well. It's a much cleaner, more vibrant sound as opposed to like if you look at Raiders, it's it's kind of grimy. Yeah. Um, so the two of them kind of just like hit their stride. Holy and shit! Yeah, Kyle, Kyle was aghast. He, he's a gape looking yeah. looking at these movies that came out after last year. From ninety one to two thousand five, it is just it is just incredible. I I have to just real quick. We got Hook ninety one, Jurassic Park ninety three, Schindler's List ninety three. You heard that right. Something. Uh, Lost World, Amistad, Saving Private Ryan, something. And that's about where where like the astronomical rise kind of tapers off a little. For a second. Still still good. Still good. But in terms of astronomical rise, I think that's kind of where it hits it the bump. It dips slightly. Yeah. And then it goes AI is where it dips. Minority Report, which I always forget that he did. Underrated. Under It's it's incredible. Uh, Catch Me If You Can, which I've never seen. Terminal, you can... You can keep that. And then the World of the Worlds remake, which is, I, I enjoy that movie still. It's two-thirds of a great movie. Two-thirds. Crap, crap. <laughs> then Munich, and then after Munich, it's pretty much all downhill. Yeah, all then, then he kind of tapers off, and it's all, it's all fine. Lincoln right. and Bridge of Spies are both really good. Yeah. 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 He rarely does straight up bad. Like yeah. It's usually just fine. Ready Player One. But anyway, uh, history lesson concluded. I, I, I just the movie. I, I really wanted to make sure to say that. I can't believe I forgot to. Yeah. But. I think it's important because yeah. it's really interesting to to look at the the bookends of mm-hmm. a production. Um, so uh, Indy is being told to count to 
20 in Greek, uh, which he is doing. And then the fat kid comes to the house. With and, a trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> yeah, shut up! <laughs> um, he literally like yanks it out of yeah. his mouth. It's pretty great. But uh, he brought the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, so he literally did the, the, ta- the, the Tonto or the Lassie thing. <laughs> Tonto goes to town. Lassie goes to town. Um, and uh, the sheriff disappoints Indy by bringing in the grave robbers and uh, basically just snatching the yeah. cross from him. And we see the man in the Panama hat outside, uh, and he's given the cross. And then we have uh, a scene transition here where the fedora guy steps up to Indy, and he's like, hey, you lost today, kid. Doesn't mean you have to like it. Why would he like it? I never understood that line. It's I, I know it's a really famous line from these movies, but I'm like, what the fuck does that even mean? Of course I, he doesn't like it. He lost. Why would he like it? <laughs> I don't know. I think it, it's it's like man speak for like it, like dust yourself off and try again next time. It is, but there's a better way of saying there, it. There there is a better way of saying it. It's like it you know, Dan Aykroyd maybe he visited the set, he's like, find a way to say more words <laughs> But um he gives Indy his fedora. Oh, could you imagine if he was one of the guys with the fez? If Dan Aykroyd was one of those guys with a mustache, oh that would be a lot of fun. Oh, that would have been amazing. That would have been a lot, a lot of fun. <laughs> I I just want to see Dan Aykroyd run more. Yeah. Like, it's not a thing I've seen very I don't often. think I've ever seen him run. Yeah, I've never seen oh. him move at speed. Casper. He does run out of the uh, the house in Casper with his... He's got too much shit on, though. Yeah. Like, but he, it's still funny watching him run, because he's just like going down the steps really yeah, quick. He, 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 <laughs> he shuffles yeah. down really quick. Man, you get him on the combine. He's got the yeah. quick feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, he gifts Indy his hat and then we have a, a really cool transition yeah transition very akin to say like stanley kubrick's 2001 with the bone transitioning into what the space station or the shuttle yeah uh, so he lowers his head with the fedora on and as he raises it up we jump ahead to uh the portuguese coast in 1938 and we are in the rain and it's an extreme close-up of Harrison Ford. He's already got blood coming out of his mouth, but he gives his Harrison Ford smile, yeah. and then he just eats a knuckle sandwich. <laughs> so it's a it's a fun comedic beat because the Raiders March is playing, and it's like yay, I, adult indie, and then whack. I like I like this rendition. I like this transition, and I like because uh, like the Raiders like da 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 da. It's really bright. This is this is a little bit different, like the way it's it's, it's slowed down a half measure, da- down a half. But even like the instruments that are being used, it just it's a little more dull, but it's a little bit more serious. I don't know. I I like the way it's done. I all credit to John Williams. I want to say this this period of his career is where his sound. I want to say was like cleanest and most approachable. Um, mm-hmm. I want to say this is the soundtrack of the indie films I've, I've listened to the most. Uh, it has some of my favorite pieces in the whole thing. I think Schindler's List is going to break you down. Uh, I know the music. Yeah, Itzhak Perlman did the the strings. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard some of his klezmer music and and of course his violin solos and stuff. And yes, that melody is soul crushing. That that might destroy you. <laughs> it, it it should. Yeah, like, it, it's that kind of movie. And yes, I absolutely need to see it. Um, um, but yeah, uh, the Raiders March plays for the first time in in the indie timeline um mm. when he's on the train like as he's yeah. making his escape like the first notes of it appear during the lion scene and then we actually get like a whole movement of it as he's escaping the train but then we revisit it here uh, during the scene transition yeah there's a life lesson here guys uh if you're if you're listening out there if you're on a boat and it's raining and your <laughs> adversary is a guy who does not work and is in a white suit with a white hat 
do not piss him off because you are going to go off of that boat, and that is not where you want to be. Oh yeah, yeah, no, you that that, that math adds up. Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> don't, basically, don't have an adversary that wears white suits all the time with a white hat. White suits and a red flower in the breast of his suit. Like, that, is that, a, that is like nature. Like uh, there's a Far Side comic, nature's way of saying "do not touch." Do not touch this guy. <laughs> he is he's, he's in something illegal, and it's probably cocaine. <laughs> oh yes, most certainly cocaine and rare antiquities. Yes, just on the side. Though. On the side, <laughs> side hustle. <laughs> Um, so I'm I'm going to go on record here, Kyle, and this may be an unpopular opinion. I really don't like this scene. No, I was gonna I was like we should just like just breeze past this. Yeah, uh, folks at home, if you're not aware, this this prologue sequence we had a prologue sequence followed by another prologue sequence yeah. of Indiana Jones uh, in the present in 1938. Now uh, on a ship in the rain, it's like a, a some sort of tanker ship. Uh, the Panama Man is back, and we see that uh, they're once again feuding over the possession of the cross it from the belongs in a museum. Yeah, so do you. Yeah, I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand that line either. Yeah, it's like you're you're older what? than me. <laughs> like you were you were a grown man when I was a child. Fuck so, you. Some of the some of the yeah some of the line choices in here. Yeah, but the sequence is criminally short. Yeah, uh, I want to say from a logistical standpoint, maybe it was difficult to film because we have these rain barrels dumping yeah. onto this obvious soundstage of a ship. Um, none of none of his adversaries, none of the people that are wrestling with Indy here are shown in detail. Like, they're all shot from behind. Uh, the use of lighting and shadows, while atmospheric, and it looks like a legitimate storm, uh, is ugly. Yeah. Like, it, it's not interesting to look at, unfortunately. And the, the music takes on a melody that has kind of like a... A rocking like heavy ponderous quality to it that's meant to reflect the motion of the boat again it suits but it's dull like it yeah. doesn't have the right momentum like it doesn't have that you know it doesn't yeah. have like when i think indiana jones action music i think horse cadence yeah yes exactly it doesn't have that so it feels like wonky and yeah. slow and then like all the fisticuffs are haphazardly <laughs> shot yeah. like there's a punch that has a sound effect that it's like I didn't see a punch. Like, I just heard a thwack. Like, yeah. when he wrestles the Panama man to the ground and steals the cross from him, we hear a thwack. And it's like, I didn't see a punch, man. Yeah. And uh, Pat Roach, uh, the big fella from the previous two films, um, I think he's listed in the credits for this movie, but I never saw his face. I want to say he's just one of the guys on the ship. But again, they're all shot in darkness and from behind. So I think he was just the biggest guy on the boat. Maybe. Um, and there's a, a laughable beat where Indy punches two people with one punch. Yeah, it, it just it, none of this sequence sells, and and we get out of here in such a hurry that it's almost like we didn't even need that. I mean, to quote Anchorman, that escalated quickly. <laughs> like Indy swings off of the ship and into then into water, into the open water. No, at night in the storm. <laughs> I would tr I would make them think I jumped off and stay on the boat. Yeah, and then like. As is the tradition, apparently, with the dispatching of Indiana Jones's greatest foes, uh, the ship kills itself <laughs> <laughs> because the storm just causes part of the ship to collapse in on itself. It blows up instantaneously, and uh, we see the Panama hat man's hat floating in the water, and the the music tells us that guy's dead. And everything I just said, I spoke longer than the scene happens. Like, yeah. like the whole sequence is like fifty seconds long. And it feels pointless, and yeah. it it always has irritated me. It was it's not thrilling. It's kind of disengaging, actually. It's yeah. it's a weird speed bump, very very early in an otherwise very solid movie. But we uh, 
get after back to school. After that, we go back to school. <laughs> this is uh, I like the first school, like the the school bit in uh, um, the other one. <laughs> I, I forget. Last Crusade and Raiders. I, for some reason, I always get mixed up which movie it is. Um, Raiders. I like that school sequence a little bit better. Uh, but this one is funny. Like, he's actually... It sounds like he's actually, like... He's a little bit better as a professor in Raiders. He didn't sound like he, like he was still kind of uh, flustered. Like, when he was there, like, he hadn't really prepared for class. Seems like here he's much more prepared for class. You still got the, 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 some of the ladies swooning. Um, but yeah, I think uh, Marcus... I think Marcus does the same thing. Like he just walks in at the end of class to talk to him, um, and this time he's actually got what he went to go get. Yeah, uh, so a, hap- a happy meeting this yeah. time. Um, but yeah, uh, as everybody's uh, exiting, um, I think Indy has a, a choice line here. Um, X never ever marks the spot is yeah. what he, he tries to impart to his students. This seems like a lecture from the beginning of the school year or mm-hmm. something. Because he's like laying out what archaeology is all about. I have a problem with that scene too, but we'll get to that. <laughs> yeah, for real. Uh, but yeah, Marcus walks in and uh, Indiana pulls out the the cross, and uh, we have an exchange. Like, how you know how long I've been searching for this, right? And it's like oh, all my life. It's yeah. like all your life. So Marcus is completely enthralled with the thing, such that he's like barely paying attention to anything Indy's well, saying. It's interesting. Interesting because his dad's been looking for the Holy Grail his whole life, and. Indy just doesn't, he doesn't see how he's so similar to his dad, really. And it's like, I've been searching this for my whole life, and he actually attained it. But he thinks his dad's crazy because he doesn't think it actually exists. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I think he he mentions, like, 40 years in terms of his father's search for the Holy Grail. It's like, you're, like, what, 25, 30 years deep into your search for that particular cross? Yeah. <laughs> like, like you, like you father, have like the same son. bug. Yeah. Like, you were built from the same structure but before he goes before the class leaves he's like i will be in my office for the next hour and a half to answer any questions or like talk about bad move yeah (laughs) because the scene transitions he goes to his office and everybody is fucking pissed uh i think it's probably because he hasn't been grading papers i think one of the one of the students like you haven't graded my paper yet or other people have got a problem with their grades but yeah he's just uh, going in my office i will see you one at a time yeah he he has to like borderline throw some elbows to get to get to his back office here but yeah i'm pretty sure he's been off adventuring rather than doing his fucking job female (laughs) students i will be doing my meetings with the door open (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah for sure i mean i wonder if that's something that they i'm like i'm wondering for professors that they like like certain professors they get there and they're like really good looking like listen you need to keep your door open when you have meetings with students because you are very attractive. <laughs> we cannot be having any situations. No, Kyle, the way the way it's done, the way to get out of the way right up front is you come into you come into lecture and you're just like, listen, I'm a family man. Yeah. And my bark is Here. much worse than my bite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, there's a funny gag in community. Uh, Jeff ends up dating a professor who's very attractive. And uh, he's like, yeah, we thought this might happen. You're on a watch list. I'm like, what? Yeah, any attractive students or teachers are put on a watch list. And it's, it's kind of a funny gag in the show. I'm like, I wonder if that's an actual thing. I mean, it's like, I'm sure the hiring process is very complex at university. Yeah. Um, but anyway, he ducks into this back office, which the girlfriend had to point out. She's like, "Oh, that's such a cool office." Yeah, oh yeah. Like it, it half of it looks like like a, a pottery workshop, but st- like all the shelves are, are stuffed with antiquities and stuff. Stakeout vans are a big one for me. I'm like, "Well, that's a good stakeout van." Offices, home office, or just offices in general are another thing that I pay attention to. Yeah, folks at home, if you're not aware, like any job that entails um, getting coffee 
with with the card game on the outside yep. of the cup, Kyle's mm-hmm. on board. Yep. <laughs> yep. Or or a facility that's thirty stories underground. Yes. That's also another one. Yes. Yes. Yep. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Kyle wants to be the guy in the van. Yeah. Um, this is where he gets a. Then this is insane. I don't understand <laughs> this at all. So he's just like flustered. He's got a stack of mail, and there's a. It, it's pretty clearly a book, and like. I've never, like, if I'm expecting something, I'm going to open it immediately. If I'm not expecting something and I get a book or something like this, I'm like, I'm opening that immediately. But he just kind of, like, glances at it. He's like, oh, what the fuck is this? Puts it in his pocket. <laughs> and then he sneaks out the window to get away from all this. Yeah. Uh, he does remark that the package is from Venice, so put a pin in that. But is it I, from fucking Hannibal Lecter? Maybe? Yeah, he dips out. He looks at the crowd, out, crowd outside. And he's like, not today. Uh-huh. <laughs> I just got back. Uh, so it is 1938, so he puts his fedora on and doesn't look like a douchebag yeah it was the style at the time i wish i wish we could bring it back Uh, maybe someday maybe someday when he's getting onto the zeppelin i love his jacket that big long black uh pea coat yeah oh yeah the the costume designer uh, i forget their name but uh, everybody who worked on all of these films the costuming is on point yeah like like all the characters are assembled so so beautifully but um yeah both both he and his dad are very snazzily dressed in this film dapper yeah dapper is the word um but he wanders out into the into the square and uh he immediately gets gets picked up by people who look suspiciously like nazis Nazis. he's he is surrounded on the university grounds by three three men dressed in black with hats and gloves because it's it's the it's their body language so the mob's just gonna come up to you and just grab you by your elbow and throw you in the car while one dude's looking over his shoulder these guys step out of the car and perfectly surround like no like no nothing just like right around him yeah no words just just like a cat yeah (laughs) the the mob guys there would be a yo in there Hey, yo! Yo! <laughs> Dr. Jones! Yeah. A lot of gestures with the fingers. Yes. <laughs> yeah, there would be noise. Yeah. <laughs> Not sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> but we cut immediately uh, to a luscious back room of what I presume is a mansion of some sort. Yeah. Um, it, this is the only room of this home we get to see. Um, there's. It reminds me so much of the Fountainhead. Um, I don't know why. Uh, just because of when it was written. It was written around this time. This okay. was about the time that it came out. So the inside of this guy's apartment, I don't know why. This is what I picture the fountainhead. Yeah, I, I could see that. But uh, this is Walter Donovan's uh, home. Dickless. Yeah. Yeah, Kyle has a nickname for this fellow. So if you hear the word Dickless, this he is, is referring to Donovan. Now, it is not Dickless from Ghostbusters. This is a different Dickless. <laughs> uh, yes, this man has no dick. This man has no dick. Uh, Walter Peck. <laughs> it's it's interesting uh, in these two movies the the bookends well the good bookends of uh, the Indiana Jones um, the good guy or the bad guy is not really that bad like he's still kind of good this one more so than uh, uh, Belloc yeah uh, Don I mean they're both bad but they're a different kind of bad yeah. they're they're a, a more sleazy kind of bad as Correct. opposed to like outright like stab you in the face kind of bad apparently I didn't I didn't catch this but apparently the Imperial March is playing in the other room on a piano when he comes in oh wow that's a fun Easter egg I'm glad you knew that because I, I I didn't hear that I, I didn't catch it I'm gonna have to go I'm gonna go back and listen to it uh, oh yeah I'm, I'm going to look that up yeah like as soon as we're done with this but 
Um, yeah, Walter Donovan is portrayed by Julian Glover, uh, who is uh, Kyle and I had uh, briefed each other ahead of time before this recording. Uh, also is known in the Lucas universe as uh, General Veers. One of the one of only two successful Imperial generals or <laughs> Imperial uh, the one dude the it's an older cold so it checks out that guy yeah and the the guy with the the shitty haircut from A New Hope um, mm. he, he has he has a, a gruff voice there's, yeah. the, there's the ultimate power in the universe guy that guy's a prick like yeah. he, he they're all pricks yeah that guy sucked but the guy with the shitty hair he seemed like he had his head on his shoulders yeah. They're all dead now. Well, I, feel like, I feel like the guy who was in charge of construction of the uh, the Death Star, he's just like, I'm, I'm, I, I need, need more men. men. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like he had his shit together because that Death Star was way bigger and they were doing quite a bit of work on it. But yeah, I wanted to point out that uh, Julian Glover is British. Uh, no shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, is he Irish or Scott? I'm like, I could hear him like trying to do an American accent, and I, I usually don't pick up Quote on that. Quote American. Yes. <laughs> From where? Yeah, Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones? Yeah, he, yeah. Yeah, no, he doesn't quite sell it. But it's just a funny detail. It's like I was trying to convey Bruce Campbell from Spider-Man 3. I am French. I am French. <laughs> I am American. American. <laughs> from what state? Idaho. Uh, <laughs> Nobody of, knows what that accent is. So, like, yeah. One of those weird ones. <laughs> but um, yeah, General Veers is, is, of course, uh, the, the general who successfully stormed the... Uh, rebel installation at Hoth. Yeah. Uh, so as Kyle had pointed out, one of the better generals in the Empire yeah. of Star Wars. But um, Donovan has brought Indiana to his home uh, to talk some shop mm-hmm. uh, because he has a passion for antiquities much as the Joneses do uh, and he has a broken 12th century placard mm-hmm. on this, like on his coffee table in the middle of the room and uh, Indiana, uh, this is something Harrison Ford does really well with this with this performance across all the films is when he's in like detective mode, he he perks up. Yeah, he gets like excited, his yeah. speech cadence like speeds up. He he gets engaged. Like you can tell, this is where his passion lies, and it's only appropriate that that be the case, because uh, otherwise, when he's in adventure mode, he's kind of gruff and doesn't talk a whole lot. Yeah, um, but whenever he's talking shop, he gets giddy Super. as a schoolboy. Yeah, as uh, Allison Duty will say later. Um, but we get uh, a breakdown of what will serve to be the MacGuffin. Uh, for the remainder of the film. That would be the Holy Grail. Um, So basically this placard has half of an inscription hinting at the not only the existence, but potentially the The location location. of the Holy Grail, which is, of course, the relic which supposedly caught the blood of Jesus Christ uh, when he was uh, punctured by the spear of Longinus. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, yeah, the sequence was really cool. Uh, there's a lot of details tossed back and forth, and the passion of the two speakers is is very engaging because, like I said, Harrison Ford really sells the dialogue here. Um, I did note uh, the champagne; it mm-hmm. made it made me think of Jurassic Park yeah. uh, <laughs> for today. Yeah. I guarantee it. <laughs> uh, because as Indy's reading the placard, we just cut to Donovan pouring champagne preemptively. You know, like to hand over to him. <laughs> yeah, I never knew what he because I watched this movie so much as a child. I never knew what he said. I didn't know until I was an adult. I didn't know until today because it was bothering me. <laughs> I had to get my brother on the horn to figure this out. When they're in the when they're in the jeep being chased by the T Rex and Ellie's screaming, she's going dad, dad. We're like, what the fuck is she saying? I never knew. And I'm like, is she saying shift or shit? And my brother's like, I think she's saying shit. I'm like, I don't know. We looked it up in the script. It's shit. I never knew until today that she was screaming shit. 
well, I learned something today. Right? Because I just translated it as just noises. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I thought that she was saying Chaz, and like maybe his first name was like Charles or something, but it's Robert Muldoon. Yeah. So I'm like, no, that doesn't make any sense. I'm like, well, maybe it's his real name, and they just didn't realize. <laughs> she was saying, but his name's Bob uh, Robert Peck or Bob, Bob Peck. Bob Peck. <laughs> and I'm like, I gotta figure. I like, I had to know what she was saying. But she well, was now we know. You heard it here, shit. folks. Yes. Ellie but was saying I shit. I guarantee it. I never knew what he said. <laughs> I guarantee it. <laughs> I digress. Yes. Um, but yeah, uh, we get mention of the three brothers, three knights, who had apparently obtained the the Grail at some point. Uh, two of whom are dead, and the third one mysteriously disappeared he's probably dead (laughs) probably if i had to guess he's probably dead yeah and the whole time indy keeps remarking that it's like hey you know this grail stuff's all cool and stuff but actually my dad he's the expert on this stuff and and donovan's like funny you should mention that (laughs) similar jurassic park in a lost world where he's just like well we have a very similar yeah we have a uh oh we have a fourth one by the way it's your girlfriend. Yeah, he's like, a field expert. Uh, we're not going to name yeah. him just yet. I caught that one going back because he's just like, he names off Nick Van Owen, Eddie, and then we have a third. It's some person. <laughs> some person. Not even going to name a gender, just a person. Thought the fourth one would be you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah this is where Very we... similar, very similar. So they had a, a, an expert working on this case. Yeah. And... Our project leader. Yeah, <laughs> our project leader project leader you uh, need to enunciate yeah. every syllable very cleanly, cleanly. dr joe only the only american that does that is john malkovich uh, <laughs> oh god yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah so he's like uh well unfortunately we were making a lot of progress but our um but our expert has gone missing and uh, and he's like well we could probably get my dad to uh to help out or something like that i need to ask my dad about it he's like well funny you mention that <laughs> and then we do a hard cut yeah uh to dad's house but uh, i did want to mention that indy has a line here about um when when their trail like when they're uh when basically all of their antiquities when they run out of material to work from in terms of locating the grail uh indy remarks that's usually when the ground falls out from under your feet yeah put a pin in put that pin. <laughs> yeah. but we we jump to dad's house and it's a very brief sequence where uh, Indy and Marcus, who um, who gets a lot more play in this movie, I really like. Girlfriend I, was very enthused about that. She yeah. was like, I, I very much like having Marcus but around. We have a trade off for Sala and Marcus. Like first movie, we have a bit more Sala. This one, we have more Marcus. I needed more both, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I like I like the ensemble for this, and yeah. this is something that we'll go into detail for uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I want to say that the ensemble is what kills that movie Mm -hmm. Um, because it's a delicate balance an extremely delicate balance and this one even though it's you know there's a few more moving parts to this one than the previous indie films they find the right balance and each person has something to contribute i think that ray winstone was probably just in there because uh john reese davies had a lot of anti-muslim stuff going on uh, and i think that's why they brought him in there because otherwise why the fuck wouldn't you have him in there you have john hurt you have ray winstone you have you have kate blanchett you have a big russian guy you have shia labeouf you have you, you have kate blanchett lord of the rings is not even yeah it's not even an issue so yeah. you totally have him point is that there's too many there's too many too much noise just too much jibber jabber shut the fuck up and go do something cool <laughs> next week is gonna be brutal <laughs> um but yeah we're at dad's house and it's been ransacked 
Um, and when Indy sees how everything's been tossed and turned, he's legitimately concerned about his dad. But then he also opens the package that yeah. he got at school. It's dad's diary. And it's dad's diary. Yeah. Um, and he does note that it's from Venice. Dad was in Venice. Oh, shit. Uh, I should go to Venice. So he, he gets a ticket from Donovan and uh, Marcus comes along, which yes. again, I was like, yay, Marcus yes. is coming. But we fly to Venice and we get the first of a few traveling sequences because you can't have an indie movie without one of those yeah. uh, map animations. Yeah, you, you like those. Yeah, I like what he says, uh, uh, Dickless says to him before they go off to Venice. He's like, don't trust anybody. And then looks at the camera <laughs> and drives away. Does the zoo interface. <laughs> Did you get that? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, Indy is shown studying the journal as he's flying, by the way. It's shown like semi-transparent overlaid on the map sequence. But we arrive in Venice and uh, Indy... Remarks at least three times in this movie. Ah, Venice. Yeah. It's it's fun <laughs> with good reason. It would have been really funny is if you would have had uh, Gomez Adams, uh, <laughs> not in the canal, but just he and Morticia walking down the just kind of walking down the streets. Oh, Morticia! Like, do you think Morticia has a parasol when she goes out in the sun? Like, like oh, oh, like, absolutely. Yeah, yes, yes. you have to in order to maintain that complexion. Yes, yeah. that snowy white complexion. I, I love that eye light they gave her in that first mm-hmm. one. They they kind of botch it in the second one, but in the yeah. first one, she yeah. Angelica Houston has her own dedicated light source throughout yeah. that entire movie. It's wonderful. Yeah, I love that movie. We're getting into October, Kyle. Yeah, it's 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 almost here. It's it's, it's basically here. It's, it's gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> but we get to Venice and uh, we have a lot of uh, fun chitter chatter about like who's this person we're gonna meet up the other doctor who was working with dad we're not we're gonna be very careful about to emphasize him and he yeah and all of those pronouns and then hey ho yeah hello hot austrian woman <laughs> well it kind of makes sense uh uh, from what I understand, uh, at least by, by some European standards, it's probably not as uncommon to have a lady doctor at this point. Uh, not very common in the United States. 1938 United States, yes. Oh, um, fuck. I mean, I think... Even today, probably. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I can't remember when it was, but like, Harvard didn't admit like their, I think, maybe first black student or first female student until like the 70s i think i think it was uh i think it was the first black student until like the 70s <laughs> don't quote me on that i i've re- i recently learned about it i can't remember for sure <laughs> uh, but yes uh, we are introduced to allison duty <laughs> duty <laughs> as dr elsa schneider from austria uh and she was serving as the aide uh on donovan's project uh to track down the grail along with uh dr henry jones senior uh so she immediately recognizes uh, both marcus and indy and uh i remarked to kyle before we started recording that allison duty duty <laughs> her uh her filmography has some has some cute elements to it um it seems like a recurring thing in the indiana jones series that the leading lady roles don't generally result in fantastic careers like like working careers like you get work afterwards but you don't blow up uh, you don't become a household name. Uh, it seems like none of the leading ladies in the Indiana Jones have, films have done that, and Alison Duty is no exception. Um, what's curious about her filmography is that I think her first credit is a James Bond film, mm-hmm. A View to a Kill, uh, which, of course, was not a Sean Connery James Bond. That was a Roger Moore. So we have a James Bond connection. And then she would go on to be in a a film called Taffin with Pierce Brosnan before he would become James Bond. So when he was nobody? 
basically when he yeah. was Remington Steele. <laughs> um, and then in addition to that, she also did The Last Crusade featuring Sean Connery. So she's worked with three Bonds. That's interesting. I don't know if she, I didn't do dig deep enough to check if Timothy Dalton was on her resume as well, but that's just cute that she somehow ended up working with three different James Bonds. Uh, first woman to graduate from Harvard Law School was 1950. Or Harvard to graduate from Harvard was uh, 1957. Damn. Yeah, right. Took a minute. Took a while. <laughs> uh, but yeah, Alison Duty is apparently Irish. Uh, she does the German really well. Yeah, she does the German Austrian accent just fine. Uh, it it's it doesn't distract or anything. I just thought it was funny because I, I saw an interview with her and she was speaking naturally and uh, she In was Irish. Like, that would said, be, that would throw you off. She said Harrison Fard. <laughs> Harrison Fard. That would throw you off. I yeah. was like, oh, I wonder where you're from. <laughs> Harrison Fard. Well, I mean, she is more or less doing a cartoon character, German, so or German slash Austrian, whichever one she is in this. But. Yeah, and as Kyle had pointed out, she was 21, 22, around there when, at the time of filming. This. But she looks older. That's the thing. She definitely looks like she's in her 30s. It might be the makeup style. Maybe. Because remember, this movie's supposed to take place in 1938. It, like, the wardrobe, everything has that yeah. kind of old-timey, like, old Hollywood kind of vibe where everyone's, everybody's made up a little more than they need to be. Yeah. Just for funsies. <laughs> um, but she introduces herself, and uh, it doesn't take more than two seconds before Indy's making a pass at her. Easily, yeah. yeah. Uh, we have an exchange where he, <laughs> like, will you permit me for a line? <laughs> where he puts a flower in her blouse. Um but uh, she uses the phrase, uh, your father was giddy as a schoolboy. Giddy as a schoolboy. Uh, when they were searching for the grail in the library where she is taking them. And then we head into said library, which is a converted church because Italy. Yeah. <laughs> I presume everything is a church at some point. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, well, well yeah, the was... Starbucks doubles as a church, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we head into this, this antiquated library. And uh, this was where her trail ran dry with with Indy's dad mm -hmm. um, and immediately Indy pulls out dad's diary this is pretty silly uh, this, this is, is pretty fucking silly this is silly he's like dad was so close um, there's Roman numerals in here and there's Roman numerals in here oh look there's a three there and a three there there's a seven where's the ten everybody go look for the ten and they're just like looking around so there is uh, Indy looks he's just like where's the dad where's the dad and they're looking on the fucking, uh, like, the bookshelves. I'm like, why the fuck would it be on the bookshelves? But, yeah, they're looking around. And he, he looks on the floor, and he gets that smile. Like, oh, I think I found it. So he climbs upstairs and goes to the second floor and looks out, and there's a giant X. I'm like, you couldn't see the giant X on the floor? Yeah, it's a little... It's a little dumb. Yeah. Uh, this is incredibly dumb, actually. Like, th this is why I was talking about the haphazard construction of things, where this this felt super half-assed. Blue's Clues didn't treat their viewers this stupid. <laughs> like, do you see the X, guys? Where's the X? Do you guys see it? You need more more pregnant pauses, Kyle. <laughs> you need to stare into my soul and, and wait for the reply. <laughs> my goodness. <laughs> Did you see the, the anniversary video? Yeah. Does he have I cancer? I don't know. I hope not. I, I think he might. Have. He might. Because he's wearing a hat with he not a lot of hair under there. There's not a lot of hair. It was really sweet. Because I remember my brother did watch Blue's Clues a lot when we were kids. I thought he had like a, a Paul Rubens situation or something, though. I think. I because don't... he got replaced, Kyle. He? Do you think? I mean, he was I, on that for I, a while, I, I seem to remember hearing like a Paul Rubens type situation. <laughs> I think he was on it for like, he was on there for quite a while. He was while, on there though. for a minute, and then they put him on, on a bus and said, he went to college. Maybe. For cocaine. 
<laughs> no, that was that fucking. Remember that Dell dude? Remember that dude that they had in like the early late nineties, early two thousands? Like, dude, dude, you're getting the Dell. Yeah. And they're just like, yeah, this kid will not stop doing blow. We have to fire him. <laughs> well, I mean, nobody tops the Sham Wow guy. Got, oh, got in a fist fight with a hooker. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's good stuff. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, I saw the video and I did watch most of it. Although I, I have no emotional connection to Blue's None. Clues, like no. whatsoever, so it didn't mean anything to me. I just thought it was curious. That's like, why now? And is he okay? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah he, uh, he he was a little bit after. Like I was a little too old. Yeah, for it. I, I was too old, so I, I didn't have time for that shit. But um, but yeah, the 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 leap in logic that happens in this library sequence is far fetched to say the least like like this sequence feels like it was cut together to just get it over with like there's very little enthusiasm for the actual detective work or like fact finding it's just like when can we get to the tomb like, yeah. <laughs> so, so we, we get out of the sequence in a hurry but there is some fun gags here where india is smashing a hole in the floor because an american and Europe, that's what you do. <laughs> Property damage is required if you're traveling abroad as an American. It's it's in our constitution. <laughs> so it looks like there were a lot of rumors floating around, but that none of those were substantiated. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, I did hear those rumors. Yeah, <laughs> um, back in the day. But um, they smash a hole in the floor, and the comedy comes from a cutting to a librarian pounding a book with a stamp in in time with the hits in the floor. I think. Evie and Rick are a little bit worse at this in the Mummy movies, uh, desecrating things that are old. This floor looks pretty old. like Just the floor. Just the floor. <laughs> so even if it had been converted uh, from a church to a library, this library looks old as fuck. Yeah, um, that was something I remember my dad pointing out like during a, a viewing of this movie when I was a kid was like when they get into the tomb and they like flip the casket over he was like no what? no you, yeah. I don't like if they care at all about what they do for a living no he, <laughs> yeah no you would you would come at that thing with rubber gloves you, you would have instruments like you would not even put your skin oils on that shit yeah before checking it out uh, so yeah, we're we're doing the we're editing the sequence in a hu- in a hurry. We're yeah. trying to get to the cool stuff, which thankfully does follow. Uh, so we bash a hole in the floor, and uh, Elsa carries the same enthusiasm as Indy. It's a, it's a fun trait yeah. where, she, where she's kind of ruthless in the same way Indy is. Yeah, because you have uh, Marion in the first movie who doesn't really give a shit. Like she's just there for the money. Like yeah. she doesn't care about any of this stuff. And then. Obviously, Willie is just, and I think she is disassociated with with real life because she is just so does not want to be a part of it. But yes, yeah, she's this this character is actually interested. In, yeah, it, it's a fun it more trait fun. to like for the third chapter in a story. It's kind of refreshing to have a, a female character actually be shoulder to shoulder with him, nerding and, out. Yeah. yeah, nerding out. Yeah. yeah, because he puts a hole in the floor, and before he can jump down, she actually like swivels her legs into the hole and says lower me down and it makes it more tragic uh too because this is somebody you could see him actually being with unfortunately yeah she's a nazi unfortunately <laughs> you know nazi that, that whole <laughs> asterisk right there the, that nazi asterisk 
I mean, I feel like that's something that's been a, in a rom-com at some point. <laughs> two, two friends sharing a drink or something. It's like, yeah, I met this gal last summer. She's a she, Nazi. She was wonderful. I mean... Too bad she was a Nazi. <laughs> Shame about the Nazi thing. Funny but unfortunate, that could be a uh, rom-com development moving forward now. Like, yeah. I, mean, I mean, Netflix knows we all we all laugh at Nazis getting punched. So, <laughs> like. Dating her, but she was at the uh, Capitol riots. So. Yeah. Oh, my God. God, that's too perfect, Kyle. You better put that one under your hat. <laughs> but if we we head down into the tomb, and uh, we see some fez men. Yes. Some fez-clad men. So this is where, um, I think this is a good point to start, but I think that uh, Austin Powers, actually, I think the spy who shagged me especially, uh, stole, not stole, but uh, this is where some inspiration comes from, because Will Ferrell's character... Yes. Is in the first one with the Fez, but in the second one he actually addresses, like, I don't recognize you, but your Fez looks familiar. Um, and I'll get to another line from that. Well, there's two here. We have, um, yeah, Frau and then the uh, Southern California and England line. <laughs> yeah, uh, so these Fez men, uh, just to spoil it ahead of time, belong to the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Soul. Yeah. Uh, so they are protecting the Grail, they're preventing people from finding it basically the magi from the mummy exactly exactly uh, the magi. very much so they definitely ripped that off from this film yeah um but there's yeah. a lot i think they ripped off from this film. oh the whole flavor of yeah. those movies is very much akin to to indiana jones but the mummy rules so yeah it's a it's a solid action adventure film mm-hmm. with some very attractive people in it. yeah some of the most attractive people in fact yeah oh dead fair i remember <laughs> but i remember uh as a kid when uh uh, Anoxuna Moon in the beginning, she's walking down the hallway, and you can basically see her butt moving. I'm like, oh, whoa. <laughs> like, that that ain't fabric. That's paint. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> 1999. Whoa. Cool. cool. I like movies. <laughs> yeah. This is a great movie, guys. This is a great choice. Um, but yeah, the Fezmen, uh, they knock out Marcus upstairs while, while Indy and Elsa are in the tomb. And uh, the tomb is kind of fun. Like, I like the set, uh, the way it's, it's lit. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. The, the way it's lit is really fun, where they have, like, like on-demand light sources whenever we need to shed light on things. So yeah. it's like, we have to time the cue of her holding up the lighter to the wall, and then, like, a stage light goes, click! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they turn it off when she moves the lighter. Um but there's some fun uh, etchings on the wall where uh, the Ark of the Covenant is etched into the wall. At one point, we get a callback on the soundtrack to the, the Ark's melody. And Elsa's like, what is this? And he's like, it's the Ark of the Covenant. <laughs> and she's like, how do you know? He's like, pretty sure. <laughs> I, Archaeologist. I, I, I think I know what the Ark yeah. looks like. Um, but then uh, we find another X in the wall. And Harrison Ford looks like he just knocked himself the fuck out knocking down this wall. Because his his temple strikes the stone, <laughs> like he go he ch- nut, he throws his shoulder into this wall. Again, American in yeah. Italy, ha- you have to break something. Yeah, uh, he smashes this wall down, and like his temple just smacks against this wall. <laughs> well, it's it's foam that he's knocking. It's out. foam, but it's still it's like blap. <laughs> it's yeah. like that wasn't your shoulder, that was your head, buddy. Um, and he lights a torch because he notes that there is a petroleum in the water. Yeah. Uh, so put a pin in that, and uh, we instead of snakes, instead of bugs, we get two thousand rats. rats. Apparently, they were bred for this movie. What I read on IMDb. Yes, uh, I I 
actually learned that that's how you have to do rats in movies is because that's the only way to ensure that they don't carry diseases Ugh. is you have to raise, raise them in captivity in isolation uh, so they they had to get out in front of that and start breeding these rats well into like pre-production this is my nightmare uh, <laughs> Kyle doesn't like rats. I hate rats. <laughs> this this scene and the scene from 1984 are two of the most scary, like like rat phobia things that I can think of in cinema history. <laughs> so uh, Kyle is not a fan of Ben. Uh, he is not a fan of Willard. Uh, he's not a not a fan of Food of the Gods, which features giant rats or the Bone Collector. The Bone Collector. Rats in cinema. They have a long tradition, but yeah, uh, rats. Uh, my dad hates rats. I hate them. Like snakes, he seems like he's made his peace with them despite his history, but rats... Mm-mm. I'm reasonably skeptical of snakes. I am. I saw a fucking rat leaving campus the other day, and he just like, he went in front of me, and he was chill, but I'm like, I'm like walking. <laughs> my back away from him. Like just Give him a by. wide berth. I want to kick something out. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, there are rats all over the place. They're getting in Elsa's hair. Uh, she's got her goofy fucking heels on in this tomb. So at some point, he just like picks her up and puts her on his shoulder. Yeah. He's like, I mean, I would do the same thing. Because it's like, lady, I'm just tired of watching you almost fall on your ass in this tomb. Uh, he, She mentions, like, your father would have uh, loved this. He's like, he wouldn't have made it past the rats. He's scared to death of them. But it doesn't come back. It never comes up in the It movie. does. I don't it remember. Does. I don't uh, remember it coming up. He mentions it to his dad. Like... They're, oh, ta- the rats. they're, they're oh, yeah. talking about the tomb. But this is fucking terrifying. <laughs> uh, her, like, so there's a, the the big, the flames come up, the uh, the Fez guys drop a match in there, set the place on fire. Uh, this is the guy where he dumps over the tomb, just like willy-nilly, get under here. Yeah. And, uh, Air pocket, yeah. get down. Get down. <laughs> and she's under there. And somebody is like dumping rats through this hole in this thing. And they're like climbing on top of her. It's one of the most terrifying things I could think of. Yeah, it's pretty uncomfortable. Because they... And, and she... Again, Spielberg has a thing about torturing his ladies in cinema. Like, yeah. he, they they had glee dumping rats on her head. Worse than Hitchcock torturing people. <laughs> He's pretty bad. Yeah, it's <laughs> He's pretty bad. Pretty consistently bad, but... Um, yeah, they, uh, they find the tomb of one of the brothers, one of the three knights, and uh, the, his shield from his armor bears the same etching as yeah. uh, Donovan's tablet. And so... He, Takes Donovan, a crown and yeah. Yes, India, India takes a rubbing that his father had made of the shattered tablet, and he completes it using the shield. And then yes, uh, the Fez men light a fire in the tomb. Uh, they hide under. They hide in the coffin basically uh, from the flames. And then this is where we have one of those weird leaps where it's like, that's a transition. That's that's one way to get out of that scene because Indy dives underwater. He looks around for a bit, and then he comes back to her. Again, under the coffin with like the soundtrack blaring and flames and rats everywhere. Yeah. And he says he just says, I think I found a way out and then they both go underwater. Next scene, streets of Venice, they yeah. come out by the sewer. So we we have no fucking clue how they got at it. I do like when he gets out of here, they just come out through a sewer grate in uh in the middle of like a little cafe it's, outside. It's yeah. fun. It's like Venice. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> yeah, Venice. Venice. And then people with guns come out. Yeah. <laughs> the most conspicuous group of men I think I've ever seen. Right oh. red fezes. Sorry, you have to look at the dog. <laughs> the dog is just laying belly up on a chair. It's the cutest thing. Uh, just sleeping. But yeah, we get into the boat chase. And this is the boat chase I guess they had in the canals for like six hours, five or six hours. Um, it goes by pretty quick, but I do like the gag of uh, one of the dudes, like they just take off and one of the dudes jumps onto the boat. And that's who Andy's dealing with, you know, punching and uh, slapping around. <laughs> uh, whilst uh, 
Dr. Schneider's driving. And uh, Dude, the way he launches himself at that guy on the back of that boat. That dude fell off. I, I don't know. Like, Harrison Ford, like, as an action performer, I think that's one of his strengths is mm-hmm. that he when he's committed to doing shit he just can he can flip that switch and just do crazy fucking shit because like he literally just like does like a a slip and slide like he's on a slip and slide straight at this guy he uses himself as a projectile and somehow they both don't fall off yeah uh yeah it's pretty incredible (laughs) that they don't fall off (laughs) uh but yeah so he sees uh dr schneider's driving the boat and she's headed towards uh two boats one of which is being pushed by a tugboat into the other one and he's like don't drive her between the two boats. She's like, drive into the two between two boats. Are you crazy? <laughs> she does it, and he's just like, what the? F- what are you doing? I told you not to drive. Like, you told me to drive to him. It's yeah. a nice little. It's yeah, nice little they gag. can't hear each other over the gunfire and the boat noises. They got two boats chasing him. One boat goes around, and then the other boat keeps going. And again, this is also like that was a pretty incredible explosion out of nowhere because this thing just gets smashed by the two and just explodes out. And this is in like like real time. This is a big fucking explosion here. It's a big explosion, but I love the payoff with the the remainder of the boat, like just just the bow of it spitting out yeah. of the other end. It, it's a pretty cool effect because again, done live with an actual prop, it, it looks incredible. I don't know how they rigged that, but mm. it looks fantastic. I think they had to do it a couple times too. But um, yeah, the the sequence continues, and the the last boat. Um, a fellow has a machine gun. He uses it to like stall the engine of Indy's boat. And then uh, they get up close to each other and they start thwacking each other. Yeah, thwacking. <laughs> yes, uh, there's a certain sound effect that plays over every time what? Indiana Jones hits on with his knuckles. And it's priceless. It's yep. amazing. It's one of the most iconic punch noises in cinema history. But um, this was a really cool sequence where uh, basically we have a situation where we have two boats and uh, they're caught in a, the pole of a giant propeller of yep. a of a like moored ship very big ship yeah yeah very big ship apparently this this was shot in a water tank oh um, really so they built just the ass end of a boat like just sense. the stern of a boat and uh they built the, the mechanical propeller prop and then they just filled a giant water tank and and put boats in it that works so this was done in very controlled circumstances but um indy like dispatches one guy and then he's like holding the one guy by the collar and interrogating him as uh this boat propeller is chopping up the boat like it's pulling them into it uh so it's inching them closer and closer to their doom and uh the the fellow that he's holding by the collar he's he's like my soul is prepared dr jones how's yours this guy's interesting uh he he comes back in the movie like uh so he's been trying to kill them this whole time yes. like <laughs> really trying to kill them <laughs> And uh, this scene here, he just is like, yeah, I'm ready to die. And then he's like, God damn it. And they <laughs> end up going back and he's like, who are you? He's like, my name is whatever it's it is. It's very well spoken. He speaks yes. the Queen's English. Yes, he's very good. And he's like, I have been sworn to protect this for so long. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> just like if they walks out. Like, he's very can, smooth. Yeah, you can still kill him, you know. <laughs> I mean, every syllable this man pronounces, it's like he has a very theatrical presence. Yeah, it's just he just kind of is like it's like sportsmanship. He's like, all right, well, until the next, until the next thread. <laughs> well, he makes a bargain where he's basically like saying, like, if you let me go, I'll tell you where your dad is. That's good enough. And yeah. basically, he this is where we learn that he works for the Brotherhood of the Cruciform Sword. 
and oh. uh, he basically protects the Grail. He prevents people from discovering it. And then when Indy tells him, like, "I'm looking for my dad, not the Grail," mm-hmm. he's like, "That's all I needed to hear. Apparently, <laughs> I'll stop killing you now. Sorry about that misunderstanding." And he tells him, "Your your father is being held at the Castle Brumwald." And uh, he just somehow knows that. Well, actually, that makes sense because, of course, he would keep tabs on anybody who's yeah. looking for the Grail. So he knows where Dad is in at the Austrian-German border in no 1938. Wonder, I was looking. I looked down when it said where it was at. So I'm like, is this Austria or is this Germany? I don't even know where it's at. Somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> Castle. Yeah. So uh, before we head off to Castle Brunwald. Um, we have a debrief. Oh, the a, boat. That's, I'm sorry, a, the, the hotel. With Marcus, yeah. This uh, is so silly. So we cut to Marcus and Indy, and uh, Indy's like, how's your head, Marcus? Because you got bopped on, on the head with a revolver. That that usually fucks you up pretty good. Uh, so he's icing up his head, and they're looking over uh, the rubbing mm-hmm. that Indy had done of the shield. And uh, they do some detective work, and uh, Marcus transcribes the, the shield, and they come to the conclusion that Alexandretta is the name of the city wherein the, the grail was moved to at some point. Um, and Indy remarks that that is currently a city named Iskenderun. Uh, I don't know in what country. I didn't bother to look it up. Um, the point is, we we have a destination now. And apparently that was that was the one detail that Indy's dad never figured out. He had a, he had a map drawn up uh, with landmarks, but he had no starting point. Mm. So now they have the starting point, uh, a city called Iskenderun or Alexandretta which leads to the canyon of the crescent moon I, dude that's I don't know what it is about that line it's so stupid <laughs> like I think even Harrison Ford like reading it it's just like I have to say the canyon of the crescent moon like it's so silly yeah you you can you half feel him putting on his uh, Blade Runner ADR voice and be like the canyon <sighs> of the crescent moon it's I have it written down in here crescent. she was gorgeous <laughs> she walked into the room and it was Sean Young with a goofy haircut I mean she was so fucking hot I mean <laughs> she was ca- she was a she was a catch in that movie debatable <laughs> if she was human or not. This movie has unicorns in it. (laughs) I wonder what they mean. You are you are treading very on very very thin ice here. Oh oh come on! The the theatrical cut of Blade Runner is fair game. Everybody can shit on that movie without feeling bad about it. I can't get Rucker Hauer out of my head sprinting uh, in the rain. I don't know what it is. I can't I can't get it out of my head. Um, Anytime someone says Blade Runner, I'm just picture him just yeah just sprinting. such a strange scene uh but yes the hotel he's having a drink talking about the crescent moon um and then the rooms have been ransacked quietly somehow quietly very quietly uh he goes through i think his room and then maybe marcus's room but he goes into uh, is it elsa yeah elsa uh, dr. I, had schneider. Her, I had her down as dr schneider <laughs> but he goes into her uh room and she's like in the bathroom she's startled you know and come out like oh they they got us you know um and then like they're looking for something. I don't know what they're looking for. And uh, he's just like, "I'm gonna kiss you now." <laughs> Basically, is what happens. It's like I feel like you've got other shit to worry about right now, dude. But it's interesting. So Marion, he doesn't bang, but they do have that little moment when she like he's like, "Oh, I could I could see myself with Marion here because yeah. she has like a cute moment at like in her dress with the oh, and she wants to bang, yeah. But he's so battered and bruised, he doesn't. He's not physically up to it, yeah. And then in the second one, it's like, Willie, he's just like, 
I don't make this quick. Uh, it's a long flight to America <laughs> from India. <laughs> let's just get this. Uh, let's just get this over with quick. Join, join the half mile high club because I'm pretty sure we didn't have jets that went very high up in yeah, the sky. Went very high. <laughs> Um, that when it was actually a hazard to do. Um, <laughs> no, don't quit you... rocking the quit rocking the plane. Yeah. <laughs> no, when you wore a suit. Yes. To fly. Yeah, you're out of your fucking mind. Yeah. Now people barely wear bus attire to get onto a plane. <laughs> uh, but this bring, one, they bring their bath salts because <laughs> it's time to fly. <laughs> in this one, it's like, oh no, Indy is throwing her a bone in this one, and he'd be crazy not to. Yeah. yeah he, he he grabs her and he gives her a big old smooch. Uh, and then she says, how dare you kiss me? And then she kisses him back more aggressively. I mean, with a different actor, this would be really rapey. Because he's just like, I'm going to do things the way I want to do them. And then what, sa- what saves it is that she she comes back. Yes. Like, yes. She, she's saying the words that says she's not okay, but then she's like aggressively coming at him. <laughs> I can't remember if it was Atlas Shrugged. I think it's the Fountainhead. I think it's the Fountainhead. Basically, the character in that book... It's like she's pushing him off. This is also kind of what reminded me of. She's like pushing him away like she doesn't want to do it. And he just does it. And But that's what she was wanting, apparently. The, char- like the, the character in the book was like, no, she wanted someone to just take control. To, okay. At, but it was beyond like taking charge. It was, it was a little different. Yeah, these days you Very need dark. to verbalize that part of the deal. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you can want that. There's nothing wrong with wanting that. But these days, like, to make, to keep it kosher for all parties involved is probably a good idea if you just say, like, so I'm into that. That book was published, I think, in the 30s, late 30s. It so takes just, place in the 30s. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, gender roles were a little more firmly set in place back in the day. I, by the way, I don't like that book. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I very yeah, much that, dislike a, that book. That's very important to disclose, I Kyle. very much dislike that book. All, all six of our listeners, like, we may have lost one or two of them. I'll give, a, I give Ayn Rand, I'll give her Anthem. Anthem is an interesting little story, but you can keep the fountainhead. Keep that shit. Uh, but yeah, we, we aggressively smooch and presumably have... Uh, Bang! Yeah. We, we have Bond sex, but in Indiana Jones films, or Indy sex full bush and then yeah. uh, yes we get ah venice yeah that uh, yeah, i do like that the, the gomez adams is singing in the <laughs> 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 um and but yeah we cut to the map again and this time we're traveling to the austrian german border yeah. to castle brunwald and then we sneak in there uh in very Indiana Jones fashion with a improvised plan because Indy, Indy, as they're parking out front, is like, "So what do you know about this place?" And Elsa's like, "I don't know. It's a castle. They have lots of antiquities." And he's like, "Oh, it doesn't help." Uh, so his reply to like, "What are we going to do to get in there?" He's like, "I'll think of something." And yeah. and that I've always said that sums up Indiana Jones. He just comes up with shit. I, I had a problem with this as a child. I'm like, "Why isn't this doorman believe that he's Scottish royalty?" <laughs> Rewatching it, I'm like, dude, you're not doing a Scottish accent. I don't even know what accent it's supposed to be. You had ready access to a to a Scot- Scottish man. <laughs> maybe, they, maybe he did that just to piss him off. Like that's not a Scottish accent. Oh yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Be I'm, I'm sure they were poking each other about that'd silly be, things. That'd be funny. Uh, but yeah, how dare he? It was like if you're Scottish. How dare he? <laughs> if you're Scottish royalty, I am Mickey Mouse. It's a, I, I don't know why I've always loved that line, but yeah, he's right. He's not doing a Scottish accent. This is the least convincing. I, lo- I, I can lo- understand what you're saying. Sorry. Yes. I, I love that he says, uh, bottle off, 
<laughs> Buttle off. I've always loved that expression. It's it's very foreign and very fun. But if you can watch under the if you're American and you can watch under the skin without subtitles, you are an incredible. You have an incredible ear for the Scottish accent. Might take a few swings. You know? mm-hmm. You're not going to get that. Your first at bat. It cannot, it cannot be done. <laughs> but yeah, he comes in there uh, disguised as Lord Lord Clarence Macdonald. <laughs> <laughs> The McDonald is close, I guess. <laughs> sure, and then yeah, it ends with the, this butler just being like, "You are full of shit." <laughs> a lot of old, a lot of geriatric abuse in this movie because uh, Marcus gets hit, uh, Sean Connery gets shot. Uh, this old guy, this old timer, gets uh, punched in the face, yeah, not the fuck out. He eats a backhand so hard he is concussed and. Yeah. <laughs> removed from his senses with one hit. Yeah, and he's a butler for Nazi, spoiler alert, so he's going to get shot against a wall. Uh, oh, easily. he yeah. fucked up. <laughs> he fucked up bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, they head into the castle and, spoiler alert, oh my god, Nazis. Yeah. Uh, and they're hard-working Nazis. <laughs> Shocker, on the Austrian-Germany border? <laughs> yeah, for real. Um, but I love, there's a fun little detail here where they're exploring like the second floor of the castle and India has his gun out and he's checking the doors and he's like, I, I think dad's in here. And he does this thing that I catch myself doing all the time. Cause I think, I just think it's cool. It's where it's where you notice an important detail, but you don't disclose yep. that you yeah. noticed it. It's, it's a lot of fun. So it makes it makes it sound smart. <laughs> so he's like, I think dad's in here. And then he walks past it and Elsa's like, what makes you think that? And he just like doesn't look he just points up at the ceiling like because it's wired yeah i got stuff with that when we were watching that kurt russell santa claus movie on netflix one of the guys from the e street band one of the sopranos <laughs> pops up i'm like there's about to be a musical number and she's like okay and then fucking two minutes later there's a musical number she's like, how did you how could you possibly know there's gonna be a musical number in this movie that just had no music in it I'm like, well, just no. And then I was like, that guy is fucking Bruce Springsteen's guitarist. Yeah, no, it, it's, it makes you feel cool. Yeah. It makes you feel smart. <laughs> you, need to, you need to keep I certain... Kept, I should have kept that one. <laughs> yeah, you need to keep certain information close to the vest, you know? But yeah. um, So Indy knows roughly where Dad is, and uh, we get to see some uh, swashbuckling action of him using his whip to jump from, this from is, like windowsill to windowsill. This is fucking scary. Uh, he's just like, oh, I just needed the whip. And he gets... Uh, Granted, he gets a good loop-de-loo on this on this thing, but he's I think he swings up like this is like he's swinging up onto a ledge, and I was thinking I'm like this is ballsy because if you get stuck out there, you're fucking stuck out there. Yeah, if you lose that pendulum swing, if you lose your momentum, you're just hanging. You were just hanging outside the Nazi castle <laughs> in the rain. <laughs> yeah, there's Nazis inside, dude. And none of these people want you here. <laughs> they are not friendly. <laughs> Uh, but then he swings through the window. It's not a graceful landing. And no. again, Indiana Jones wouldn't be Indiana. It wouldn't be Indy if it went perfectly according to plan. Did you love how they introduced Sean Connery? I did. I knew it. I absolutely. I saw it. I'm like, he's gonna love it. No, he's I loved it because yeah. Indy's like just struggling to his feet, and then he gets bopped on the head with a vase or a vase. I meant his shadow. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The, the shadow projected on the wall. Yeah, we we get to see his silhouette before the vase comes crashing down, and then he steps out of the shadows. <laughs> Can somebody put? Uh, Goro has this, got a similar introduction in Mortal Kombat, where you just see. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's just a shadow. Like, what the fuck is that? Oh, it's Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, he, he bops Indiana Jones on the head with a vase, and then he steps out of the shadows, and his first words on film are, 
Junior. <laughs> With a quizzical tone. Yeah. Junior. Junior. What are you doing here? And then he, he's he's taking inventory of the vase he just broke. He's like, oh, he's like, Ming Dynasty. Oh, gosh. And he's like, well, what the fuck? Dude, I'm, I'm here to save you. And his dad's like, ah, it's a fake. <laughs> it's a <laughs> fake. Now, the, the interplay between these two characters from this moment onward is is incredible like these these two actors play off of each other really really well there's a lot of subtleties in the in their miscommunications with each other mm-hmm. there's so much fun to watch because yes he breaks the vase on his head and he's like junior and then indy's reply when he stands up is yes sir <laughs> oh, yeah he just pops up yeah but I, yes sir because always, he's he's back in kid mode you know i always wonder what like the uh the leadman like the coxman of the of the film industry when they when you're kind of on your way out or you're older and you're with a new young stud I'm just wondering how the ego goes back and forth. Like I know it. Like Mar- I think Marlon Brando and Val Kilmer didn't talk on yeah. the set of uh, Island of Dr. Moreau. That's a. Whenever you get around to watching that Val documentary, that's I one. Keep of, forgetting. That's a crushing part of that documentary. Is it? Oh God damn it! I really want to watch that. He has footage from that set, and you and I both have seen the documentary yeah. about the making of that movie. Great. So we we know what went down on that set, and seeing it from such a candid angle mm. intensifies it especially knowing that that's that's his hero yeah that is the guy that he wanted to work with in in all of the industry that's the guy and he has one of the best uh he has one of the best uh, godfather impressions i've heard uh which is unfortunate that's real that that has to be just just destroys you but uh, never meet your heroes never meet your heroes <laughs> but uh i'm wondering how the rapport was between Sean Connery and Harrison Ford on this set uh Okay, so something that's interesting about Sean Connery at this stage in his career is that uh, he was, as Kyle and I had mentioned, he rejected a lot of very big franchise roles, um, and his record for picking good projects is hit and miss. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that is, is difficult to actually track like the official record of is uh, script writing. Um, so John Milius... Uh, a person that you and I both yeah. know quite well. Uh, he mostly he has credits as a writer. Um, he directed a couple movies here and then, uh, Conan the Barbarian, Red Dawn. Um, and he mostly was a writer, though, and he was regarded as the big man on campus among the uh, the George Lucas and and the Steven Spielberg crowd from that like graduating class of film school and stuff. Uh, he was often pointed to as like the real talent of the group. Um, even though he didn't have as much success as them. Um, watching the John Milius documentary and and like reading from a few sources here and there, it's strongly suggested that Sean Connery had a habit of bringing in John Milius and other writers to punch up his dialogue. Okay. Regardless of who actually wrote the film that he was working on, he, he had like a stable of writers that he would bring in to, to give him more speeches. Okay. Like th- literally, that was something that I, I think I heard John Milius say. It's like I, I like this film, but it needs more speeches. Gotcha. <laughs> so he would just like recruit talent to make his role more substantial, in regardless of what his role in the actual film was supposed to be. Um, and to that end, uh, at this stage in his career, I think he he had a pretty big ego, and he was difficult to wrangle. Mm. I haven't heard any any gross reports on the set of this film sounded like spielberg got a good handle on him he didn't sean connery did not like george lucas no shocker yeah (laughs) i mean the the king of sex (laughs) the king of sex in cinema in mainstream film 
and George Lucas. <laughs> um, apparently, George Lucas was very uncomfortable with uh, the Eskimo Brothers situation be- between the Joneses and Sean Connery. He was just like, the fuck is your problem? <laughs> <laughs> of course I would fuck a woman to, like he would. Yeah, absolutely. Grow up here, George. <laughs> uh, yeah, I could see him calling George a nerd. Uh, <laughs> you fucking nerd. I like that uh, That. F- the, the outfit she's wearing with the big fat worm thing, yes. <laughs> like, yes, Alice and Duty. Why is her shoulders so poofy? <laughs> Why is her hair so aggressive? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm just like, I feel like with Harrison Ford, I'm like, he'll punch you, old man. Like, get out of line. You're old enough that I can punch you, and I'm good friends with the director. So. Yeah, uh, I, as far as I understand, Sean Connery was fine on the set of this one. He did lobby for certain things. Like, he, he liked having special consideration, so he was a big ego on the set. But as far as I understand the production, he didn't slow down the production or anything. Uh, he and Harrison Ford seemed to have good rapport. I was going to say, in the film, for sure. It yeah. seemed like, like, as far as I understand, they spent time together just, like, off oh, hours. Like, just nice. palling around. I mean, Harrison Ford seems very affable. Like, he seems like a cool guy in general, and Sean Connery... Same. So Unless you, you piss him off, then yeah. he's a fucking nightmare. <laughs> so you know the story of him accidentally punching Ryan Gosling in Blade Runner 2049, right? Please, tell oh, the story. Kyle. So he, uh, so they're doing a scene, I think it's right when he meets Decker. Like, he's, uh, like he comes to find him, and he ends up punching him about something, and he ends up, like, Harrison Ford actually clocks him. You can see there's a still from it. Harrison Ford, like, has a face like, Oh no, I just punched him! And Gosling's got, like, cross-eyed <laughs> with one eye shut kind of thing. Um, but he, there's on like the Graham Norton show and he, he's sitting there's like, yes, we were doing it. And, um, he keeps looking over and he's like, Ryan, Ryan, uh, we were, we were sent for the scene and he was just off his mark a little bit. And then Ryan, he keeps like turning (laughs) over, but Ryan Gosling's just sitting there with his arms crossed Uh and he just keeps waiting, Ryan, but he's not, he's not like pissed about it or anything. So I'm like, I don't know if he's just. If they're doing a bit, and I think it's a bit. Okay, it was it was funny. It was just like, well, also Harrison yeah. Ford smokes a lot of weed. So. Harrison Ford smokes a lot of weed, but he he's funny. It's just he's he usually makes for terrible interviews. Like because he doesn't he, give a fuck. It's that, and he's he's I think just generally uncomfortable with with being interviewed as a famous person. I wouldn't want to be interviewed. Like in conversation, he seems cool, but when there's a camera rolling and he's being interrogated about things, he seems tight. Um, but on film and on film sets like some of the behind the scenes footage of Raiders is really fun to watch him like do acting shit oh yeah because he is giddy like a schoolboy. like you can tell he, as Just an actor he, he's most at home playing make believe and you know it stands to reason that a person wired that way like being genuine is sometimes difficult Especially when the whole conversation is revolving around you and your shit. It's like, I don't really want to talk about me. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I mean, he had to throw a lot of punches at Ryan Gosling on that set. So I'm not surprised he caught him clean at least once, you know. (laughs) Because that that whole sequence is just him relentlessly thwacking him until he gets tired of it, actually. (laughs) Good movie. Very good movie. Uh, Yeah. One of the better, one of the better sequels out there. Yeah, and it even has Jared Leto in it. It's a good movie, which is that's that, hard, that's hard hard to fucking do. That is that's remarkable. It's <laughs> remarkable. Um, but yeah, uh, this scene, um, just the interplay here is really fun because, like Kyle had pointed out, um, Jones Senior is examining the vase, and in the meantime, he's like, he's just like, he's going, oh, such a shame. And then Indy's like, yeah, you hit me on the head. Like, I, I think I'm okay. And then, like, 
he Indy's thinking his dad is talking about, I'm sorry I hit you. Yeah. When in reality he's just feeling bad that he broke a vase they thought was valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Such a shame, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then he uh, callously just like throws the vase into the wall and it smashes, makes a noise, and alerts the Nazis. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, where uh, Indy is getting dad back up to speed so he's like so we we found the tomb and then the the tone of the conversation shifts from being kind of antagonistic like they're butting heads yeah to all of a sudden they're they're talking shop which is what they can do like the one thing they can talk about i had to put val on my watch list to get at the front uh willow is on prime right now by the way oh i gotta get on that yeah I, that's that's one i haven't seen well it's still there that's sorry a, that's a ron howard film <laughs> <laughs> make of that what you will there you go. <laughs> Uh, also a George Lucas production. Mm-hmm. Um, the first morph shot, I think, in cinema history. A couple morph shots. Yeah. Uh, I think that was the, the beginning of that technology, and we get some of that at the end of this one. But, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but this is where Indy mentions that, yeah, like the tomb was really cool and stuff. We found we found the location of where the grail might be, and, and his dad's just like, oh, I wish I could have been there, man. He's like... There were rats. There were rats. And, and, his, and his face shifts. He's like, oh. <laughs> I thought it was going to come back like like, uh, like actually he'd have to deal with rats one-on-one. I thought yeah. that, it doesn't come up like that. But yeah, oh, there were yeah. rats. I yeah. love when the Nazis come in the room and they put their hands. <laughs> it's immediate. It's like this, the escape plan is immediately foiled. Yes. Yes. And and the, the dialogue exchange where he's... Sean Connery is mocking the Nazis holding them at gunpoint being like, <laughs> like you stupid dolt <laughs> it's like, I don't have the diary it's like I gave it to I shipped it to my son he hid it, it away yeah. and the whole time Harrison Ford is just making these faces like <laughs> it's pretty great <laughs> it's great uh, <laughs> about <yes>. that <laughs> Um, um, but yeah. this is where uh, India's had enough of being called Junior Junior yeah. as it's pronounced Indiana. and uh in his frustration, he uses he uses them screaming at each other as a as a diversion to grab hold of one of the Nazis' uh, MP40s and he shoots them all dead. And then he have that quip where he looks back at his dad after having murdered three three people in front of his dad. <laughs> Don't call me Junior. You shot them. His reaction is priceless. Look what you did. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe what you did. Dad, I've killed a lot of people. <laughs> A lot of people. But that, that's what's so fun about this performance, though, is it's so against type for Sean Connery. Mm-hmm. Look what you did! <laughs> you killed people! Um, and then the next... Th- this whole this whole sequence, when Elsa is being held up, the lighting here pisses me off. It well, actually angers me. I didn't notice it. It looks like there's a fireplace right there. Like there's this oh, strong yeah. orange light source just blasting onto their backs. Well, yeah, because there is a fireplace, but there's no fire in it. Yeah, but the camera never shows us the geography. They just kick open a door, and then all of a sudden there's a, a man in, like, a colonel's outfit holding Elsa yeah. at gunpoint. This is face liquor. <laughs> face liquor Nazi. Yes. Yeah, so this is a Vogel, who I'll have to actually look up the actor's name because it's not known to me. Uh, Michael Byrne, who I've always described as Maggie Grace, but a man. Um, she... She's from the Harry Potter movies. She got she got the same eyes and the same kind of like dour expression, like perpetually kind of slightly frowny faced. Hmm. Um, this guy is a character actor that pops up in funny places from time to time. It was actually kind of funny. I think if memory serves, he his role in a, a sum of all fear, the sum of all fears, 
Like he shows up and his character isn't really given much ceremony, but just because of his recognizable face, like the whole movie kind of like conforms to him for a few minutes at a time. Yeah, I called him Face Licker because he's the dude who tries to rape Mel Gibson's wife in Braveheart. There you go. Yeah, Face Licker. Explanation. Yeah. Um, but he is uh, Colonel, I think, Vogel. Vogel's the character's name. Uh, he's holding Elsa at gunpoint. And uh, he's basically saying, give me the diary or Elsa dies. And then Sean Connery's reaction instantly is like, she's a Nazi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for real. Like, why would you not listen to your... Like, that's the thing. He just doesn't... They don't want, They don't listen to each other, basically. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this whole thing, she's like, she's a Nazi. 100%. Shoot her. <laughs> he's like, yeah, shoot her. I don't give a shit. Yeah. And the whole time, he's just like, just, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> but of course, Indy acquiesces and he puts the gun down and Elsa apologizes and then takes the diary. Say what you will about dad, but at least he knows how to love him and leave him. Jeez. <laughs> uh, and then we're marched into like the foyer of the of the castle or something and uh, we get John Williams' Nazi theme, which is not the Imperial March, but it's damn close. <laughs> uh, same indication. Uh, it, it's it's fun though, because it, it is its own unique melody and it's it's cool just having a musical sting to play every time the bad guys show up yeah and it's a good one it's a really memorable remember one. people nazis are bad <laughs> i know the uniforms are slick as fuck yeah but they're bad they're bad the swastika is bad yeah, one could say even the worst yeah. <laughs> <laughs> pretty bad <laughs> um but yeah we're all held captive now and uh, it is revealed that uh, donovan dickless is yes. yeah Dickless and and what liquor what face liquor face liquor and Dickless yeah <laughs> and Doctor Schneider and Doctor Schneider <laughs> uh, so we have three major villains established now Donovan is of course working with the Nazis um, for his own independent reasons but he's using their resources to get to it yeah uh, he wants the Grail by all means necessary but there are uh, we we get the uh, we get the uh, the diary. And she's like, there are pages missing from this. And he's just like, mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, Indy's like, how did you know she was a Nazi? And, and this is where we get the priceless line. She talks in her sleep. Yeah. <laughs> and, and just the looks exchanged after that comment. Just, and Sean Connery just looks like, yep. <laughs> yep, I did it. <laughs> I'd be pretty grossed out at this point uh, if I was Indy. Like, oh, oh, I oh. mean, yeah, a dry heave would not have been inappropriate during one of the takes. I, in fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Harrison Ford did a take of that. Just, oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> pretty gross. Yeah, it is uh, pretty gross. This is my possibly my favorite uh, scene transition in all of the Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> this is where. She's like he's hidden. She's taking the pages. She's like it's obvious where he's given. He's he's hidden them. He's giving it to Marcus Brody. And she's like he'll be easy to find. He sticks out like a sore thumb. And he's like this. He just rattles off this whole thing. He knows every local custom. He speaks fifteen languages. He can disappear and reappear without even a trace. And he's so confident. And like even I believe him. And cut to hello. Does anybody here speak English? Hello. <laughs> so fucking funny. And the custom thing actually comes up as well. Yeah, uh, which is pretty funny. But Saul is there. Yes. Uh, which is super fun. Uh, but yes, they get greeted by a Nazi, clearly. Yeah. He's like, oh yes, I was sent here by uh, the, the, yeah. the, the, yeah. head, the head tilt. He the goes bow. to bow, and yeah, Brody just moves back. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, he nearly headbutts Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. But yeah, uh, he's like, I was sent here by the Nazi. Uh, Nazi he says sympathizer. It's fr he's from the Museum of Iskenderun. It, yeah. And then Saga points out, there is no museum in Iskenderun. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, 
this this whole sequence is brilliant or it's Sala carrying Marcus's bags and he's trying to pick him up and uh, he keeps he's trying to just carry on the conversation so the Nazis are like papers and Sala's like oh yes I got the morning paper today just this morning run run <laughs> and he keeps he takes like three or four tries he keeps ending every every line with run <laughs> and Marcus is just like what? standing yeah. there not getting it and then the punchline is Salah holds up a newspaper and punches directly through it into one of the Nazis' faces. Run! <laughs> it's my second favorite run, having to do with uh, John Rhys Davies uh, in the scene. Yeah, the man has some good runs in, in his uh, in his filmography. No, just the line "run" because that's also in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. With oh, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Run! <laughs> run! <laughs> uh, John Rhys Davies has a very powerful voice. Right onto the back of a Nazi truck immediately. Yeah, I, I noticed another weird continuity thing here. Um, so Sala throws the one punch through the newspaper. It's tremendous. He yep. knocks this guy through like a food cart or something. And, big dude. And then the, yeah, he's a big. He's even bigger than this one. He put yeah. on like eighty pounds since Raiders. He's fucking massive. <laughs> he's like six two, I think. Like he's a big fellow. No, I would run into him and fall flat on my ass <laughs> easily. And, and he'd turn around and be like, "What happened?" <laughs> it's like, what was that? Yeah, he's like the fucking Undertaker. <laughs> Did a moth sneeze on me <laughs> but what i noticed was um that's the only punch thrown in this whole sequence oh um, yeah and then as he's running to the back of the truck when he's throwing marcus into what looks like just a storefront or something to hide him uh he has blood smeared on half of his face that actually carries through the entire film I didn't catch that. and then he like puts up his dukes as if he's ready for more action so I think they more. I think they shot more action yeah. with Sala. It probably got cut. It's like we're just doing Raiders again. Like it's the same kind of setting. Yeah. Almost exactly the same setting. Yeah, it, it got cut for flow because yeah. Indy and his dad are being held hostage in a castle that, you know, we don't want to lollygag too long in there. Yeah. We don't need to pink panther him around like he's incompetent. Let's just get to the next yeah. scene. Yeah. So Marcus is picked up by a Nazi truck and then the, the Nazi melody plays as it's driving yeah. off and Saul looks utterly dejected like, I had one job and I fucked it up. <laughs> Indy, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, yes, this is where, so we've got the we've got the Jones, uh, Jones boys uh, hostage right now, back to back, tied up, and then uh, Face Licker Nazi uh, I guess escorts uh, Dick Fa- or uh, Dickless to the car, and he's like, "Well, it looks like their their usefulness has run its course, basically." And he's like, "Fucking a, I get to shoot these guys in the head." Yeah, as I, Nazis love to do. Yeah, I like as as soon as like as soon as they find out about the diary pages missing, like Vogel just like looks at both Elsa and Don, and he's like, "Let me kill them now." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he looks so he looks so enthusiastic. He, Let me kill them now. <laughs> he has like some of the best nazi face i've ever seen he, he's pretty incredible like he has very little screen time but every line every shot he's in is ace yeah like perfect yes. um and his finest moment maybe in the whole movie happens here where uh, this is where we say goodbye kyle mm. uh, so elsa is called back to berlin uh, by the high command so you know who yeah uh, <laughs> and uh she gives uh, Indy a big old smooch, and we have a fun moment where she's like, "I had fun in bed with you, Indy." Yeah. And then Sean Connery's they're they're so they're tied to a chair facing away from each other. So yeah. two chairs tied together, and Sean Connery's like, "Yeah, should be. It, was it was pretty it, wonderful. It was pretty wonderful." <laughs> but he's like, "Oh, you're talking to the young one." He even says to him, "He's like, you're old enough to be her grandfather." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fun fact: uh, Sean Connery is well, unfortunately, was. 
uh, only 12 years older than Harrison Ford. Yeah. And apparently that was, uh, he got, he was unsure about being this character's father because of that. But that, that was just an ego thing. Because well, he looks. He looks older, yeah, yeah. he looks older. Harrison Ford looks younger than he is, and Sean Connery looks older than he is. It's very, very solid casting. Like, well, I'm so glad that we got this particular pair, because it worked out too well. The wardrobe does a lot, I think. I think that it, really helps. It does make him look old-timey, you know, yeah. like he's... he's in the, the bucket hat too the, like, the glasses really help yeah no it it, it worked out yeah. it's just i could see why why he would object to that it's like i'm not that much older than him <laughs> it's like but you look the way you split it it's gross dude yeah <laughs> but uh elsa gives it gives india a big wet smooch and then says this is how we say goodbye in austria yeah and then she steps out of frame and then without cutting away vogel steps out of frame <laughs> When this is how we say goodbye in Germany. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was a line in uh, Beer Fest. I swear. I think. I think it's they did a the... damn good line. Yeah, I think they do the same thing. Yeah. When this is how we say goodbye in Alfie... Germany. Alfiedersen. Yeah. <laughs> Bam! Uh, punches him so hard that the back of his head bops his dad. <laughs> they both eat it. Uh, but yeah, this is where they have to plan an escape, and he's like, "Dad, reach into my jacket. I got a lucky charm in there." Uh, and it's a fucking Zippo with a four-leaf clover on it. Yeah. Okay. And uh, we get the first of many botches on the part of the senior Jones. Yeah. Where uh, he tries to burn oh, the ropes yeah. off and he drops it onto the carpet. My second favorite botch. First one's coming up. It's pretty great. Uh, so the carpet is set on fire along with the rest of the castle. Yes. And it's going up <laughs> fast. Like, this thing is made of, like, there's so much goddamn lacquer on this. <laughs> For real. I just love the line. It's like, I have something to tell you. And he's like, don't get sentimental, Dad. Yeah. Now's not the time. Like, the floor's on fire. And the table. <laughs> and the table. But yeah, they uh, they managed to uh, bounce themselves, uh, which is really smart uh, to get to the fireplace, yeah. especially if the flute's open. I mean, you have you know air yeah but they're still pretty coffee but uh indy's trying to get out he's like i think i can get out and he bumps a little little thing on the fireplace and they do a like a spinning uh oh young frankenstein where he just like goes into yeah, in the case other... you need evidence that this is in fact a nazi castle yeah. <laughs> yeah it's got hidden hidden compartments and passages yes <laughs> it turns around and then they're just like sitting there totally still as this thing circles around and then they're in like a some kind of like headquarters and yeah, it's like a communication center yeah and there's a lady just counting in german and they just keep going <laughs> it's like okay Let's try this again. Yeah. Like, Our situation is not improved. <laughs> and he bumps it again, but this time they stop uh, on the other side, and the lady who hears him just like slowly turns around. And it's Frau from Austin Powers, one hundred percent. Yes, this performance is Frau. Exactly Frau. Yeah. But she just looks at them and they smile at her, and she smiles back. Alarm! <laughs> it's the so loudest, funny. most shrill stating of the word alarm you will ever hear it's bring in the fembots yeah <laughs> bring in the fembots <laughs> then they try to kill the joneses with pistols and then they use the revolving uh, fireplace to their advantage and they hide like up in a little cubby in, the, in he, the ceiling he blocks the thing so i'm like those nazis burn to death oh yeah most certainly yeah yeah they did let them burn <laughs> <laughs> um i love sean connery's expression like pressed up against the wall yeah. as it's spinning he just looks so out of his element like i don't know what the fuck is happening but it's kind of cool but uh then we reach another uh corner of the nazi castle because 
there's yet another hidden mechanism in yeah. the form of a chair that uh, Indy can't find his way out of the castle. So Dad's like, like I, I'm just gonna take a seat. Like we can we can think our way out of this, I think. And then he sits down, and there's a mechanism built into the chair, which causes a staircase to form out of the floor, which Indy promptly falls down. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty great. But then we head outside uh, for the motorcycle chase. Yeah, where they uh, they get to where some boats are. This is a funny gag. Indy's like, I got an idea. He's like, he gets the boat started, and his dad throws him his suitcase. He's like, we're not like basically telling him we're not going in the boat. It's, he, it's great. Yeah. Just the, just the pause when he catches the bag. He's like, no! No! <laughs> Time is the essence here, old man. But yeah, he, he sends the boat down the river. And honestly, this would have worked out perfectly if they just would have waited like two, 30 seconds even. Yeah. There would have been no problem. No, all of the Nazis got into that boat. Every single one of them. There's fucking eight dudes in one little boat. But the dude didn't even pull the cord to start the motor yet. Yeah. Like all you have wait for is them to get going and then go. I guess he just needed enough misdistraction. But, I mean, misdirection. Indy's bloodthirst is through the roof at this point. He's like, I've only killed like five people in this movie. Yeah, that's yeah, true. <laughs> but yeah, uh, this motorcycle chase apparently was filmed like in the form of a reshoot uh, because it was concluded the movie didn't have enough action. Uh, so Spielberg took it upon himself to go back and shoot this sequence because he felt this chapter of the story needed a little bit more action. And I'm so glad they did because I appreciate having this beat and in addition to that i think this is one of if not my very favorite pieces of music in the entire indiana jones series i I love this motorcycle chase because it's the for me it's the perfect length it's it's just a quick little motorcycle chase it's very short yeah it doesn't overstay it's welcome not a whole lot actually happens and i mean but the one the one that does happen is just like oh wow it's it's pretty incredible it's one of those things you would expect it to be in every action movie but similar to the minecart chase in temple of doom it's like actually there aren't that many instances of that in mm-hmm. in cinematic history but outside of george miller <laughs> yeah i'm i'm sure at least one of if not all the mad max movies have some something being lodged into a tire or a spoke at some point yeah, yeah. <laughs> um but yeah uh, the music piece that plays over the sequence is called Cherzo for Motorcycle Chase. It's, it's like three minutes long. And in fact, the sequence is shorter than that um, because that's actually an issue I have with this movie is a lot of the music is chopped up. And because I'm so intimately familiar with the music, like in the soundtrack form, um, hearing it in the movie and it's like truncated, like edited form is distracting to me. Mm. Um, and yeah, the sequence is even shorter than the length of that piece of music. Uh, but the major beats are we get to see Indy uh, joust a yeah. fella on a motorcycle. It's pretty great. He yeah. he defeats a man with a machine gun with with a flagpole. Yeah, and it looks like you know old timey knights or something going at it. Uh, we get to see a couple people flip over the handlebars as a result of that. And then the the big winner at the end, though, Kyle, you want to tell mm. the folks at home yeah, what, th- what the home run hit is at the end of the scene? This guy seems to be the most competent of the uh, motorcycle By guys. Far. Yeah. <laughs> he does a willy on the back of their motorcycle and is like going around to the side and Andy's like, this is about to get shot by this dude. And he's like, well, how am I going to get out of this? And he's like, ooh, I've still got this stick. And he just, it's so, I, I love how quick it is. He just like, Puts it in the tire, and this dude flies fucking twenty feet in the air <laughs> and does like four flips. It's awesome, and it's it was an awesome stunt. It was really cool. It's awesome, and it's it's so abrupt. It's yeah, the timing. Yes, the timing on the edit is fantastic. But even more than that, maybe um, Harrison Ford, his ability to communicate thought process with his face, because yeah. we get this amazing angle 
shot from behind the the spoke of the tire mm-hmm. and then we see him like glance over yeah. and then he gives a hard look and yeah. he's like that math adds up and they just <laughs> you're at a serious disadvantage if you have a motorcycle unless you're trying to outrun somebody in a car if you're battling you are definitely going to lose and i think that's why this sh- sequence is short yeah is because logistically yeah. logistically what else can you do with a motorcycle without the benefit of cgi yeah it's pretty um, much it Kyle, have you ever seen the filming of the motorcycle sequence in John Wick 3? No. You were, your posture right now is very much Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> you look like you're about to smell I, what you are cooking. I watch pretty much zero behind-the-scenes footage of anything being made, so John Wick 3, definitely not. Because you, all... you ought to look that up, because it's kind of incredible. Uh. Like It's bizarre. Like I, It look it's... It looks like so much effort than it was worth, honestly. <laughs> I don't remember much of that movie except for the, the knife fight. I mean, the whole opening 20 minutes is, is all you need, honestly. You, like, the rest of the movie's just fine, but that opening 20 minutes is, like, untouchable. Is that where the knife fight's yes. at? Okay. Yeah, but I'll, I'll send it to you because okay. it's fascinating to look, to look at. Um, anyway, uh, we come to a crossroads, oh. and conveniently this, this, this signage takes- says venice and berlin it's like yeah. those are very far apart and in fact in different countries yeah <laughs> it seems a weird crossroads it's also, very convenient <laughs> also we look like we're in america right now uh yeah yeah. Oh, yeah the motorcycle chase was apparently filmed not far from george lucas's ranch yeah somewhere in california this scene takes a while uh surprisingly he gets uh slapped for blasphemy he's just like all right we need to go to venice because we need to go get marcus and he's like no 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 we need to go to berlin and get the book we need to get the diary because there's a lot of important stuff in there. Um, yeah, this is where he says Jesus Christ. He gets slapped for blasphemy. Um, he's like, "But we want to go to where the Nazis are to get this thing." And he just has this like, "Well, let me tell you about it." And the camera kind of just like, like, like focuses in on him. And I'm wondering if this is one of the the ten, one of the things that they had punched up so you'd have. He uses the phrase "the falsches of darkness." Yes, this was most certainly touched by like a John Milius or someone not connected to the original screenplay because yeah, um, yeah it, sean connery does have some like the phrasing of some of his lines in this movie feel slightly more handcrafted than some of the other lines in the movie yeah and this is one of them where he's basically talking on about how the search for the grail is is there's deeper meaning to it than just getting an object it's like we're we're talking about like preventing a potential end of the world scenario wherein the, the nazis have control of immortality yeah that's not what you want no, yeah. Well, apparently, they, <laughs> apparently they fucking are immortal. Um, but also during the scene is where... Uh, yeah. <laughs> I just realized what you said. Um, where uh, Indy's father laments the loss of the mom. Yeah. Uh, she's mentioned only in a couple lines of dialogue that apparently, like, Indy... You know, he and his dad have issues with each other, and a lot of it came down to the fact that mom passed when he was very young, and so it was just the two of them stuck with each other, and they never figured out how to talk to each other. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, we head into Berlin, into the lion's den, and this sequence it's looks fucking... incredibly elaborate and expensive, despite being for no fucking yeah, reason, completely non-essential. We to don't the plot. We literally. So we have people burning books, and then Doctor Schneider's like next to Hitler. 
uh, standing up there. Good Hitler casting, by the way. Extraordinarily good. Very good Hitler casting. Uh, yeah, they're just burning books. Hitler's watching the dudes walk by with flags, and uh, Dr. Schneider's just like about to start crying because they're burning books. I'm like, this, this is where you're getting emotional? <laughs> this? Okay. But she just can't handle the book burning. Like, you've got a lot. <laughs> Boy, do you have some surprises coming. Uh, but yeah, she just kind of walks away. At, of course, I, like, I do like this Harrison Ford uh, getting a uniform. Uh, he gets a, a Nazi uniform, which, I, in retrospect, I wonder if he's like, uh, I kind of wish I hadn't worn that. He's <laughs> like, I feel dirty. I, yeah, <laughs> I feel pretty dirty. And I think we mentioned before that these were all actual like Nazi uh, uniforms yes. that they used for this. Yeah, he um, he pulls Dr. Schneider aside, and this is a kind of a dark indie moment here. Oh, yeah. yeah. He, he puts hands on her. Yeah. He, she's just like, you're fucking alive? Like, how did you get here? Like, don't worry about that. Worry about other things. And uh, he, he just gets the, he just like takes the diary. Worry about it. the cowboys this year. Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. You've got other problems. You need to, you either need a cyanide, to, a cyanide tablet under a tooth, or you need to go to South America because you have problems coming. <laughs> um, so yeah, he, uh, he just pulls the diary out and he's just like, feels really betrayed by her. I don't know if it's because, honestly, I don't know if it's because because she's with the Nazis, or because she banged his dad. It could be either one. Um, I mean, I mean I, I'm, I'm sure the latter does color come, some of his interactions with her from this point on. <laughs> he's, she's just She says something, and he grabs her by the throat. He's like, all I have to do is squeeze. I'm like, dude, violence against women? All right, first of all, you were kind of rapey earlier. And second, <laughs> now you're like going to crush her trachea right over here? Eesh, okay. Yeah, need to go in there and add a very low on the soundtrack. Just a short round in the background. Like, you call him Dr. Jones, doll. Short round, what are you doing here? <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so he, he goes to take off and he gets stuck in a crowd and a Hitler is just like walking down the street signing autographs, which I, I, this is such a weird thing to have in here. I don't know if he's just like saying that Hitler wasn't even like a real leader, like he was just a fucking douchebag who was all about fame and this is just something he would do. I don't understand what the scene is here because Indy gets pushed into the crowd going in front of Hitler, and Hitler looks at the diary, and he gives him this look like he knows what it is, but he just asks for a he just I, I think for what the look is meant to be is like, you're a grown German officer, yeah. why are you well, asking me to sign your book? It's weird, but also the way the way it's telegraphed to us, it's like, maybe he knows what this yeah. is, but yeah. It's a, it's a tense comedic sequence. Yeah, also this is how you approach the Fuhrer. You're in uniform, dude. You, this is not how you just bump into to Hitler, but yeah, he just signs it. <laughs> With the worst signature, it's Adolf <laughs> Hitler, and then he kind of gives like a little bit of a spurt to it. Like that was that was close, but also I got an autograph from Hitler. <laughs> it's very strange. I don't, it's a I'm, very strange sequence, and like I said, it doesn't look cheap either. No, like no. there's a lot of extras. We got costumes from all over Europe. We have twenty foot Nazi flags, several yeah. of them. Yeah, it, it's a very elaborate, expensive looking sequence. That I want to say this it feels pointless it feels entirely just whimsy on the part of the director but i want to say this is like a signal that this is where spielberg's head is at because only a few years after this we get into schindler's list but empire of the sun is world war ii era it's not dealing with the nazis but it's it's of the era and then private ryan down the line like it's something that he's been carrying in the back of his mind so i want to say he 
it's in there for his reasons, but we're not entirely sure what they might be. But as far as the film goes, I think it might be a way to reground us because once, like, it hasn't really been goofy so far until Sean Connery gets in the mix, and then it's kind of yeah a little farcical. Like it's kind of it's kind of goofy. Yeah, I think this is a chance to like, okay, now these are fucking Nazis, guys. <laughs> Let's not forget they're yeah. they're really shitty people. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that could be it too. It's, it just recenters the movie and reminds you that stakes are high because I mean. Say what you want. If you threw that, if you threw that book burning in black and white, like, whew, that's fucking chilling. Oh, and the music playing and the goose stepping. The goose stepping on the soundtrack is incredibly loud and effective. Like, it, it feels eerie. I think you just had to. I think Schindler's list is. I just got to purge this. Yes. guys. I have to get this out. No, he he yeah. definitely had. That. It's yeah. just like this has to happen now because I've been flirting with it for too long. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's appropriate that the scene ends with a wipe. Yeah. Because it feels like a, a comedic like exclamation point kind of on the scene. But uh, we go to the Flughafen, the Berlin <laughs> Berlin Flughafen, the airport. Have um, you gotten to Archer where they get on the, the Zeppelin? Uh, no, I oh, haven't. God. I've, I've watched the first two seasons. Lana, the helium, Jesus! It's <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorite episodes. Um, but we get to uh, the blue-screened Zeppelin. Uh, yeah. I like it. It's charming. I like the I like the the blue screen. It's just like I know it's fake and it looks fake, but I like it. I actually was talking to my girlfriend about that. Was that ILM worked on the Indiana Jones films, all of them, uh, Industrial Light and Magic. Okay. Um, so that would be the people who gave us Star Wars and yeah. who were pioneering and and engineering some of the finest special effects technology in cinema, in particular in this era. Mm. Uh, Ghostbusters two. Uh, I I don't know if they worked on that one. I think they did. Um, maybe a better exhibition of their work but the indiana jones movies what's kind of charming about the first three anyway is that part of the charm about th- their work in the indiana jones films at least in the first three is that it's somewhat jank mm-hmm. like it's it's spotty at best like it is not their best showing like if you compare this to empire strikes back or ghostbusters 2 this is not ilm's a game no but it it's charming because it because it's from the 1930s because it's referencing you know the old adventure serials like bad special effects or poor blue screening actually it lends it some charm so it, it doesn't bother me either because these zeppelin these zeppelin shots look terrible yeah no like straight up and the airplane stuff is even worse yeah. it's terrible yeah it's got off um however i will say the worst shot in the entire franchise occurs during the sequence Kyle which one uh, so when we're at the airport uh, Indy and his dad oh when we first see the Zeppelin no that that's bad okay that is a prelude though to what I'm referencing here uh, so they they buy tickets they hop on a Zeppelin and then before they can take off though uh, it gets halted for inspection mm. and this this almost felt like like a reshoot type situation or something because not only is it being inspected Vogel like I yeah aka the like the colonel in in like the ss or some shit is personally conducting the investigation alone yeah he wouldn't be doing that yeah i was about to say everything about this feels a little rushed like it feels like who do we have like like we even the number of extras on set is scant like there, there's not a whole lot going on here yeah he would have six dudes with machine guns exactly with them. yeah and he wouldn't even be the one doing it exactly yeah. it, it feels like they made an executive decision to just like get the big bad guy just so the audience can readily identify like oh he's the bad guy like from the castle um anyway that he conducts this investigation and uh, he's like checking everybody like making because he's looking for the joneses and uh indy like 
snatches another uniform twice in the same movie yeah. <laughs> um, of one of the like Zeppelineers or something. And then uh, he catches Vogel just in time because Vogel finds his dad um, with his glasses off, which, you know, if, by Clark Kent terms, that actually works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Harrison Ford punches out Vogel and throws him out the window onto the luggage down below. And then we have a fun comedic beat where he like just gestures out the window and says, no ticket. Yeah. <laughs> and all the passengers like hurriedly pull out their tickets because like only half of them speak a lick of English. And they're like, oh shit, that's what happens if you don't have a ticket on the Zeppelin? He just punched an SS officer. Yes. <laughs> and threw him out the window. <laughs> You'll be shot for this. <laughs> Look what you did. <laughs> yeah. But the worst shot, I think, in the entire franchise, we'll see. Crystal Skull, ha- we haven't reviewed Crystal Skull yet. Yeah. There are groundhogs. There are monkeys. There's quite a lot of ugliness in that movie. But the worst shot, I say, is Vogel getting up from the luggage and shaking his fist at the Zeppelin. It is one of the worst blue screen shots in a mainstream like blockbuster film that I can think of. It also doesn't make any sense because he gets knocked into the luggage. And as he's like, oh, getting out of the luggage, the Zeppelin's taking off. Yeah. What are you doing with the luggage? Yeah, why? <laughs> why is it not on the on the plane or the zeppelin? Unless it's the luggage that just came off the last zeppelin, which I don't think it is. But yeah, it doesn't make any sense. That is not a German way of removing luggage. No, like it's just in a haphazard pile. Yeah, like no. no, there should be conveyors. Everything should be orderly. Like the trains must be on time. <laughs> yeah, and and the people sitting in this zeppelin when the when the SS officers walking around the face liquor, like everyone's just kind of like, oh, no, everybody would be like assholes tights like stiff boards sitting up straight like okay we have to yeah. should we answer him right because we yeah, will be the, shot if we answer that, wrong. that man is wearing an official military uniform with a skull in the center of its hat <laughs> yeah <laughs> pretty terrifying uh so the next sequence is a really fun one it's a it's a conversation between father and son. Oh yeah, this part. I'm thinking so yeah. We're sitting on the Zeppelin and we're we're going back and forth and the beginning of this conversation is Indy just like remarking at how unbelievable it is that they, they fucked the same woman. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, Dad, you're old enough to be your grandfather. Yeah. He's like, I still got it. <laughs> That's not the point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it just kinda trails off because how else where do you go from there? Dad, I'm not I'm just saying it's fucking gross. <laughs> In an alternate universe, yes, that would be that would be how the scene plays out. But yeah. Indy remarks that's like he mentions something about like you would understand how weird that is if you're if you're like all the other dads, like ordinary average oh, dads yeah. as he refers to them. And his dad comes back saying like like I was a great dad. What are you talking about? And he's yeah. like, hang on, what? what? When? <laughs> when were you a great dad? Stay up as late as you wanted. Eat whatever you wanted. It was great, dad. That's how he puts it to yeah. him. He's like, I never, I would never hung over you. I never like loomed over your world. I, I taught, I taught you shelf reliance. Yeah, as he puts it, and and I guess that's one way of putting it. Um, but they go back and forth, and Sean Connery has another really good line where um, he says, "You left." just when you were becoming interesting yeah i was like yeah that is yeah actually it's like as he was becoming an adult that's when he dipped out so it's like what we never we never our paths never matched up to where we could actually talk about shit yeah um and then he says well i'm here now 
how about we talk? And then, of course, Indy can't think yeah. of anything. He's like, and what are you complaining about? <laughs> yeah, that's a real, that's a real shitbag dad move. That was, yeah. a, that was my girlfriend's reaction, too. She was like, what an asshole. <laughs> well, what's the problem? Yeah. yeah um, but then we go immediately back to talking shop, which is apparently, at this point in time, the only thing these two can actually talk about at length. Um, of course, about the grail and stuff. But fun note, uh, this scene was shot with neither men wearing pants. <laughs> yeah, I read that because yeah. it was too hot. It was it was too hot, and Sean Connery was he was worried he would be sweating on the set, so he took his pants off. And Harrison Ford was like, "You're not going to actually do that on the day, right?" And he was like, "Of course I am." Yeah. <laughs> and so he, you know, went in Rome. Did uh, you see Zardos? <laughs> did you see Zardos? <laughs> I do some weird shit. <laughs> My package is on the poster. <laughs> Got a lot more body hair than you thought. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. Scruffy. You should see my bush. <laughs> it's all over my chest. <laughs> it's one stripe. Did you see Austin Powers? <laughs> it's like a landing strip. I forget that he's so hairy. That's yeah. He's quite hairy. Um, although there there are certain people that have hair in certain places that it's quite a bit grosser to look at. Um, like, Somebody posted a picture of Keanu Reeves in like the nineties. Like with a towel around his waist, like 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 laughing for a shot. Dude's bush is like fucking four feet like, off of his body. <laughs> it's incredible. It's funny too because he he's all like in more recent years he's always had that like kind of like soft like baby body. Hairless, yeah. yeah. He's like a hairless dude. Yeah, he's never had like the toned definition of a traditional action star. He he looks like a baby like with his shirt off. Now. He's got a full blown chia pet on his on his crotch. <laughs> <laughs> it's huge. I got. I'm gonna try to find it. <laughs> uh, Will Will Ferrell has always maybe held the title for most awkward chest hair, if you ask me. Who Will Ferrell? Yeah. Oh yeah, but. It works for his. Because it's in these little burrs. Yeah, it's in, so. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, mine's got a little more brown sugar on it. <laughs> He's great. Um, but yeah, this whole scene was shot with both both of these actors in their undies, which is a fun little detail. But yeah, they, they go over uh, the hunt for the grail. So basically, we're whipping out the diary. And the three key points to come from this are the trials of getting to the grail. Yeah. Uh, so the breath, the word, and the path of God. Uh and then uh, we notice that the Zeppelin is turning around. And Indy yeah. becomes aware of this because he feels the motion and he sees the shadow on their glasses changing direction. 20 minutes tops that the Zeppelin has been going. Yeah, no, we, we haven't been up there very long. We're not even close to Italy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, and, and I don't know what country Iskenderun is in, but that's, that's where Marcus is apparently. But um, Indy takes decisive action and once again we just kind of have this leap in logic where we are transported from the heart of the Zeppelin into the bowels of the Zeppelin and yep. we just happen to know that there's a biplane hanging underneath it like a remora so Indy and his dad hijack, hijack a plane that is attached to the Zeppelin yeah. an who arm, is an that armed supposed plane. to save? who is that supposed yeah, to what help? what is this for? Yeah, because it, it's armed like it has machine guns on it it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make a lick of sense, but we need to get off the Zeppelin because it's going back to Germany. So we, we steal a plane, and this is where we get the line where his dad asks him, like, you know how to fly a plane? And as we've seen in previous Indiana Jones films, in Temple of Doom in 1935, didn't not, know how to fly. Not quite. Raiders, Kyle made the argument that when he's escaping from South America, he does hop into the, the pilot seat. Yeah. So maybe he learned in the intervening time between... Uh, temple and raiders and now in this one he says yes i know how to fly yes fly yes 
Land, no. no. <laughs> so he, he learned a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then this plane sequence, Kyle, what did you think of this? Uh, see, it, it the plane sequence is fine. Uh, it's pretty quick. But yeah, out of nowhere we get two Nazi pilots just... Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. <laughs> like, immediately. And I do like... He's like, Dad, you're going to have to get on the gun and shoot. He's like, oh, okay. And he's just like, 11 o'clock. And he's like... What happens at 11? He's <laughs> no. looking at his watch when he's... 9, 10, 11! And he, <laughs> he starts shooting and almost immediately shoots the tail, which is pretty funny. And he's like, ah... Uh, sorry, son. They got us. <laughs> it's pretty good. I love that he doesn't own up to yeah, it. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, I, it, I wouldn't own up to it either. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't either. They were shooting like, sorry, son. They got us. Like, Yeah, he's like, Dad, are we hit? He's <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah, where from? I'm not going to tell you, but yeah, we got hit. <laughs> so this is another Austin Powers gag. Where in in the second one, in the the spy who shagged me, he's driving around uh, England, and he's not in America this time. So he's like, you know, what's incredible how England looks in no way like Southern California, and it's such like when I watched it as a kid, I'm like, what the fuck does that have to do with anything? And as I got older, I'm like. Oh, it's because we're setting movies in specific places. However, they're ninety percent being shot in Southern California, yeah. and it's kind of like the gag is like I've noticed this in movies, and here is like it's strong because we are literally in Germany. Germany has a look; it's mountainous with with the forest. <laughs> we are in Southern California. <laughs> we get when the plane lands. That's why I said we're nowhere near Italy because that's the only way you could make this kind of transition is like we were almost to italy but now we're now we're landing yeah yeah it, it the the landscape doesn't quite match up the same, not even a little bit it, there's it, it's a fun detail to note there, there's a giuseppe like there's a there's a dude <laughs> working on a car like working on a car he's got like the mustache and everything i'm like i think that dude's supposed to be italian i mean he's got goats yeah <laughs> he's definitely from the mediterranean i was like weird yeah weird we're somewhere in the med <laughs> Yeah, because we get to the fucking ocean. We're at the ocean. Yes, we do get to the shore. How did we get to the ocean? <laughs> this makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, the, the last shot we have of the Zeppelin is in the mountains. Yeah. Like, the mountains we literally, right yeah, there. We're literally in the mountains. Right, literally on top of the mountains. Snow. There's snow. <laughs> Snow-capped mountains. We get to the beach. Like, gorgeous <laughs> blue water beach. Yes. Warm beach. Warm beach. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for pointing out these uh, logistical fallacies, Kyle. It's driving me nuts. Yeah, uh, so the plane goes down, and uh, this sequence it feels like it was shot in a hurry again. Uh, seems to be a recurring thing in the action sequences in this movie. Uh, we're condensing stuff uh, in favor of the narrative flow. So the, sh- the number of blue screen shots, which, by the way, maybe they should have done like a rear projection thing instead. Because mm. the, the matte lines, like there's like a, a black outline on yeah. them, and the, it looks ratty. Like, it looks raggedy, but um, there's very few shots in the air. And it's it's mixed be- between blue screen shots of the actors reacting and, like, live footage of actual biplanes flying. Cool stuff, but it lasts, like, 20 seconds. And then we crash, uh, and like Kyle had said, we steal a man's car. Because, again, yeah. we're Americans abroad. We have to break shit. Yeah. Or steal shit. Um, and then we dip into a tunnel to escape from one of the pursuing planes. And the plane, very absentmindedly... Chases them into the tunnel. Absent-mindedly is putting it politely. <laughs> this guy's a dumbass. He deserves everything that happens to I him. I mean, like we said about the Nazis and Raiders, th- these are not these are not top men. Th- no. These are the B team of the Nazis. No, these are the B team. <laughs> yeah, because this pilot goes into a tunnel and knocks the planes off, knocks the wings off of his plane in the process. 
And uh, this this sequence was shot with combination of rear projection, uh, miniatures. They built like a 200 foot long tunnel for the miniature effects, and they even incorporated stop motion. It's a very complex effect, but I love that beat of the plane sliding alongside them yeah. in the tunnel, and the pilot just like giving this look like of incredulity, where he's just like, "What? What the? happened? You're like, what did I do? You're in a plane." <laughs> I mean, to quote comic book guy from The Simpsons, just, oh, I've wasted my life. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he blows up two seconds later. <laughs> but just that look on his face is spectacular. But um, we get out of the tunnel, and then uh, the other plane, the second plane, drops a bomb in front of them. It causes a, a pit to form in the road, and the car gets stuck in it. And I love when they're both getting out of the car, and they're both covered in dust. And it, Indy just gives this, this perfect dad like he hits that tone where it's just like you're you're irritated but it's dad so like you have to hit the right tone in order to not piss him off he's like dad and they point to the sky and he's like it's coming back let's go <laughs> i love to go i love this plane noise i love the uh, uh, yeah. i like the i like the sound of the old planes in movies that, yeah that the, the propeller sound is really cool there's a reason why a lot of these engine noises again uh george lucas produced these films Skywalker sound and ILM are his, you know, his brainchild and stuff. Like he hired a lot of those people, he staffed a lot of those people. A lot of the sound effects in the Indiana Jones movies are engineered by the same people who worked on Star Wars. And a lot of the spacecraft effects and stuff from the old Star Wars movies were taken from like plane and car noises and stuff. Um the the dog is burping. I was going to say she was getting her sleep barks. <laughs> um but, do, but I, yeah, this plane comes down on them, and they've run out of they've run out of road. Yeah. So they're on the beach, as Kyle pointed out, a sunny beach. And uh, Indy checks his revolver, which is not going to help you against a plane. No, I mean unless you're going to shoot yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean it's one way out of that yeah. situation. All right, Dad, line up. <laughs> Put your head against my head. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to give him the satisfaction. Uh, but he is out of ammo. So they're they're in a pickle. So Kyle, how did we find our way out of this pickle? It's pretty dark. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a fun scene, but uh, I read in the trivia apparently these were pigeons, not seagulls. And the person who wrote the trivia was like, "You can't train seagulls," so they had to use pigeons. I'm like, okay. But um, Sean Connery or Sean Connery, uh, Doctor, what's his first name? Henry. Henry. Uh, Henry takes his uh, umbrella and he does like squawking noises. <laughs> And he flaps the umbrella, and it uh, it sends the birds up in the air. And I always think of the edge where the guy's like, oh, shit! <laughs> the birds just came out of nowhere. <laughs> but yeah, he brings this plane down because uh, the planes like that do not do well against birds. Yeah, uh, uh, this is what is referred to in aviation as bird strike. Eesh. Um, yeah. You're done. Yeah, you are done. You are done. Um, yeah, that propeller is the only thing keeping you up there, and now it's it's clogged with bird. And, and, <laughs> uh, and Junior's just kind of like, huh, wow. Like, he just pulled off. I do like how he's just like, I was thinking about something about in a book. Where I suddenly remembered my Charlemagne. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and as he's walking along, he just has like this, like, hmm, wow, that was that was really impressive. I'm like, he just killed a shitload of birds. <laughs> it's kind of dark. but it, it, Yeah, he did kill a shitload of birds, but he killed a plane yeah. with birds. Yeah. That's pretty fucking cool. And, and Harrison Ford's expression communicates all of that, where he's just like looking at his dad as he walks past him, and he's just like, okay, that was kind of tight. <laughs> like, <laughs> but, 
apparently, so the next scene is dickless with face liquor Nazi, and they're at some king's house. So this is the, I guess, the fictional or real country that I don't know if this is. It's referred to as the Republic of Hatay, and I don't know if that's real, but I want to say this deal is based in in some sort of historical precedent. Like, yeah, it, like sh- deals like this have been made in this region before. Yes, because uh, did you notice how they word this? Is like, we would never come into your house uh, without like coming to your land without asking permission. Here's our payment. Uh, I like how he says, all these fine, uh, like it's a chest of gold, basically, just different things. He's like, donated by some of the more affluent members of German society. I'm like, that's all shit that you stole out of fucking Jewish people's houses. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, remember who's directed this film. He knows what he's doing. But what's also funny about that, though, is like, okay, so you have old valuables from from Germany. You were you were in the Middle East. Yeah, history has a different like scope in that region. Like same with like Asia or something. It's like our timeline goes quite a bit further back than yours. Your old shit is quite young by our standards. Yeah. But I do like they drove a, a nice Nazi Rolls Royce, but the guy just like he just looks at the the gold and he's like, eh. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, this guy might be a genius because he has his eyes set on this Rolls Royce and he just he he names it all like he's like goes zero to sixty in like fourteen point five seconds or something like that. Um, it's a real dumb dumb Toretto <laughs> moment here. He just rattles off all the stuff. I'm like, dude, sit on that Rolls Royce. Put it in storage with a blanket over it for like 30 fucking years. That thing will be priceless. <laughs> yeah, like I said, I, I seem to recall there being historical precedent for like exactly this sort of yeah. deal being done. What do you think they were doing? Yeah. yeah but, uh, Rolls Royce Phantom 2. <laughs> and he, and like as payment, he's, he's asking for the car. They get and, all kinds of And they of don't stuff. ask for anything. And he just starts trailing off just like, you will have guides. Guns, vehicles, camels, and tanks. <laughs> you will have horses, expendable characters, anything that you need. Lots of bullet fodder. <laughs> and Donovan's response is, of course, thank you. These <laughs> are in the ignition, bruh. Yeah, he's like, okay, that was the easiest deal that has ever been made. Um, so we uh, we regroup with Sala. So Dad, Dad, and Indy. Uh, we all we all regroup with Sala, and they tell him that Marcus has been taken by the Nazis. So, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. Uh, and then we cut to the tank convoy, and there's this awesome reveal of Vogel like walking around a corner in a canyon, and he just like gives this hand wave, and then a big ominous tank comes around the corner behind him, and the German theme kicks in. And it's like, oh, so that's what Indy has to deal with this time around. <laughs> when I saw this scene, I stopped taking notes from here because I'm like, okay, it's just watch time. Uh, but yeah, so from here, when I saw a Nazi in a tank, I'm like, I want a bottle of red wine and I want to watch uh, Saving Private Ryan because that, that, those two just go perfectly together. Yeah, I, I mean, I've always said it about the Indiana Jones movies. Like, they're, they have the best set pieces. Like, I love being able to reference an entire 10-minute, 15-minute stretch of a movie and just say, tank chase. Yeah. And Kyle knows what I'm talking yeah. about. It's one of my favorite moments in, in uh, Saving Private Ryan is that end part where that, where that first tank shows up. And they're like, are they going to take the bait? Oh, they're taking it. I mean, it. Spielberg, you know, early in his career had Jaws. So when it comes to building, like, setups and payoffs, mm-hmm. the, the man knows the- his way around that shit. And the sound effects and the ground rumbling in, mm-hmm. during the approach of oh, the tanks. God. 
before like a whole two minutes before you see the damn thing you it's were, you were so concerned about what's about to happen that that two minute sequence of them coming into town is a it's it that movie's a masterpiece but that that section right there you're absolutely right it's like i'm getting chills now thinking about it no edward burns hopping off of the the, the rabbit as they call it and hopping yeah. into the ditch and he's like i i did my best they're coming this way and you just hear the the, or the creaking and stuff barry pepper doing the hand signals and they're like saying it out loud the build up to that sequence is masterful gosh you know, but the problem is with that movie it's a fantastic movie but you can only do it like once every other year because you have to space out your viewings yeah it, it's, it's it's a heavy watch it's a heavy watch but god damn it is it great yeah, yeah. and then every, like i dare you to not be caught off guard when giovanni rubisi eats one in the gut that's 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 a tough scene. that because it's like you know you can pretend you're having a good time and then every once in a while the movie reminds you hey it's war vin diesel dies you're like and I'm <laughs> sorry dude Giovanni eats it okay not having a good time <laughs> he does it's crazy how much Vin Diesel sticks out when I go back and watch that like he does not fit into that at all no he doesn't strange strange casting but anyway <laughs> hey, I digress <laughs> yes this, this happens from time to time but um I noticed four hours long <laughs> <laughs> I noticed uh Donovan has an exchange here with Marcus so I uh, Marcus is in a Jeep with uh, Donovan and Schneider, mm-hmm. uh, Elsa. Um, and Donovan is ADR'd here, uh, similar to earlier in the film, um, like during the, the book burning. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ADR in the sequence because there's a lot of noise on the set, so you had to record your dialogue in post. Um, he has an ADR'd line here probably because the Jeep was making too much noise, and he sounds identical to Dr. Evil. <laughs> <laughs> like, as Kyle had mentioned, Austin Powers... He's <laughs> like, <laughs> Doctor Jones, we're headed towards the Holy Grail. Yeah, I never. Yeah, I could, I could do that. Indiana Jones. <laughs> some of you I know. Some of you I'm meeting for the first time. Yeah, <laughs> yes. No. He's he's this just this one line. He sounds identical to Doctor Evil, and he's even dressed like him. Yeah, because <laughs> he has his like silver jacket on now. Uh, he has Uncle Knickknack's summer wardrobe on, much like the rest of the, the Nazis in the desert. The details of my life are quite inconsequential. <laughs> <laughs> number two. <laughs> I'm due for a rewatch. It's been years. I mean, if you called Vogel number two at some point. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. He is number two. Yeah. Um, but we have a fun beat here where uh, Indy is watching the convoy with binoculars. This is good, yeah. And uh, the Nazis see the, the glint in the in the sunlight. Pretty fucking clear, yeah. Yeah, and the tank like aims its its turret at them and <laughs> Sean... Parker, get out! <laughs> <laughs> Sean Connery is like, like, I think they can shoot you, Sean. And he's yeah. like, Dad, we're well out of range. Yeah. And then the tank fires and blows up the car behind them. And then Sala as one of my favorite lines <laughs> like the car blows up behind them the car that he drove them in to get here and we just see Sala hiding behind this rock and it's so low on the soundtrack it's really easy to miss but he's like that car belonged to my brother-in-law <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna get an earful about this one <laughs> yeah for real something I noticed about Sean Connery is that um, he's unaffected by like he's he's still kind of got like I wonder if this was something like he still's unaffected by the violence in the movie <laughs> Yeah. But it's because he has, I'm guessing he, uh, his character has no association with any of this. So he's just like, he doesn't understand the stakes. Like, Indy's like, like super wired and like be trying to be careful. And he's just kind of like, just strolling. He's like just strolling through. Like, there's bad things happening around him, but he's unaffected by it. He gives a couple of looks in particular during the motorcycle chase that 
signal that I think he's not a big fan of violence in yeah. general. Like, like there's that great shot where Harrison Ford, right after he throws the the flagpole into the spoke and the the motorcycle flips out, he's he just, just like, he, he's like laughing to himself, yeah. and he looks over to his dad, thinking he's, like, he's gonna laugh with him, and he's like checking his yeah, watch. he's just like putting, he's like futzing with his luggage, and he's just like you fucking shithead, yeah. you you shithead, yeah, <laughs> shithead, what's a shithead? You don't know that line because you haven't seen Highlander two, no. Nor will you. <laughs> I got about twenty minutes into the first one, so. But um, yeah, th- that's about to change though his views on violence. But um, this is where the 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 magi, let's just call them what they are, <laughs> the the, the, bro- yeah. the brotherhood of the cruciform sword. Uh, we saw them kind of snooping around um, the Nazis earlier in the movie. They yeah. they stage an attack here, a massively ineffectual attack. Massively. Yes. So they have bolt action rifles. And they're in the hills, and they attack this German convoy. Nazi convoy. And the one of the things about the Nazis in World War II was that they were way technologically advanced. And that's what gave them the edge. Yes, quite a, quite a bit more so than even even our forces. Yeah. Like, like, yes, they, they had a tech edge at yeah. the time. And, uh, yeah, uh, these bolt-action rifles are no match for machine guns and tanks and... Uh, those uh, steel hand granates, the the the, the ones with the ice, stick. ice cream yeah. bars, or whatever. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, this is where we get our, our Wilhelm scream. Uh, yeah, uh, there is at least one Wilhelm scream in all three of these first films. I'm most certainly sure there is one in the fourth one, although I can't pinpoint where it occurs. If you see Lucas Films on the uh, on the produ- like at the beginning of the film, you're going to get a Wilhelm scream. Yeah, the, in Raiders, it's during the truck chase in Temple of Doom. It's uh, when the alligators are eating people. Does Boba Fett do the Wilhelm in uh, Return of the Jedi? I, I don't think so. He does. No, he does like, yeah! It's not a Wilhelm, but he does do it. He does have a scream. Yeah, and they probably changed it to have Tamara Morrison do a, an ADR now. Because <laughs> I know they did that with the rest of his dialogue. Good to me, did. <laughs> yeah, no, no joke. That's exactly what it is now. So stupid. Yeah, it, it is stupid. <laughs> but yeah, these... Uh, these uh, magi, they do not even succeed in killing, I think, one German. No, no, they are they are decimated. <laughs> yeah, and, and in the meantime, though, Indy's using the distraction to uh, make his play. Yeah. So he's trying to secure transportation to get in front of the convoy to get to the temple. So he, he asks Sala, get us horses. We need horses so we can get to the grail. Not camels. No camels. Yeah. He's very specific. No camels. And then uh, we... Do a hard cut out of nowhere. This is this is another one of these weird instances where there, it feels like there's something missing. Where uh, Henry Sean Connery hops into the tank. Yeah, for no reason. Yeah, I, I I was thrown off. I was like, kind of just like looking at my phone, something real quick, and I'm like, how to get the fucking tank? Like yeah, he what just happened? gets he goes into the tank unarmed. Yeah. And Marcus is in there, so he finds him. But yeah. what are you going to do after that? <laughs> you guys don't know how to operate a tank. I think the two of you have spent most of your life in a library. Yeah. In fact, the way the two of them greet each other, I didn't know. I didn't know this, but um, uh, my friend's mom, who's obviously older than either of us, yeah. uh, she she said Absolutely. it's like a a prep school thing. Yeah. Like they they have a little saying and, and like hand gestures that they do to each other is like <laughs> nerds. <laughs> I read the trivia that he was uh, he was dying of AIDS. Uh, oh, Denholm Elliott. Denholm Elliott. He was dying wow. of AIDS at the time. That's he was, a shame. Yeah, he was closeted for most of his life, and then yeah, later in life, yeah, 
It's well, unfortunate. I'm glad we got what we got of him. Right? Yeah. Like, he got to go out. I don't know if this is the last film he did. It's very possible. But, yeah, he went out on a high note because he's a lot of... He's he's really great in this movie. Yeah, and Spielberg actually really wanted him involved from the get-go. Like, for Raiders, he was enthusiastic about having him way back then. And so to have him actually have a more substantial role in this one, that's really cool. I like this exchange between him and the face licker. Like this, <laughs> it's this, fantastic. It's great. The slap. Uh, yeah, it's, just like, it's it's really good. Like it, oof, it's just like that, just enough to piss you off, and there's nothing you can do about it. The, he's like, "Why did you take the 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 pages out of there?" And he has that good line where he's like, "Well, it's because we're more occupied with reading books instead of burning them." It's yeah, really he, good line delivery. First to them. I th- as like goose stepping fools, I think. It's, Again, John Milius, I wouldn't be surprised if he punched that line up a bit. <laughs> yeah, it's but it's a fun little exchange. Yeah. Vogel's just slapping him with his glove. <laughs> what are you hiding? <laughs> a spit is above. It's it's below what Sean Connery would do. As like it, it's a very, it's he's yeah he he doesn't spit in people. He places. would be he would consider it a beta move. Like that's not what an alpha would do. An alpha would like just punch somebody. They're not gonna spit. Yeah. yeah, no, he Sean Connery, I can't picture him spitting in someone's face. But he needed, like, there, he could have added something to the end of this. Just just a little bit of a physical contact. Maybe like a like a, like a a finger in the chest kind of thing. Like, just boom. Mm-hmm. Good solid one, yeah. You listen, you listen to me, Mr. Man. Yeah, <laughs> just something. <laughs> but no, he just lets his hand go. And yeah. then we, we cut to, uh, I think it's Donovan, who, his head just, like, pops into the tank. Yeah. And he's like, Dr. Jones is getting away. And Vogel's like, what are you talking about? He's an idea. As a one. As a one. <laughs> and then Indy rides by with a bunch of horses. And then we see that Sala is like, I said no camels. That's five camels. But his reply is that it's like, it's recompense for my brother's car. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that is one way to pay him back. Uh, and then we get the tank chase. Yeah, uh, it's the the title of the musical piece that plays over most of the sequence is derived from Sala's reference to the tank as the belly of that steel beast. Mm. <laughs> so it's belly of the steel beast, and uh, just like the construction of virtually all the vehicle chases in the history of the franchise, they they use every part of the animal. Like yeah. they they play every angle that you can. Like it starts off with Indy on horseback avoiding turret fire uh, the thing has three different turrets two on each side one in the front um and his horse is getting spooked well-trained horse by the way lots of explosive yeah. going off around it um they can't quite get a beat on him and uh, he maneuvers them into running over one of their own vehicles <laughs> it's pretty great all, all of vogel's reaction shots in the tank are hilarious because he's like screaming in the driver's ear all the time and he's jumping back and forth between english and german but just that look on his face when the car is heading into them. He's just like, what? <laughs> but the, the car like flips onto the turret and they end up shooting it off of them. So they kill some of their own dudes to like free up their, their view space. But uh, Indy puts a rock in uh, one of the side turrets and it, it causes an explosion that kills one of the one of the like gunners on board. Yeah, dad. <laughs> and yeah, that's that's where he's he's calling out to his dad. He's like, Dad, and then he's Junior, Dad, Junior. And they go back and forth until one of the people on the tank just ends up hitting somebody. Just shut the fuck up. Yeah. But uh, I think where he's uh, hanging from the turret, I think that he did they actually did this stunt where he's hanging by his like satchel. I think. Yeah. Yeah. He actually did the stunt. Oh yeah. No, his face is in clear view the entire time. <laughs> he has a good uh, like furrowed brow and exhaling through his teeth like, <laughs> 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 a 
Well, yeah, and like the the like dirty gray face paint they put on him, like it, it makes it look cool. What the touch that I always thought made that scene like particularly gripping was uh, his hat is like smushed down onto half of his face. Yeah. So it looks like it's a tight squeeze. Yeah, like it doesn't look fun. Um, but like I said, they use they play every angle you can. So the first step is we need to get onto the tank. So we need to go from the horse to the tank. So Indy pulls out his revolver and he and Vogel exchange fire at each other and then we both run out of ammo so it's like what do we do it's like well we get on the tank so uh indy rides alongside the tank and uh harrison ford's stunt double vic armstrong actually does the jump onto the tank apparently it was a difficult stunt uh partially because the they built a tank by the way oh really this is not an antique they actually manufactured a tank so this tank is not based in any real design it's it's like a frankenstein of a tank gotcha uh, largely based on world war one technology so even by 1938 standards it's antiquated um but apparently it was incredibly slow <laughs> like you could go like 12 miles an hour uh so the horse apparently kept out running <laughs> so like to to get the speed just right was very difficult but anyway we got a, a really cool jump from horseback to the tank uh, and then we have a, a fist fight on the tank. Uh, so we have a situation where there's a bunch of Nazis hopping from the nearby trucks onto the surface of the tank, and Indy's just, like, slugging his way through them all. Meanwhile, Vogel's also beating his ass, too, and he's, like, trying to choke him with a chain. Uh, what did you think of the, the Luger gag? The, where it goes through six people? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it's, it's a fun one. So we had, the, we had the revolver gag from the previous two movies, where the first time was, of course, with the swordsmen and raiders, Temple of Doom, we call back to that, although he doesn't have his gun. And this one he uses for the first time a German pistol. And it's like, damn, these yeah. are good. <laughs> I think that was a technique that they used in concentration camps because it of was, low ammunition. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I, is... I don't know if it was ammunition, but I did read at one point, I don't know how true it is, but I do remember reading this, that it was a test for the penetration capabilities. Like, they actually performed this test to see how how many bodies you could get through probably yeah. tested in concentration oh camp. it was so yeah. again this is spielberg you know kind of knowing what he's doing there is a scene in schindler's list with ray fines that is going to really <laughs> really make you sick i'm uh, sure there's going to be a lot of those it's it's one of the darkest things i've seen in a movie it's pretty fucked up yeah. saying a lot coming from Kyle. Yeah. Remember, folks, we did an entire month of fucked up shit. It's, <laughs> a, it's emotionally draining. Like, it's an emotionally draining scene. Duly noted. Whew. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, think, I think the pistol he has here is a P-38. And yeah, it goes through at least three people. And they all just, like, fall. Like, yeah. they split, like, like, like dominoes. It, kind of- it's kind of like, uh, it's like one of his, like, little signatures that Spielberg are doing movies. I'd have to go back and watch some older ones to see. But, like, um... Where he throws in something like, uh, like the the Czech prisoners in Saving Private Ryan, they're like, they think that they're Nazis, but they're like, we're Czech prisoners, we're not armed, and they just shoot him anyway. But we don't know that because there's no subtitles. Yeah, I'm wondering if this is one of those things where it's like, it's kind of played for a gag. It's like, wow, this this gun's really like. Oh, yeah, ridiculous. the expression he gives is comical. Yeah. Like, whoa, I didn't expect that. But it's actually much darker when you know the history behind it. Yeah, I, again, yeah. like you can tell that he's. It's right there. Like yeah, you just he's, gotta, he's gotta got some it. stuff floating around. Yeah. He's, he's got to get that shit out of the basement, yeah. as, as Rocky would put it. But, um, yeah, we get that beat, and then we get to see what can happen when you have this particular tread on a tank where where the treads are exposed. 
Um, he punches a Nazi who falls onto it, and we see him ride the treads yeah. out in front of the tank. It's like, that man got run over. Yes, that man is... Ch- he is chunky salsa. Now. Man, v, ver, man v tank. Tank always wins. Yes, no, it, absolutely. But yeah, just the thought of what happened to that man, it's like, that wasn't fun. That was not fun. Um, but yeah, he's being, he's being choked by Vogel, and uh, I think this is where the periscope comes in. Where they're they're watching the fight, yeah. like the Germans in the tank are watching Vogel strangle Indy from a periscope, and then uh, the whole the whole reason for this gag is so Indy can hit the the periscope and the the handle on it can swivel and concuss one of the Nazis, and give uh, Henry and Marcus the opening that they need to grab a pistol that Indy dropped into the tank. So they start struggling with one of the soldiers in there. And we get the pen is mightier than the sword gag. <laughs> Marcus, you fucking dork. Nerds. Yeah. Um, and also, Dad blows up a truck. Yeah. Dad killed a guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He uses he uses one of the side turrets on the tank to blow up an entire truckload of people. So good move. Let it be said, those Joneses rack up a body count. <laughs> when it comes to Nazis, it's all fair. Yeah. I mean, that's what he tells Marcus. Like, I think Marcus reiterates the "Look what you did." Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's war. Yeah. It's like fuck. They're Nazis. Who gives a shit? Yeah. But this is where we get the gag where Indy is hanging off of the side turret and it's this harrowing moment where it looks like he's going to get slammed into a wall and crushed to death. And then uh, while Dad is struggling with one of the Nazis over the pistol, um, the pistol discharges. Marcus knocks out that Nazi with a, a shell casing for one of the turret rounds. And the ricochet, the bullet ricochets in, in the interior it's of the tank. tank. <laughs> yes, that is an enclosed space. Yeah. And uh, it strikes the driver directly between the eyes yeah. in his turban. And uh, he just so happens to fall on the lever that causes the turn to turn, like the tank to turn away from the rock wall. Raiders March kicks in. Indy hops up there, beats Vogel's ass. Um, and in a slight callback to Raiders, uh, his finishing blow is grabbing a man by the back of the head and just bashing his face into whatever metallic surface is nearby it's it's not creative it's not artful but it gets the job done you rode on a horsey (laughs) um but yeah we have a really harrowing beat here where uh indeed so everybody's on top of the tank now and uh dad gets knocked onto the tread and we saw earlier what happens if you ride the tread all the way to the end it's not a good thing Uh, so indy uses his whip to grab dad's leg and like it's just holding him while Vogel is punishing him, like punching him in the ribs and stuff and choking him. And then Solo rides up with a horse and he grabs Dad off of the tracks. And though I didn't catch it until this viewing, the way he refers to Henry is Father of Indy. <laughs> Father of Indy, come with me. <laughs> and he scoops him up and uh, Indy has both his hands free now, so obviously he turns around and he beats Vogel's ass. Uh, and then uh, the the music reaches its crescendo, as does the scene, uh, when the tank goes off a cliff. And we get that awesome zoom in of yeah. Harrison Ford looking like as spooked as one can be. Uh, and then, yeah, we get to see a miniature tank and we get a, a hilarious blue screenshot of Vogel yeah. like, going, <laughs> like falling directly in the yeah. camera. Uh, and then we get to see a toy tank explode. <laughs> and then uh, there's that scene where all the heroes are looking down below. I thought that was really touching. Like, I really liked the way that scene played out. Do you remember that, Kyle? Mm. 
So it's like Sala and Marcus and, and Henry. Oh, they all think Indy's dead. And yeah, yeah. he lets out the Junior! <laughs> and then we hear an explosion. It's like, oh, well, that's oh, not good. Shit. Yeah. And he, he remarks to nobody in particular. Henry does. Like, it's like, I, I never told them anything. Like, like all I needed was like five minutes. But, and he's alluding to the idea of like telling him he loves his son, basically. But he's like, all I needed was five minutes. And then Indy like crawls up behind them. And they're all like staring into the abyss, and like Saul is crushing his hat in his hands, looking just crestfallen. Yeah. And like Indy has like his jacket open, his hat's missing. He just looks like beat to hell, and he just like pitches forward, looking down the hole, like, "What are y'all looking at?" What are you looking at? <laughs> <laughs> Junior, Junior, and then he gives him a big old hug. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, and he's like, "I thought I lost you, boy." And he's like, "I thought you did too, sir." <laughs> Um, and then he instantly just like drops his son and he crumbles onto the ground. <laughs> and then he's like, what are you waiting for? We're this close. And, like Indy just looks like done. Yeah. And the icing on the cake, the cherry on top is his hat just like kind of rolls in from a different dimension and just like settles next to him. And then we get to the, ca- the canyon of the crescent moon. Yeah. The yeah. canyon of the crescent moon. Yeah. And uh, turns out Do- Donovan... And Elsa and the Nazis have gotten there first. Uh, and Kyle, do you remember the setup for this sequence? Like, they send a fella in. Yeah, they send a fella <laughs> in, and he. We just see like um, I think we just see kind of like cobwebs moving mm-hmm. in the distance, and then uh, like a maybe there's a noise. I can't remember if there's like a, a noise happening, but basically this guy's decapitated. He is uh, depacketated. Depacketated. As Kyle would. <laughs> so they're like, okay, well, there's one body. <laughs> Gotta figure this thing out. So this is really like, uh, Doctor Jones, you're gonna go in there. Basically, he's like, I'm not gonna fucking go in there. He's like, There's nothing you can do to make me go in there. Like, hmm, maybe there is. And does uh, does Dickless shoot? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. So he does transition into being an absolute piece of shit. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Spielberg's a big fan of that. Yeah. Letting you know who's gonna die and how bad it's gonna be. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> like uh, if you kick a dog in a Spielberg movie. You will be torn in half. If you get ki- if you kick a dog in any movie, I mean, unless it's like going to kill you, which then that case it's fine. But yeah, if you kick a dog, you have it coming. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, you don't get it. You get it bad. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Donovan shoots Dad to incentivize Indy uh, to go in because we're at a quagmire. It's like we're at the temple. Yeah. We don't know how to get into the temple any further. So we have our three challenges. First up is the breath of God. Which makes sense, being as the cobwebs are blowing up and there's a noise, and then a depacketation. So Donovan doesn't know how to get past that. So he needs Indy or someone else to do it for him. Yeah, I'm like, why would you send Indy? Because he's probably the most capable. Like, you need to send him with another body, (laughs) (laughs) like pushed out in front. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, uh, the gunshot sound when Dad gets hit is Spielberg knows what he's doing. He knows how to he knows how to ramp up the tension because. One thing that's interesting is, like, there's very little blood in this movie. And, in fact, the violence is cranked down quite a bit from the previous films. Yeah. I mean, as Kyle had noted early in Raiders, we get a juicy headshot. Yeah. Juicy. Wallet Man is on fire, by the way. Yeah. And then, of course, Temple, for fuck's sake. like For crying out loud. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this one is, I wouldn't call it toothless, but it's considerably less intense and violent. Um but when Dad gets shot, uh, the makeup effects they used for his stomach wound are much more realistic than almost anything else we've seen. Yeah, but when we take care of the bullet wound, 
<laughs> that is baking soda. <laughs> it's a little silly. <laughs> that is baking soda and vinegar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Indy gets, uh, Indy's like, all right, fine, I'm going to go do this. Um, does he have somebody with him or is it just him? It's just him. Okay. He's got but, the diary with him, though. But he's got, and he's like, as he's going past these things, he calls back like, all right, you can move forward. But so he goes slowly to where the, the knife thing is and he just, I guess, anticipates the move. Like he just like ducks no, there's a mantra he's saying to himself over and over and over again. And what's really cool about these challenges is that we don't dilly-dally on them. Like, the pacing here is heightened quite a bit because Spielberg was cognizant of the fact that Sean Connery has a bullet in his stomach. Yeah. We gotta go. Like, yeah. we, like we can't have him, like, contemplating what the next move is. He just has to go. I think it's his liver. Or is it his stomach? I think it's closer to his liver. I mean, either way, it's not good. Yeah. <laughs> either way, that'll kill you. Snake to my mongoose. Or mongoose to my snake. Either way, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but um, the penitent man will pass. That is what he keeps saying to himself over so and over and over again. And Pull up your socks. Yeah. Yeah. The penitent man will pass. Um, I, I've always thought of the word penitent as being like similar to like pious. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. like good, humble servant of God. Yeah. Duck. Uh, Yes, yeah, so he keeps reiterating that as a penitent man will pass. Because that's, that's the only clue he has to work from. Yeah. And he's like, penitent man is humble before God. Penitent man kneels before God. Kneel! <laughs> um, but in addition to kneeling, he also does a forward roll. Yeah. Because there are two blades. Yeah. So I think, I think this, this trap is designed to dick you. Yeah. It is unfair. Yeah. Because if you strictly just kneeled... The four blade would take your head off while you're bent over. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he had the forethought, I guess, to just not only kneel but also do a tactical roll forward. Yeah, tactical uh, roll, a nice parkour roll. <laughs> it's thunder. It's just thunder. It's okay. Um. But yeah, he he rolls through the first trap, which is of course two spinning blades intended to decapitate or depacitate you, if you will. Uh, and then somehow he causes the mechanism to lock in place, and he tells the Nazis and Donovan, "I'm through." So the next challenge is the Word of God, um, and it's a <laughs> yeah really simple stuff. Honestly, it's yeah. the kind of thing. But when you think about it, it's like these traps were designed like two thousand years ago. Yeah, like. People were dumb back dumb. then. Like, I mean, dumb as shit. People were dumb 50 years ago. People are dumb now. People, <laughs> people are really dumb now. Most, most people are pretty fucking dumb. Thanks, Internet. You told us that people are way dumber than we thought they were. Yeah, so so it stands to reason that it's okay that these are pretty simple traps. It seemed, you know, in retro, it seems simple, but it might not actually be that simple. Yeah, yeah so, so it's basically a setup where it's a, it's a hallway with a series of letters splayed out across the floor. Again, literacy rates... Yeah. were non-existent back in 2,000 years ago. If you yeah. could read, you were the mega genius of town. Yeah. You were one of the two people in that town who could read. It says here that women are inferior. It, 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 it says, says it right it, there. It says here. It's in the book. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, but basically, the, the solution to this puzzle is it's the word of God. Uh, you proceed by stepping on the stones in the order that spells the name of God. Uh, which in this case is Jehovah. I want to disclose that was supposed to be a joke about how, how 
dudes were big pieces of shit, basically. Yeah, this, this yeah. is being published on the yeah. internet, so Kyle is very, being very careful. Yeah, that, that, I was being facetious. Yeah. <laughs> very, very much. Uh, but we have a fun gag here where Indy is like, he's like, man, I figured this out really fucking quick. Yeah. I'm a genius. And he's like, Jehovah it starts with a J. Yeah. <laughs> and he steps on the J and we cut back to Sean Connery in this, this dramatic zoom in where he's like, but in the Latin alphabet, Jehovah begins with an I. Yeah. <laughs> but just Harrison Ford, the, the tone's J. Like he sounds so confident. <laughs> yeah, it, uh... There's a shot in the. This reminds me of a shot in the Goonies at the end where it's like the the floor is like following it, falling and it's just like whoa, dude, like that's a deep fall and yeah, this this scene is just like I don't see this like remember remember the game Break the Ice yeah yeah it reminds me of that it's like I don't see how this thing is being held up it doesn't yeah the physics don't make a lick doesn't of sense. make any sense um, apparently apparently it was a really simple matte matte painting effect very simple but. Yeah. I, it looks like a deep chasm like it doesn't look like a fun drop but yeah the physics don't make a lick of sense but uh, he gets through this right quick after he remembers that Jehovah begins with an I yeah. uh, so he steps through there and once again I'm through so the next step and then the third challenge is uh, ridiculous the path of God um, this one was fun because like I, I, I was like curious how the girlfriend was going to react to this because as a kid I always thought this was really neat yeah so what we have ILM. here yeah yeah ILM putting in work uh, this is one of their better shots uh, so we have a chasm so we have a passageway with a lion's head at the end and uh, it looks like there is no way to get across yeah it's just a pit it's, a bottomless pit yeah it's a leap of faith so he's just like I've got nothing like <laughs> <laughs> He's just like, okay, I guess I'll do it. And he just, like, kind of closes his eyes and just puts one foot forward, and he's fine. Yeah. He's he, like, he steps onto what looks like empty space, and you hear a click when his foot hits the ground. You would, I mean, it would be very clear, because this would be a dark, they, they've got lighting in here. This is, we're in a fucking cave, dude. <laughs> like, it's going to be pitch black. So even if you have a torch, like, you would see the path in front of you. So it just it doesn't this one makes less sense. It doesn't add up. It's a cool idea. Though. Yeah, it's a cool idea. And the reveal of it is an is a really cool effect shot, yeah. but in practice, no, this wouldn't work at all. Yeah, you you're I think at the time you're so impressed by this effect shot that you don't even think about the logistics of it like you would see a fucking bridge. Yeah. yeah. So basically what they did is like a map painting effect yeah. where basically the idea is this there is a bridge across but the surface of the bridge is painted to look identical to the chasm below. Yeah. So it's a perspective trick, basically. Yeah. And then the can the way they revealed is the camera pans over to the side and shows the entire construction of the bridge and just shows like how the angles are tricking you. Yeah. So Indy just walks across to the other end and then throws a bunch of dirt uh, onto the bridge to show that there is in fact ground there you can walk across this and then we enter the grail chamber yes uh, I, I always get a kick out of the night all that third brother remember him he didn't die apparently shocker uh, no he's just been in this room sitting by himself and he's not insane I know that, that's what I said I was like this man would be talking to himself in five different voices where does he shit? Do you, I mean, do you remember how weird Tom Hanks was when he got off the island yeah. in Castaway? Like, he's just, com, com, his demeanor's completely different. That was five years, I think, he spent on that island? This guy was on in this cave for 700, 700 years. He would be a Robin Williams, like, he would be Robin Williams on. 
but he would just be like talking to himself down like this in different voices. Like he would just be yeah. basically walking around. He would be face to face with Indy and not realize there's an actual person there. Yeah, no, because there's 20 other people in the room yeah. with him. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this this old man, he gets up. Oh, he goes to to strike Indy with the sword and just falls right back. That's <laughs> yeah, pretty hilarious. Yes, it's pretty but, good. Um, yeah, he would be Lawrence Fishburne from Predators mixed yep. with Robin Williams from Jumanji after he comes out of the jungle. There are two movies where Lawrence Fishburne is living in a like living by himself, and there's an, there's another one I believe that he, he does. Uh, po- point is, this knight should be mumbling to himself, jingling, jingling. Yeah, <laughs> be insane. <laughs> but but yeah, he tries to take a swing at Indy, and the weight of the sword pulls him over. Yeah, and then Indy helps him back to his feet, and the guy's like, "I knew you'd come." <laughs> kind of dressed funny for a knight. Yeah, <laughs> and his delivery is kind of precious like like he he apparently he was very nervous about his performance but i thought he nailed it yeah choose wisely yeah he's like successfully both warm and ominous at the same time and just the the particular look he gives indy he is so fucking happy to see him just like (laughs) yeah like it's just nice like after the pandemic just seeing people in like real life that weren't was once your partner or like somebody close that you live with like just seeing somebody else it's just like you're just elated <laughs> i'm surprised he's not feeling him up for something yeah. oh just give me a hug you have a piece of bread <laughs> anything um, it's like short round at the village with no kids <laughs> it's like stop touching the boy well i'm guessing because i mean the christianity is real in the in the indiana yeah Yeah. they confirmed it yeah so god's just been a dick and just left this guy alive in a cave for this long hopefully maybe he's been talking to him or something like maybe giving him some food yeah yeah maybe something maybe he's been helping him out and then you know i feel like ditching him for hundreds of years at a time just talking to god every day like he'd just be so arrogant like it would just be taxing after a little while and i mean anybody who travels that much (laughs) i feel like the night was like can i just finally leave and guys like well i mean you could but uh, you're gonna like you're gonna give up your nightly duties for that i mean that doesn't seem like something uh, a knight of god would want to do you know <laughs> kyle's god is a narcissist <laughs> uh, read some of the bible he is <laughs> the first commandment is you will have no other gods before me <laughs> he's, I, yeah, he's literally yeah, a narcissist he's a little he's a little about himself yeah. in his affairs i love me some me yeah <laughs> But yeah, um, so I think we get the we get the group to come in there. Yeah, right? Donovan the, and yeah. Elsa walk in, and they're pretty stupid. Um, <laughs> so we have just this all these chalices, all these goblets, just all around, and there's different makes. It's different variations of gold, and they all look tacky. Um, and they're just like, which one of these is the one? The guy's like, now choose wisely. Yeah, and like you pick the wrong cup, you're dead. Yeah. So they're looking around and they see this one and like that's that's the one. Yes, that is the most grand. Yeah, Elsa picks for Donovan. Yeah. And it's very important to remember that the goblet was put underneath Jesus as he's bleeding out and just that's what captured. Yeah, you want to get your fanciest cup for that. You want to get your fanciest one for that. I mean, I mean, you're gonna be catching blood. You got to get the fancy stuff out. Yeah, if you're a <laughs> vampire in a porno, maybe. But yeah, that's the only time you're gonna be using that. But yeah, they grab this one and like, oh yeah, that's the one. That's the most grand one we have here. And that's, I mean, that's all aesthetics. That's that's personal preference. Yeah. That's not how you go about doing this. No. But yeah, so 
He grabs the goblet. No, you get the guys that you were sending in there who were being depacketated to take sips of every cup systematically. There's plenty of water. Like there, there's there's plenty to go around. So. I mean, I I, I want to think Donovan has another Rolls Royce up his sleeve. Just donate that to the Republic of Hattay. Get some more bodies in here. Have everybody take a sip of every goblet one at a time. Oh shit! It is dumping ass. Uh, that is insane. That is some uh, JP Jurassic Park Dennis Nedry driving in the rain rain. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty crazy crazy stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, Donovan is given a goblet from Elsa, who apparently he trusts outright. I, I, I had a theory that maybe she's boinking him too. Maybe that's why he didn't even second guess her decision making. Like he was blinded um, yeah. by it, by the duty. Yeah, blinded <laughs> by the duty. Um, she probably banged him as well. Uh, <laughs> she's running through him. Um, nothing wrong with that. But uh, we're uh, so we get we get Donovan taking it, and I love this in movies. I like to see this more. Like Frank Langella's Langella, uh, his demise in the in uh, the Ninth Gate at the end, where he just spectacular. He's just like oh. I feel it coursing through me, yes. Oh, shit. It's the, I'm on fire. I'm on fire. <laughs> this guy takes a sip, and I, I love his dumb fucking face when he just takes a sip, and he's just like, oh, yeah. It's like tasting a, like a fucking old-ass wine. He's just like, That oh, is cave water, yeah, sir. Yeah, it's cave water. The, that guy's nasty. probably been spooging in for the past 700 years. <laughs> I use it as a bidet. <laughs> <laughs> Low on the soundtrack over his shoulder. <laughs> I wouldn't drink that. I really wouldn't. <laughs> oh, the good water's over there. <laughs> That's... He chose poorly. He chose poorly with the water source. Oh, man. Not only are you going to die, but you're going to vomit. <laughs> Herpes for that man. <laughs> I have warts on my anus. Oh, <laughs> oh fuck. But yeah, Donovan gets a gulp a nice little, nice little gulp of the water, and he's like, "Oh yes, I'm feeling it." And I think that this is way better than Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, oh, dude, I, I like this because this is. I was like, "There's thunder and lightning." That does not happen in Seattle very often. Oh. This is a real fucking storm. Um, it's pretty cool. The dog is not happy about it, and actually, probably a lot of dogs in Seattle are like, "What the fuck? We do not have this. We just have rain." Um, Keep being good. But yes, the. Uh, the transformation here, I really like. I think it's way more, way more chilling than the first one. Okay, um, I don't agree or disagree. I, I couldn't name one as being superior to the other, but I think they're both fantastic. Um, the the way this effect was achieved, this is where the aforementioned uh, morphing technology comes into play. Yeah. Uh, so I always was under the impression this was stop motion. I don't think yep. it actually is. It looks like I think parts of it are. So we get the aging, but we also get. From like the um, what do you call that shot? We got one person, not rear projection. But we got we see the back of uh, Dickless's head changing, okay. and then we see Elsa like kind of watching as he's changing. So I think maybe that shot might have been. There's there's at least three different yeah. sources at work here. Yeah. Uh, so we have Elsa in the foreground. Um, apparently the puppet they constructed, they did the entire uh, bust. So like from the chest up of Donovan. Yeah. Um, but the parts that are contacting Elsa had to be a different component. So there, there's like a composite on top of a composite. Yeah. So from the neck up, it's a different, it's a different effect than the arms holding her. Um, and uh, for the face effect, I think it's just, I think it's just a puppet shot at a funny frame rate, 
and they perform the same motion over and over and over ah. again to match the movement and then they used the morphing technology to transition between all the different puppets that they built so they had the same puppets perform the same movements and then uh, transition between all the different uh, age states of it um, and in sequence it comes together absolutely seamlessly yeah. and some some of the gruesome details on this effect are incredible like the hair growing out is as a kid I remember that in particular freaking me the fuck out yeah um, but then on top of that you also have his eyes rolling back into his head and actually just like sinking into his skull and disappearing outright yeah that's pretty fucking gnarly it's spooky yeah um, and then on top of that you have the situation where this Allison Duty's just like being held onto by this thing and it won't let her go and until and Indy steps in and like gives it a, a he like gives it a good check like, <laughs> like just like shoves it off of her and then it smashes against the wall and turns to dust and the icing on the cake just the Spielberg just doing his Spielberg shit um, the, a, a gust of wind blows through the cave and like the dust of the skeleton blows away to reveal uh, his Nazi pin. Yeah. It's like, that's... That's pretty good. Mwah. Yeah. Like, that's a spicy meatball. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, Donovan is now out of the picture, and so it's Elsa and Indy looking through all the goblets, because we still need the grail um, to save, save Dad. Yeah, save Henry. Uh, and we have a couple of lines of dialogue here where Elsa remarks, it's probably not made of gold, so she knew that ahead of time, but, you know, she doesn't care about Donovan. And she does seem to have a thing for Indy's dick. Like, I don't know about him as a person, but she, she likes that Jones. She likes the Joneses Johnson. He has integrity, and he's got a great head of hair for his age. So, yeah. That's, the, the hair is a big thing. It's yeah. a huge thing. Yeah. That, that, I want to say that's maybe one of the biggest difference makers between, like, hot guys in Hollywood and normal guys is, yeah. is hair. Yeah, like it's that, 100%. Yeah, yeah. M- most, most dudes, you know who you are. Don't have hair like that. <laughs> Jason Statham, Jude Law, like they, they, they. There's exception. a reason their careers peaked at a certain point. Well, Jude Law still, like he's still very handsome. Like he's, he's still, still very handsome, but, but you not, know that hairline. Yeah. No, there's uh. It's early, not. It's not com- Tom Cruise's hairline. <laughs> no, uh, no, they get plugs because uh, Don Draper, uh, Ma- uh, John Hamm, when he's on Thirty Rock, and I think he might have been. I think he was doing Mad Men at the time where he was getting ready to start. Uh, his hair is definitely thinning, and that's one of Don Draper's signature looks. Is he's got this gorgeous head of hair? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's a difference maker. But yeah. Yeah. Indy remarks, uh, he just he just scans the goblets and he just points at one of them, and says, "That's the cup of a carpenter." The one on the fifth shelf up there. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> found it. <laughs> you found it. <laughs> yeah. That'd be hilarious. He grabs it. You just chew up. Not that not one. This one. <laughs> not that one. Definitely not that one. <laughs> yeah. So now this is where it gets interesting. Yeah. Uh, so is this thing supposed to give eternal life? See, I've always been trying to work out the technicals on that. Yeah. Because it is, it is a little muddled. So I was talking to the girlfriend about this. We didn't quite come to a conclusion, but the way I understand it in this moment is uh, the night refers to spoiler alert indy grabs the right cup yeah <laughs> he t- and he takes a sip from it yeah which is why kyle's asking this question it's like is indy immortal yeah and the answer is no the answer is no because spoiler alert, kingdom crystal skull dad is dead yeah so well he dad, doesn't drink it he, oh, does. he does drink he does, he drink. does. yeah he does. so he is clearly not immortal and the night the way he phrases it after indy drinks from it and he confirms that he picked the correct cup is that the Grail cannot pass the seal 
in the temple. Okay. And he, I think he uses the phrase, like, that is the price of immortality. So I think it would lose its power if it, if it crossed the seal. So the idea is you're only immortal as long as you remain in the temple, basically. Oh, so that's why the knight is yes. so old. Okay, that sucks. So the power of the grail is legitimate, but I think it has... If it, if it leaves the temple, it ceases to function or something. Or or maybe it or maybe its effects wear off on you or something. Point is, the Joneses are not immortal now that they've drank from the the Grail. But it saves them. So it does yeah. save them. Okay. So well, we run out there and we give Dad a sip and then we pour the rest of the water onto his bullet wound and yeah. Baking soda and vinegar yeah. washes the bullet wound away and he's fine. Well, okay. So yeah. So uh, Elsa is like, Indy, we did it. We got it. We found it. We have to keep it. He's like, Elsa, we can't take it out of here. Uh, uh, the knight said it can't pass the seal. What are you going to do with it? Like, it's not going to do anything. It's if you're a like, wood cup, lady. Yeah, this is the grail, and they're like, get the fuck out of here. This is a fucking wooden cup. I mean, maybe if they dated, like, oh shit, this is old. Yeah. But they're, they're like, you would have scholars on both sides be like, well, it's, it, it could possibly be, but there's no way it's the actual god. Well, I think it might actually be. It was like, in, in this country, that would, yeah, that, yeah. That's what that would turn into. Yeah. Forever. Yeah, like in 2021, still the same argument. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, she tries to take. She tries to walk off with the Grail, and of course, she steps over the seal, and it causes the whole temple to start coming down around them. By the way, I love Sala disarming everyone in the confusion. Drop your guns, please. (laughs) He gives just like this meek, please. (laughs) Um, It works. Yeah. Um, But the temple starts crumbling down and uh, the floor breaks out from under them and uh, the grail falls into the chasm but yeah. it, it's it's within sight it's within reach though yeah. so elsa makes a dive for it and indy makes a dive for her uh and he's got her hanging so she's hanging over at bottomless pit essentially while reaching for the grail and her expression here is like i don't know if i want to bring you home to meet mom <laughs> like, like you look like a kind of crazy lady yeah she's kind of crazy you farted <laughs> the dog <laughs> um, but yeah uh, Indy keeps telling her like I've got one of your hands I need both of them in order to haul, haul you up but she keeps reaching for the grail and sure enough she falls to her doom that's what I'm saying it's a pretty dark ending like the dude turning and then we drop her like, well yeah and it's kind of appropriate for Indy because like you said like he it, it's it's kind of mean to the character but it's like the one gal that seemed to be able to share in his adventures wholeheartedly Ended up being a Nazi. What does it say? What's the lesson here? Like, yeah. We don't sympathize with anybody who's associated with that. Yeah. Um, so Indy has tough luck with women. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she falls to her doom, and then Indy falls halfway with her, and he, he tries to do the same thing. <laughs> He's reaching for the grail, but Dad's got him. And uh, what causes Indy to give him both hands to haul him to help him to haul him up is uh, Dad finally calls him Indiana. 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 Yeah. And uh, it's the first time he's ever called him by his preferred name. His Christian name. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, he hauls him up, and uh, they both... Well, by the way, Dad got a moment to hold the grail. Yeah. Um, So he... Basically, he accomplished his goal. Yeah. He didn't get to take it home, but he did get to hold it. Um, And they both wave goodbye to the knight as the temple crumbles around him. I feel so bad. For yeah, that night. I think he's probably really, he's like that guy in Waterworld. Like, oh, thank God! Like, oh yeah, the guy the, in, the in the oil, oil tank. tank. Yeah. <laughs> oh, thank God! Yeah, I finally can die. <laughs> seriously, but yeah, this night he goes down with the temple. And, uh, uh, he should be going to heaven, by the way. He has put in his fucking time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he deserves the 
the cushiest hotel they offer in heaven. Yeah. <laughs> hotel heaven, yeah. Yeah, for real, man. Yeah. But uh, the temple crumbles down. By the way, the exterior of, of this temple is a real place. You can visit it. People go there every day. It's in Jordan. I think it's, okay. I think the temple is referred to as Petra. Mm. Um, but yeah, this temple carved into the side of a canyon wall. It's, it's a real place. You can go there. You can go. I just think it's funny that they used an actual location for something like the housing of the Holy Grail. It's like, no, I, I go there like on the weekends. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, then we hop on our horses. All of our heroes. Our four heroes. Uh, Marcus, Sala, Dad, and Indy. And uh, Dad learned the lesson of illumination, as he puts it, because he is a, a dude in the 1930s, and we don't share our emotions. Yeah. He doesn't say, I love you, son. He just he just says, what did you find, Dad? And he's like, illumination. Yeah. And <laughs> that's all you're getting. <laughs> just pour bourbon on all those feelings and just keep walking. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it's, ma- it's masculine affection at its best. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we all get on our horses, and this is where we get the reveal that uh, Indy took his name. His, his actual he is a junior he is officially henry jones jr but he took his name from the dog yeah, the dog yeah yeah and uh sala has a good laugh over that at any time john reese davies laughs on film ah. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was a very deep hearty laugh he's one of my yeah one of my favorite scenes in lord of the rings is him laughing with legolas yeah, yeah he does have a fantastic laugh yeah. whatever you have to say about the uh, about the man himself yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, xenophobia uh, aside yeah <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Marcus leads us out of the canyon. He's like, I know the way. And then he half he half kills himself falling off the horse. Yeah. And then uh, it's only appropriate to end with the Raiders' march and our four heroes riding off into a literal sunset. Yep. Apparently shot very hastily, very very shortly before the film debuted. Oh, Like really? Spielberg just decided, I I need a shot that feels like a farewell. Like I need I need it to feel like closure. I guess. Yeah. And then we get another movie, but point is this was filmed like very hastily in like reshoots and it's tremendous it's like if you're gonna have the quintessential like modern adventure film series you have to end one with a ride off into the sunset yeah like it it just makes too much sense again which which causes you know a bit of an issue when you have an additional movie after that (laughs) um yeah we end with the raiders theme uh as as you should it's the only way to end an indiana jones movie honestly Mm mm-hmm um, so at this point, Kyle, would you say this is your favorite Indiana Jones film? Yeah, it is. It's the best one. This is going to be a three and a half hour episode. It might be three forty-five. We'll see. I mean, there was a lot of there was there, there was, was a lot of shenanigans. I think it's going to be about three hours and thirty minutes. I won't be surprised <laughs> easily. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's still my favorite of them. Um, I don't think it's going to change. No, I, I don't see that changing at this point in your life. But um, yeah, I. I actually read a really fun comment on like YouTube the other day where I think it was uh, attached to like the soundtrack for the movie or something I was listening to earlier this week and it was um, between Raiders and The Last Crusade I can't decide which is the favorite whichever one I'm currently watching though is is my favorite <laughs> and that's almost how I feel it's just like it jumps back and forth it's like whatever's whatever I'm currently watching that's that's going to be my favorite but for me I think Raiders gets the nod uh, but this one is just so much fun. Yeah, like there's there's a reason uh, the general public generally views this one as the superior between the two. But um, unfortunately, I guess that's our last good Indiana yeah. Jones movie that we'll be talking about this month. So uh, look forward to Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. Next week, but uh, yeah, three years of podcasting, Kyle. Not half bad. Not half bad. 
but yeah, that being said, folks at home, uh, if you'd like to catch up on any of our other Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, we also have a couple of social media accounts in the form of an Instagram at Catching Up on Cinema, as well as a Twitter at Catching Cinema. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, any of you six fans out there, all six be, of you, be a pleasure to hear from you. Uh, and uh, the podcast is available on pretty much every podcasting service you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. Google it. Uh, but that being said, thank you so much for listening, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. I'm glad you finally got these. These are fin- these are phenomenal cookies. Well, like she, just a recipe. She's just wanted to meet you. Like she's been bugging me. I was I was like, I'm like I know you have a girlfriend, and <laughs> like, but I'm like at some point I'm like I need to meet her because I'm afraid it might be a pillow. <laughs> <laughs> That's staying in. That's staying in. <laughs>